So this is episode 60. Woohoo! Technically, in a way, weird way. <laughs> Beautitious. Um, so, I guess this is going to be the intro. Sure. And then we'll split it. But we recorded this podcast six months ago. Was it six? Nine. I know it was fucking it was nine. Cold. It was March four, March twelfth or thirteenth. Yeah, it was. Well, yeah, so you, nine yeah, you'd remember. You'd uh, you have receipts and everything. I just yeah, I was, showed up. I was on a trip. <laughs> yeah, you, so. you were on official business. Yeah, March. Uh, my trip report is March fourteenth and fifteenth. So it's twelfth or the thirteenth. Yeah, either way. So yeah, nine months ago. So quite a lot has changed. We recorded <laughs> what you're about to listen to. And then about three months after that, mm-hmm. through three, four, I had finally like posted Johnny's and then I, I don't remember. I was traveling a lot for like that one month or two and then I was too busy. Anyway, as soon as I posted Johnny's, I think you were like, hey, we can't post mine <laughs> because not at least not without a ton of editing or a follow up. Right. Or like, so, should, or should we post it or something like that? Yeah, I don't remember. So that was June twenty eighth. I think we talked. Yeah, yeah, because that's I got the yeah I got the offer from the new place on my birthday. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, listen to to this part. It's fairly interesting, with a lot of manufacturing talk and stuff, and then we'll uh, we'll cut in some more bits at the end. Enjoy. It's episode whatever. (laughs) Episode 69 because it's 69 degrees in the room. I have no idea what episode. (laughs) Just start making up random numbers. Episode 463.2. 419 and a half. Rounding down because the viewers appreciate it. (laughs) So, Jeff, you've been on the show before, but not yep. for you. Nope. For the now defunct skate park. Perfect. Do you want to just to talk about that first and then come back? Or yeah, we might, might as well. You, you led right into it. <laughs> it's pretty easy to lead into, I guess. All right, well, uh, you were on... Man, that. let me crinkle some plastic bags. Bags and mm. bottles. Yeah. So you were on, I was doing that COVID series, which was like, in my opinion, I thought it was going to be really cool. And it was probably the worst, like, four episodes. Because it was just repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah, I, I guess I kind of thought that each place would have their own take on it. But I guess if you're running a proper business, how many different takes can you have? And, like, it, it was all kind of the same for like everyone because it's we because i mean for us anyway like we didn't know if we were going to be able to be open number one number two it was like then the state said oh well you can not like i don't remember what it was it was like send in you what you're going to do and we'll determine or not whether you're going to be open so we did that and they were just like no you're not good enough or we just don't feel like you should be open so we were closed but well, and then there were, I mean, it was a little too, 
too little too late, but then they had all that like retribution stuff for that where it was like you guys aren't allowed to pick and choose which businesses can and can't operate in that right. capacity. Yeah, they but it was too late for a lot of places. Sure. Yeah, they just went under. I mean, it was just I don't know. I mean, we were we were in a situation where you know, at least our landlords were cool enough like cuz they were shut down too. So it's not like they were open and we couldn't be. So they were, you know, very understanding. It's like, well, if, you know, you're not open, we're not open, so we'll just we'll figure it out as we go. And then I think it was July we were allowed to open up. I mean, it was nice because we got to take, I don't know, whatever it was, like three or four months to put the park up. But, I mean, it still sucked that we couldn't really do much of anything. And, I mean, it was tough anyway because just the setup of your park was um, in a soccer dome. So... At prime season for skate park was also prime indoor soccer season. Exactly. So you're like getting hosed in that regard. You're getting hosed in the summer where it's like, well, yeah, we're, but we don't want to ride inside in a hot dome. Right. And it, it was hot. So, you know, we just had every compl- seemingly every complaint under the sun of it was too hot. The ramps sucked. The, the, you know, the floor was slippery. This was wrong with it. And it's like. You can't necessarily pick and choose when you're saying, oh, we want a skate park. And then when you get one, not support it at all or very little. You so can. You definitely can. I mean, obviously you can. How does it work out? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't <laughs> at all. <laughs> but I think it's just like, obviously it wasn't your final end state, though. Like no. It was a, this place had a skate park at one time. Mm-hmm. So it was a scenario that you're like, oh, we can step in and operate a seemingly existing, but like hidden away park. Right. It was while we fundraise for, a, to build your own, right? That was kind of the long term. It was, um, well, I think Mickey found, she, I think I mentioned it. They're like, oh yeah, the dome had the skate park or whatever. And she just, Asked them if they were they still had the ramps if they'd even be willing to sell them that's that was the first part of the conversation and then it was sort of on their end where they said well if you want you know we'll help you set everything up you could you know we'll rent you the field blah 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 and just sort of get your feet wet figure out um you know like what the clientele is going to be how many you know what kind of crowd you're going to get and if whether or not it's worth it or if this is something you want to do and then there were other you know, scenarios that we led into, but, um, that's how we got in there. And then it was just one of those things where it kind of ran its course and after, you know, after COVID with all that bullshit, and then we decided to take that year off the next year off in 21 to sort of get all the bills paid down that we accrued up. And then in 22, we found a, um, an old restaurant that was closing up and we happened to be talking to the landlord about a space in the back that used to be a gym to use for the skate park. This became available. So we figured we could get the cafe section of the business up and running, you know, get some money in that way. And then later on, you know, get the skate park in for uh, like for the fall. 
So we, we ended up opening the cafe in April and we had live music, we had the food, coffee, the whole nine yards, and then ended up having to close that in August because we just weren't getting the business. And then on top of that, we had it where, you know, we tried to reach out to a bunch of different banks and they basically said, you have a restaurant post COVID and want money. There's no way that's gonna happen. So then we ended up trying to find, you know, outside investors to see if they would be interested and couldn't find anyone that was really, you know, willing to help us with what we needed financially. So it was one of those deals where we were just like, all right, five, it's the five year mark. We're not in too far over our head to where we can pay this down in a reasonable amount of time and just decided, you know, we tried, it didn't work out. It is what it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're not, we're not heart. Neither one of us are really heartbroken either because I mean, you know, like I said, we're not filing bankruptcy or anything like that. So yeah. it was just like a sweet spot, you know, kind of an okay time to be like, you know what, we're just gonna, we're just gonna call it and be done with it. Is it, it's good to be able to see that though. Cause like, I think a lot of people get to that point and you're, you like hyper focus on the, like, the logistics of the doing and not ever look, step back and see the forest through the trees and go, do we really want to keep doing this? Right. I mean, is it working or are we fighting an uphill battle that we're going to lose? Right. And I mean, it's, you know, it, it's sort of, I guess you could sort of say didn't really hurt us. I mean, I guess it depends on the way you look at it, but like we only had one half of the business open. So while the skate, while a skate park in general, you talk to anybody, it's more of a passion project because it's not going to, you know, you're not going to make a million dollars with a skate park unless you're, you know, a bike park, raise, wheel, mill, whatever. But, you know, we still didn't have that, that chunk of the income coming in. So whether or not that would have helped, we obviously don't know. I mean, it was, it was helpful when we had the dome and we were in there and, you know, using their kitchen and everything. But as far as, being out on our own, we don't know if we would have, if it would have been helpful or not, because we still would have been open. You know, we still wouldn't have been necessarily open during, um, like peak skate park time anyway. Yep. So, and you were going to be coming up on, I mean, another issue with that was a bike shop side of things. And you're like, you always had a good relationship with planes. Mm Mm-hmm at the dome where you're not super competing, but like at some point, if you're starting a park and you're going to have a park there, you got to have the tools and the equipment and everything. And like at some point you're competing with a friend too. Right. And I mean, he, and I mean, we would always like, we, that was the first place we'd send anybody if they didn't like what we had to offer. Cause I mean, even on, in, um, you know, even in 2020, we started to offer more scooters and because we brought rental scooters in, we brought um, like some of the some of the breakables for scooters and bikes and stuff like that. And um, we were a cult dealer shadow. I think we had lucky scooters and I think we were a protect dealer, too, because, I mean, we would all we would try to push the helmets and stuff, too. Because believe it or not, a lot of kids had come in without helmets because they haven't had a skate park since 
2014, I think the Dome put theirs up last. So, you know, they're just riding around without a helmet, so they don't know that it's required. So yeah. instead of renting them some scuzzy helmet, we would obviously try to sell them one. Well, I mean, I guess by the time they come in a third or fourth time, too, you're like, hey, man, like, I will keep renting you a helmet. Right, but don't be dumb about it. <laughs> but you could also just buy one. Right. And have it. And, I mean, that was tough, too, because especially with, Pro- I mean, Shadow, you know, Shadow has whatever it is, three or four colors. But ProTech, like, Jesus, like, 50 different colors, styles, certified, non-certified, the ones with the ear flaps, the ones without the ear flaps. It was like, and like her and I would sit there and we'd look at the catalog and be like, what, like, what do we even stock? So it was to the point where we would just, you know, we'd basically get, just get a couple of random ones in. And if you want them, okay. If not, tell us what you want. You know, they're in, they were in California where we'll have it here in a couple of days. So, but we ended, I think we ended up selling out, selling out of all of them. So that at least worked out. Yeah, that's good. We used to, I mean, it was half joking, but also not at HCS. We'd, like, if you want something that's other than what we have, I'll take the $3 off and go buy Krylon. <laughs> right. Whatever color you want. Yep. I'll give you a $3 discount because the color is not right. And you yeah, can go and buy we'll, a can of spray right. paint. Then whatever color you want, have at it. <laughs> and, like, half of it's joking, but... It's like, what's the point? Right. At the at the same time, that was a whole issue with the industry with, like, plastic pedals and Odyssey and their, like, twisted PCs when they were doing special mm-hmm. colorways and everything. You got four or five different colors that are standard every year. So you got to stock those because they're, like, the ones that people actually right. want. And then you get all these limited editions that... They've got a new limited edition every three months. I don't even think it was at, that far apart. Right. As a bike shop, how do you stock those? Right. You know you're going to sell those, but... How long are they going to sit there? But they might sit there a while. Right. I mean, we were in... Um, and I was in how, many, how many pairs do you need? Like, well, yeah. At some point, yeah, okay, I bought my black ones. I love them, and I thought that... That special edition was cool, so I buy that. And then, oh, that one's cool, but, like, I don't really need pedals now. <laughs> right. I mean, we were in Plains um, last weekend. We That's just kind of where we all meet if we go on a road trip. But I was in there, and I'm looking on the wall, and I'm just like, he had a, I think he said he accidentally ordered them a pair of S&M forks, and they were, like, 200 bucks. And I'm like, dude, they're going to be there a while. And he said, honestly, if you give me dealer costs, you could take them. He's like, they were ordered by mistake. They were in the cart and nobody took them out. He's like, that's just what happened. He's like, I'm okay with it. But, you know, it's the same. A, a pair of forks that somebody's going to eventually need, but it's like, you know, that's a hefty price tag to sit on the wall. Well, and not to mention that is a standard cost for forks right now. Exactly. Yeah. I know. And early 2021, 130 Yeah. Easy. Was the standard cost. Yeah, just about 130, 150. 150 in some cases. I think when we had the the Colt dealership, we sold a couple pair. I want to say they were like 120, Chrome might have been 150 because it was always an upcharge. Of course. But it's like, okay, well, now what we used to pay retail is now the dealer cost. Right. And that's crazy. Yeah, it is insane. And I mean, I... 
I guess I sort of get it because, you know, the industry that I'm in being in, you know, working in a machine shop, it's like, you know, and even now more so that I'm doing like some of the billing and ordering and everything. It's like, I know the cost of things and I know what our shop rate is. So to see some of the prices and some of the stuff that's getting put out, I'm like two and two is two and two is making six somehow for, for some of these companies. And it's like, guys. Yeah. BMX riders are some of the brokest motherfuckers on the planet. But but at the same time, we haven't ever come up in price as we should have That's all true. along. Yeah, so it's, like, it's creeped up and then, you know, COVID, it shot up and everybody's freaking out, which makes par- sense. But parts fluctuate and it's hard to look back to a handful of years ago because, like, we used to be able to buy a set of handlebars for $45. Right. But they weren't heat treated. Yeah, they were pieces of shit. They weren't butted. Exactly. You were buying straight pipe bars for 45 bucks, right. and then they bent, and everyone laughed, and you went home and bought new. Yep. Or you stuck them in the coping and bent them back. <laughs> bent them back, yep. So you had that, but, like, frames are maybe a good good spot to look at. I, I started riding in 98, but, pr- like, really bought real bikes by, like, 2001. Mm-hmm. In 2001, you could buy a standard STA 500 frame or a Trails 250 for 399. Yeah, they just went up to. I don't even think they're at 600 yet. Or S and M's. Right. Well, well, so getting close, getting close to the six mark. Standard and S and M are are one thing, but everything else didn't lag too far behind that. 320. Yeah, somewhere in there. What what was it even two years three years ago to buy a new frame? Oh yeah, it was around the same. It was maybe it had, four, maybe th- four three fifty three seventy five. Right. Yeah, and now it's now they're pushing you know over and those have butted tubes right. and heat treating or at least some sort of stress relief. Whether yeah, it's the you'd hope anyway. the tubing and the science mm-hmm. behind the tubing and the material with like OX plat or something, right? But, um. But I mean, I, even at this point, like, you might as well just just get a custom frame, because oh, I mean, yeah. you know, you have Laird and Quartz that are doing it, and they're you know four fifty five hundred bucks. You're paying that for something that's off the shelf that they're making hundreds of them, it, and you're just gonna kind of oh well, I guess it's an okay frame. I'll deal with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It, uh, it's kind of what I wanted. Yeah. yeah, it feels okay instead of. But I mean, you know. The more stuff that like I watch online, it's like it's like do these people really like are they really gonna notice the difference between a seventy four and a half and a seventy four and three quarter head tube angle, or are they just like yeah you know I I do know I can see it it's like oh do you really you you might notice it if every other part on your bike was unchanged right like but I, if I'm building a brand new bike. Well, I can't. Not gonna I can't shit. set my bars that precise. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I have. I had a. Um, I had an ATF before I started riding the uh, the work frame, and I think that had two bangles, like half a degree different. And I did notice as soon as I started riding it, mm-hmm. because of that, I didn't change anything else, only the frame. But then I got used to it real quick because it's it's not that far off. And now, like, if I went back to the other one, it'd feel weird for maybe a week. And then, yeah, uh, I figured it out. It might feel sluggish for a week. 
Or, yeah, like something's not quite right, and then you're, eh, now I got it. Yeah. The, yeah, I feel like frames are the good example of prices really have not changed. No, they really, they haven't. But the, it, when they do, it's like there's a couple companies that go way up and everybody talks shit. And then the other ones just kind of creep up behind them. And then they're in the same ballpark. It's like, oh, well, they just they just knew ahead of time. And did they really come up because the material and everything went up? Or did they come up because shipping went up 10 times what it used to be? Well, yeah, it, right. So now your container put an extra 100 bucks on there because it went from... I don't know, like, what were they like twenty five hundred a piece to twenty five thousand? Yeah, it was. Something. I think it was something. It was like four grand to twelve grand or something over COVID, and it's like Jesus. Yeah, but no, they. I know they hit twenty five and forty thousand yeah, for like a full container at one that's point. That's fucking crazy. I, what do you do? Yeah, you, you you don't eat that. A couple companies that I was that I know and, and work with, not BMX related, mm-hmm. that do a lot of importing. They started just partialing their shipments. Like, I don't want the whole thing, mm-hmm. but I want you to fill the empty spaces in existing containers. Right. I'll take it in 50 shipments if I need to. Yeah, as long as it's but a little bit But if cheaper. there's a corner that right. you can stuff my stuff in, I Buy want it there. Cram it in there, yeah. Yeah. You negotiate with someone else that's doing it too, and hey, I'll buy that corner of your shipping container for <laughs> right. 500 bucks. Oh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just less you have to pay. Yep. Yeah, it's it's getting nuts. This is the world we live in. It is. Um, so, kind of, it's all going to run in parallel. It's going to be a weird discussion for anyone listening. But as a machinist, <laughs> um, are you seeing that material availability is worse now than even through COVID? No, COVID, it was fucking awful. It was, we did one job at the shop I work at where it was um, 100 rollers. It was aluminum tubing and it was quoted out 19, 19 or 20 weeks lead time. That's from our supplier to us. And in that time, we had to quote it to the customer. And oh yeah, it's pricing in effect. So this is the price it is now, but when you get it, it's probably going to be more. So how do you quote that to a customer when like, say the material doubles and now just any profit that you had figured into the job is just gone. So, but I mean, it's, it's gotten a little bit better now. I think a lot, like a lot of the prices have leveled off or even gone down a little bit. Like aluminum shot up and then it just stayed there. So it, it hit that peak and now it's it's just it's leveled out. Steel's been bouncing all over the place. Stainless is is all over the place too. But Yeah, I know that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not telling you anything new. And then one of our one of our larger suppliers bought another one of our smaller suppliers. So that's been fun to deal with. So i I feel like from what I've seen, the the overall supply is a lot better, but the ability for small companies to get the material is worse than it was. Oh, sure. Because all these other companies have gained so much, like all the orders that were kind of held up, 
got released and now they're trying to make all this stuff and you know the big customer gets the most material right so they're getting if, top if, priority if they need this material like you're not getting it it sure. doesn't matter that they have it it doesn't matter that your PO in hand going no I really like that piece sitting right there I need that and they're like that's already spoken for <laughs> it's kind of reserved right you're like well I've tried to reserve material with you before and you tell me no and like yeah but you're not you know you're not uh Amphenol or you're not Lockheed yeah, Martin you're and, right yeah I mean, and it you know it's a lot of it's those uh DO priorities oh absolutely as soon as it's got a defense authorization yep. on it okay it doesn't exist to anybody else yeah, well, you know, yeah, it's DO rated, so we can't, even though we don't have the order, we can't sell it yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of our suppliers said they, because I was talking to the one driver, he was, uh, he said they do the thin wall 4130, and he was saying that because True, True Temper stopped making theirs, for whatever reason, their supply is now shorter, and now they have to, they did the same thing. They put a priority list on, you know, their customers that buy larger amounts. So anyone can come in and well, same deal. It's, it's there, it's on the floor, but you're near the bottom of the list. So we got to hold it for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, we got, I, I think we're still, and you're probably still getting like, you get a quote from the material supplier and it's like effective for 24 hours. And mm-hmm. you're like, I can't get an order back from this guy and turn yeah, one out we, to you in that amount of time. What are you two, thinking? We put two weeks on our quotes. And actually, the one one of our customers was nice enough to say, hey, I have to put this through channels. Can you hold the price for a month? And we said, yeah, we could hold at least hold it for a month. Because, I mean, the material's not going to go up and down that crazy not anymore. Any, not at this moment, yeah, no. Anymore, it's pretty it's not. good. I mean, COVID was one, during COVID was one thing, but now it's kind of... it's been pretty stable luckily so. and i feel like the suppliers have been at least a little bit better about telling you outright on the front end like hey you know th- we don't have a lot of it so like this one if you need it you really need to order oh, yeah. it right now because they weren't telling us anything no it was just through covid they're right. like here's your quote and you're like okay cool but am i gonna have like if i order that tomorrow right yeah is it there <laughs> we've done that too where there's there's one job that we do that's kind of a repeat job, and there has not been one time where we have gotten either all of the material right or all of the material from one supplier. There was one time where we got close, and it was the same thing. Sent the, the RFQ, okay, here's your quote. You have everything in stock? Yep, we got it all in stock. It shows up. There was um, a bunch of sheet metal pieces, not there. So I went in before the truck even left and I called the supplier like oh don't worry it's in our warehouse it just has to go through our system it'll be there Monday okay that I could deal with but at the same time just give me a heads up like hey your sheet's not gonna like yeah, don't let short, me have a fucking short shipped you yeah like don't let me have a fucking stroke when it shows up on like a $30,000 order and it's like hey half of it's missing but yeah yeah you know they don't care um, <laughs> we've been trying to cover like you mentioned before how yeah you're gonna order this but you're gonna pay whatever the market price is when you get it we've been trying to cover that stuff just with 
a little bit more elaborate quotes and mm-hmm. just putting that like like just like they're telling you right yeah you just got to put customer. it right in the customer like look at i know you might be bidding government where they're not going to give you a change order you're going to have to guess and mark this up mm-hmm. accordingly because i'm going to transfer it to you at true cost but you're not going to get a change order right <laughs> so yeah. some of that's been tough uh, some of our like actual government contracts were allowed no markup on, which sounds crazy, but we're allowed to bill all time against it. So like yes. all the time of writing a purchase order, all the right. time of receiving it. So you make probably about 15% on right, it by the time, to whatever on, the, on an average small right. order on like a, Anything for major equipment, you're losing. Mm-hmm. You're not making anything. Right. But, but we're also on site doing hourly work, so the material is inconsequential. Sure. Other than that, we're being a bank for them. Right. Um. But in that type of case, it doesn't matter what the quote was because it's what the invoice is. Yeah. So as long, yeah. So and you just share the invoice. Right. Here's the material. This is what it's going to cost, and then what. Whatever the labor is, it is. So yeah, so like that kind of works out good in that sense where sure. you're getting hosed on stuff. Oh yeah, that's and my boss and I we both say it all the time. We hate quoting because that's what you deal with, or it's one of those things where like you quote X amount of hours on a job, and you know there's the saying is that every half hour job is just a broken tap away from a fucking four hour job, and it's the mm-hmm. same no matter what. It's just. That's, I mean, that's just the nature of, of the business, but it just sucks when you're like, you know, especially me where like I have, I know what it was, what we did quote it. And it's like, I'm working on it and I get, I'm getting close to that time. And I'm like, fuck, are we still going to make money on this? Or are we still going to be good? I mean, we're still going to make money, but you right, don't want to make less. But it's like, you know, you're hitting a point where, all right, we're going to we're gonna cover our nut on this, but are we actually making money? Right, yeah, we're at least going to break even, but... Because we deal with that a lot. Um, it's actually, it's really weird with service jobs, like out in the field and stuff. Because you get, you can only bill like GSA rate for the travel and the per diem and everything. And then, but what's it actually cost to stay in the hotel? Right. Um, and I don't, I don't actually know how you get the GSA rate. You probably have to have like a federal contract number. Yeah, I'm sure there's. And then the hotel has to participate. Right. Really yeah, there's actually paperwork like, out to ask for it. to the people. <laughs> Just like, how does that work? Do you guys participate and how does it work? I'm sure whoever you know. talk to has no idea <laughs> anyway. It, you probably have to at least talk to the manager. Like the main manager, yeah. not the like night manager. <laughs> well, you never know then either, especially but, with the workforce we have now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so that gets really interesting, though. Uh, I had a couple other machining questions I wanted to dive into that are just fun. It's all fun and stressful sometimes. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, we just had one. So, we had a customer that they had a very specific solution. 
very small footprint that this thing could go in. And I'm like, okay, I'm pretty confident we can fit the footprint, but the gears that I want to use to fit that, the manufacturer will not give me a rating on them. And I'm like, one, how are you a gear manufacturer? And you can't tell me what your gears are rated to. Yeah, that's, that, that's so, not great. But that's the only set of gears I could find stock that would that fit, fit that of window. And I'm like, well, then we have to test. I, I need a functional Some test on this gearbox yeah. before I can tell you it's good. Oh, we're under a really tight timeline. I, we really, like, we're willing to take the one you test. And I'm like, okay, but there's a chance it doesn't work. I don't know where, where we fall with that, but, like, there's a chance it's not going to work. <laughs> and they're like, well, how confident are you, you know? you're not going to sell us something that doesn't work. And I'm like, well, no, but what? I'm telling you that we need to test. So it's like an NRE kind of thing. It's non-recurring engineering charge because you're paying for these parts regardless right, of whether, whether it works work or, or not. not. So that's not the way the PO got written. Of course not. <laughs> uh, the gears sheared at like half of what I needed them to operate at. So I would say between three and four times less than where they needed to shear at. So I'm like, oh, well, now we have a baseline though. <laughs> and then you know what won't work. So, well, then it's like, okay, well, I have a 3D model of the gears, I know what the tooth mm. and all that stuff is. So go to a gear manufacturer and get a quote, and they're like $10,000 for the, a matching pair of and gears for, 10 one, to 12 weeks out. for one gearbox. Yeah. We're, uh, we've you're been, right. Well, uh, that's ex, on a good, expedited that's expedited was eight. Yeah. We and just had they, one quoted. They did come back that it, could be, it can be faster if we're willing to take pre-hard. And I'm like, well, yeah, but if we take the pre-hard... I'm less confident that you can get away with using the the actual tested gears because I'm going to have to proof load them. Mm. So now I need to proof load this set of gears and then put a different set in the final product. And I mean, all I can do is loose math on it. I like I know what the material was. Right. So I know what the approximate tensile stress is tensile strength, then I can look at like the hardened 4140s and stuff and go, okay, well, that tensile strength is up here now. We'll go to the yield because that'll be way better to work to. Mm. But now it's very dependent on the heat treat settings. Do I need to functional test this with a separate piece of stock and actually send it to a lab to guarantee that I'm getting the right heat treat then I figured with torque, as long as you keep the gear tooth profile the same, your torque is force times radius, your stress is force over area, so it should scale linearly right. that the area hasn't changed and the radius hasn't changed. But if so it's not force exactly force, the same. 
I'm like, ugh. But we also know sheer stress doesn't work the same. It's not like, it's 60%-ish mm-hmm. of tensile, but sometimes more, sometimes <laughs> less. So I'm like, it's, it's, a, it's a very confident maybe. Right. But the numbers will work, but in practice, I, Until I, I test it, I'm not putting my name on that. Right. I was 90% confident the off-the-shelf gears were going to work. And those are good betting odds, but, yeah. like, I guess there was no grounds for that. Other than, like, why would they sell bad gears? Huh? Right. Or high, tell you that they may work, they may not. High speed, low torque. Right. But how do you know that until you try to torque them? Sure. My gears, through all the ratio and reduction, were probably running three RPMs. <laughs> so super high torque, low low speed. Very, very high. <laughs> like 100 foot-pounds min was what I needed. So that was interesting. Um, so that didn't work. The customer doesn't want them. <laughs> that's where we're at. I, th- I think that's resolved. I say, as long as they pay for it. I don't know what the settlement is. Yeah. Don't want to know what the settlement is. Don't need to disclose what the settlement yep. is. Yeah, you're better off not knowing half of this stuff. But it's super disappointing because it's like, I understand it makes us look bad. It makes my customer look bad to his customer. Mm-hmm. And then it makes... The individual people look bad. Sure. Like whoever was was championing it on the other side, that's telling his boss it's going to be fine. Yeah, this and guy's telling it's me like, it's good. Yeah, and then like, it just shits the bed. And you're like, oh, well, now we're yeah. Like you said, everybody looks like shit now. <coughs> well, and not everyone along the chain is probably up to speed on the fact that this was a calculated risk, right? Yeah, so, I'm, sure some, I'm sure someone left that out somewhere. We're like, oh, yeah, the guy said it'll definitely work just to make himself look good on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're prototyping it and testing it, but we're getting the prototype because it's going to be fine. Right. Yeah, they said it'll work. Okay. Well, and that, that's the funny thing is now it's like, well, it would. I'm very confident. <laughs> now that I have a baseline, very confident it sure. would work. But it's, you know, let's, let's just take the, the scenario if they don't pay anything on it. One, you're out every bit that your vendors were charging you because they didn't do anything wrong. Right. Yeah, they All just their stuff came in awesome. Sure. And on time, and you're like, thank you, I appreciate it. Can I ask for a discount because we're getting hosed? <laughs> it worked. I didn't I, like, work. I don't, even, I don't want to ask for a discount because we're getting hosed. Right. It's not your fault. It's not your problem. The the one, like, really one that, to try to offer something because he, like, felt bad. But it's like, dude, it's not your fault. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, shit happens. Where there's trains, there's wrecks. Yeah. Ohio. Everywhere. (laughs) Um, But, like, I think that one, if they prepaid, which I think they did, 
It you almost know. costs you more because you have that money in your bank account right, and you've right. already like allocated right. it, right? Even if they hadn't, um, we had a couple big orders cancel on us last year that like, okay, we have the PO in hand and it's for this dollar amount. We expect to profit X amount so we can allocate that money towards right. for, other business stuff. Yeah, for when it comes in. Yeah, right. So that had been done. So you got to look at it that way too. Like whatever money that was going to make is probably already allocated. So it almost costs you double to do yeah, that. Yeah, because now you have to pull it and find it from And you've already else. allocated the money. So you're <laughs> like, you're paying your vendors with no income and then paying for whatever <laughs> else you allocated that money for. It's super fun. Yeah. Business sucks. Period. Yeah, it's, it's all right. But it can be good too. Little things. Like, I mean, I was, ta- I f- was talking to somebody else too. And like right, like right now, I think every, every machine shop is just beyond swamped. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I know we are. We're just, our CNC will sit there. Like it's, it would sit for weeks and months, nothing in it. And now it's run every day for the past like two months just because we have that much work for mm-hmm. it. And there's even, there's a lot more stuff behind it too. And it's like, we don't even know when we're going to get to that because we're just, we're so buried with everything else. I've noticed it like with my vendors that I use regularly, they've historically been three to four week turnaround on machine stuff, which Mm -hmm. I always thought it's on the fast side. Yeah. I mean, it's not asking for miracles, but it's definitely that the day you send the order, they're ordering material, and it's on the machine within a couple of days of receiving the material. Right. To get that turnaround done. So, busy, but, like, not pulling their hair out busy. Yeah, it's, like, steady. Um, those same vendors are consistently 8 to 12 weeks now. And late, yep. On that's, everything, and you're like, that's about where we're at. It and it's, I mean, there's like like the same differential where you about triple, oh yeah, triple yeah. where your yeah, old lead times were. And I mean, it's it's to the point now where we don't. I don't even quote a lead time anymore. It's just here's the quote. You like tell me when you need it, or you know, obviously tell me when you need it ahead of time. So if you need it in two weeks, you're going to get charged more because I have to sneak it in ahead of everything else. But yeah, and well, and also tell me, are you telling me two weeks from when I received the contract, or, or two, two weeks, weeks literally from now. two weeks from now? The clock's ticking, no matter what. Right, because that's also very important. And like, okay, well, maybe we need a retainer because I want to at least order the material, sure. and you know, get that moving. But <laughs> twelve weeks is like crazy yeah i mean i've i've quoted stuff like five to six weeks out and then our customer comes back a couple days later with the po and says i need it in two weeks i'm like it that it doesn't work like that but to some people it does i guess and it's it's one of those things where like they also they have to do post-processing on the back end of it Mm -hmm. so i understand that because i'm i guess if i'm telling you six weeks you're telling your customers six weeks so if your place takes two or three 
then that cuts our lead time in half because you promised your customer based on our lead time instead of your own plus hours. But right, right. Like if you don't, if you don't add two weeks to what your real lead time is, though, you're crazy. Right. Because you're gonna have minor issues. You might have to replace something. Sure. And you have to receive the material and prep it for shipment. Right. And do any inspection stuff. So it's like, if I can ship it early, I will. But I'm adding two weeks. Yeah, like, don't don't expect it. And I had to have a conversation with some of my vendors because they like to, quote, like, in a range, like, oh, I can do it in six to eight weeks. And it's like, okay, we all collectively know that means put eight on the PO. Right. right? But we had our our office administrator would always put six, six. <laughs> but we all knew to expect it upwards of two weeks late. We're just trying to pressure the vendor. Mm-hmm. But I said, just please stop giving me a range. Yeah. Just tell me eight weeks, 12 it, weeks. It, if whatever. you're, if you're eight to 10, I just want 10. I know you can do it in eight. If you tell me 10, I know you can do it in eight. Right. But just tell me 10 because so I want them for that. Well, <clears throat> and we don't want, if we go back and we say eight to 10 and we put eight on the PO and then we add our two weeks to it and you deliver in 10, you're still within the bounds of your quote. Then and we now like we're assholes. late to our customer <laughs> when I should have quoted 12. So I just, I'm like, you got to stop. Like, I, I know you're trying to be more, like, friendly and appealing. Right. But it's... But you're, like, without having the old person there now, we have a new mm-hmm. office admin. And she doesn't necessarily know, like, the history of doing right. that either. So now it's like, late is late, and now you're hounding this person. Why are they late? Why are they late? And you're like, I'm not freaking late. Yeah, I told you 8 to 10. You just took, you just assumed 8. Yeah. Well, but at the same time, it's like, why did you ever put eight on it? It was 10. Yeah. It was 10 and I might deliver early. It was never eight. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't know. That's why I said quoting's terrible. It's awful. But I mean, it's just to the point now where it's like we just send the quotes out, put it on the schedule, and I just kind of, we just kind of go down the list. If somebody needs something, they holler for it, and we just drop everything and do it. So everything's mm-hmm. technically a rush job, but we're not necessarily charging for it. I mean, the stuff that's quoted. I mean, we have customers that just, here, we need 12 of these parts. Okay, when do you need them? Ah, no rush. All right, so they just sit on the back burner. Then when they become a rush, we can at least kind of middle, not charge them rush, but at least middle, yeah. find a little bit of middle ground there where we're covering yep. it. Yeah. I wish we had our own machine shop. <laughs> because I, I like really enjoy that environment mm-hmm. and kind of that pace and the getting it done. And I think the fact that we don't have our own internal machine shop hinders some people from understanding what it really takes to get the job uh, done. Absolutely. And like, I pride myself on being what I would call a good customer. Like I'm going to tell you that I know what I'm asking is ridiculous. <laughs> Just be upfront about I'm, it. 
I'm going to at least acknowledge that I understand you're going to charge me a lot for this job without saying, I know this is going to cost 20 grand, but like, cause if I put a number in your mouth and then you're like, Oh, they think this is going to be 20. Well, then that's what it's going to be. I'm not leaving money on the table, <laughs> right. but like, you know, we can do this for 12. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like, there's there's times to argue, too. And you know how you have, like, customers that will beat you up on every quote you send? Mm-hmm. There's no value in that for me. No, there's really... It, and it's really not... It, like, if that's the case, it's really not worth even dealing with them. Like, there was... The one customer that we have is a bearing supplier, and they they deal with a bunch of different companies. So we're sort of their... You know, we're sort of their machine shop. So if one of their customers gives them a machine part, they bring it to us. There was one of their customers that would ask us to quote stuff. And it was like six pieces, five pieces. And they were like tiny. And like my boss and I would look at them and they're, it's to the point like they're almost not even worth us doing. So we'd throw a number on it and just never hear anything, never hear anything, never hear anything. So we just started, basically, we just started no-quoting everything. If we'd get mm-hmm. an email, hey, can you quote this for this customer? Like, we just wouldn't even answer it. Or, and then um, the salesman said to us the one day, how come you're not quoting this stuff anymore? We never get it. So it's not worth us even putting the time in, you know, looking into material or, or whatever. Yeah. Just, and it, toward the end, it was just, we'd look at it and, well, what's that part worth? 40 bucks, 50 bucks. All right. Eh, say 60 and turn it in. So it it wasn't even, we weren't spending a lot of time on it, but it's still, you know, that couple minutes is still taking time away from something else. And is it even worth, like when you look at 60 bucks apart and there's five of them, you're like, is it even worth processing the order? Cause I have to look at, I have to take it in. I got to read it. Then I got to send it up through whoever's going to actually in-process it into the system if it's not you. And then if you have to generate any work orders, you got to order material. So you've got the admin stuff on that side. You got to receive and inspect it. You got the shipping costs on top of the material that you probably didn't factor in somewhere. And then you actually have to run it and then inspect it, pack it, ship it. And you're like, made 15 cents yeah. <laughs> on a $300 order. Yeah. Awesome. Big deal. Like why process that right. order? Right. And when you're talking, I mean, it almost at some point, it doesn't matter how big it is. If I'm asking you to set up a machine for five parts, it's really not worth it. Unless that part is $180 a piece. You didn't cover your setup time. Exactly. I mean, we're, I'm running into that now because we, we quoted that that big job that we were talking about before we started recording, and it we ended up getting the PO, and it was like I think it's ninety or hundred grand the whole PO. But the parts that we quoted, like we also wanted to stay a little on the lower end to get in with this customer because it was such a large order to begin with, and like we're starting to look at it, and it's like we didn't factor in setup time. And a lot of this, I mean, a lot of the stuff is a fairly decent quantity where it's like 25, 50, 60 of each thing. So, so you're so at the washing stage. Right. But, but with some things we're losing 
And then with other things, like I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, well, I blew that cost out of the water, which is good, but it's, it's, it'll end up, you know, working out in the end, but it's like, it's the same thing. Like we didn't charge for any setup time and like, and I keep kind of keep an eye on my setup time and it's at least an hour with setting up devices, you know, picking everything up, doing mm-hmm. the tools, t- touching them off. And it's like, and then it's a, I'm doing everything. Well, most of it anyway, in two double vices. So just doing the math, you're going to have one bastard part with each thing. So it's like, all right, how do I do this where it makes sense? So I'm just running one, taking it out, putting another one, and then just running the full, you know, if the one runs good, the rest of them are going to run good. So it's like just trying to sort of minimize that fucked up setup part, but it's, it's still, it's still that hour. And then you have programming and that's another half hour, 45 minutes. And, and sometimes you get halfway through a job and you're like, I didn't quote for this, but I'm building a fixture. Yeah. Or I didn't quote for this, but like, I need to replace this expensive end mill. Sure. <laughs> like I didn't plan on buying a new four inch face mill, but I guess I am. <laughs> I guess we are. <laughs> but there, there was one and the fixture is a good example. We did quote, we added a fixture in and it was just going to be, we were basically just going to cut the profile on the water jet with all the holes and then hand drill the holes in the drill press, bridge port, whatever. And then my boss started looking at it. He's like, well, we should probably put drill bushings in cause it's 25, 25, 25. So he did the math on the drill bushings and for like all of the holes, it would have been like $600 in drill bushings. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, well, I guess we're just going to take the chance then. And I'm like, yeah, we could always just cut a new one if the holes start to wear out or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's we even though we did factor in the fixturing, it's like, fuck, it's another $600 that we could have probably put in there just to cover our ass. But like we were just looking at it and it's like we're not really doing it fast. But I think they gave us the print package middle of December and they wanted the quote by the end of the year. So like we had two weeks to get it done and it was like 90 prints. So we were getting material, you know, like you said before, material and tooling and all that other shit. Yeah. And in estimating some run times and you're like, well, that's this many setups and this many features. So that's how much we're going to charge. Right. And I got, you know, each one of those features, I got a program. We're going to attribute a minute and a half of program time to every feature or something just ridiculous. But like, that's how you got to break it down is how long does it take you to write the code for that feature? Right. To put the diameter and the depth or something stupid. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, using cam now it's easier, but it's just point. I make the joke all the time. It's just point and click. But at the same time, it's like you do that. And then it's like, well, I got to, I know I have to go a little bit deeper because that's a tap hole. I have to go deeper than the, the tap and all that. So it doesn't break and all that other shit. So and other times you get a model that you're working off of and you're like on the drawing that is a plus nothing minus something hole and you're like i need to change the nominal Mm -hmm. so it's not make it to the model and if you're not paying attention to that then you're going "Uh, we're out of tolerance yep 
Well, then a, a lot of, well, not a lot of them, but a couple of the prints we've come across are, are they different? But they'll, they'll call out like an eight millimeter hole. So, okay. Is it clearance? Is it just a pin? Is like, so yeah. I have to, then I have to go back to the engineer and say, Hey, what's my tolerance on this hole? And I think I've had to do that a couple different times. And I'm like, am I coming off like an idiot? Cause I keep asking this guy, like, no, it's bad. It's bad drawings. Yeah. And it, but it, and it's one of those things where like, that's the difference between metric and American where an eight millimeter hole could be anything could be for a bolt, could be for a pin, could be for whatever. But on an American, if you're getting a, you know, seven thirty seconds hole or not seven, nine thirty seconds hole, you know, a quarter inch bolt or something's probably going in there. So eh, as long as it's bigger than a quarter inch, you're okay. Yep. Yeah, I know it (laughs) it is funny. And well, but most places will say like 8.2 millimeters, right? 8.3 millimeters. Yeah. 8 mil, you know, plus clearance for minus that. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know that they have the same like different, classes of running and free fits that's and, a, yeah, and that's, everything. That's but, a whole other fucking plus case. But right. at the same time, like, why are we playing that game? You're the engineer. Look it up in machinery's handbook. Tell me what the tolerances are on the drawing. Right. Why I don't do, need, I don't why need should eight, you have to go all over the place. Yeah. I don't need M eight G seven to where I have to go on the internet and look it up and, Oh, well it's a, fr- it's a tight free running. So it's plus this plus that like, don't, just tell me the two fucking sizes. Right. And put a note for your for your internal sake. Right. If you need to know that that's what you designed it to, put a note with the tolerances there. And the note then says, designed as a blah, blah, blah fit. Sure. And you go, okay, well, right, I don't really cool. care good, about that. Good for fucking you. I just know my numbers. But I always look at it from a cost standpoint. If I send you prints that you can look at and quote, then it's immediately cheaper than if I send you a print and you start looking at it and you're like, oh, what the heck is this? And you got to start going sure, and, and then looking at stuff. you have to go and look everything up. Because now you're going to go, oh, this entire job's going to be a pain. Right. I don't want to deal with this. Like, just put an extra 10% on it yep. or something. Or, you know, tolerances and like some people put geometric tolerances on because it's important other people put geometric tolerances on to show you that it's not <laughs> like oh well yeah but i gave you a concentricity of like plus forty thousandths, and you're like but i saw the concentricity and i quoted you extra for, because it's pre- pre- now i have to measure precision I have, tolerance i have to me- measure right. it yeah and it's not just measure it with with the calipers and call it good <laughs> or the micrometers now I got to set it up and right. actually measure run out and concentricity sure, because you called it out. <laughs> we also had one print that we ended, it ended up fucking us because, and we didn't do the part yet. There's a little pocket that has, and it's called out six millimeter radius, typical around the whole thing. Bottom ever says nothing of any kind anywhere else. I get the 3d models and I start to look at it and I'm like, that bottom radius doesn't look like six millimeter. So I click on it and it's three. 
So I called up the engineer and I'm like, does this have to be this way? Oh yeah, it has to be that way because of the mating part, blah, blah, okay, whatever. So this is in a, I'm trying, I don't quite know how to describe it. It's like a U-shaped pocket, but it's like inch and a half deep. So a three millimeter radius in the corner. So you're gonna come in with a fucking long, tiny end mill and, and whittle and that rough out. it out and right. then surface it in with a baby end mill. Yep. Yeah. And we, but and it's not that we didn't. I guess you could argue we didn't notice it on the print because I mean it clearly does look different on the print. But typical but they didn't call means, it out. Right. Typical means typical. So that's so we assume we're like oh we could just you know. Six mil, we could go in there at least with a seven sixteenths or three eighths cutter. It won't be that bad. Yeah. And then we looked and we're like, oh fuck, it's <laughs> gonna be even worse. Uh, most of the time, current drawing standards don't allow for typical. For that reason, you have to specify the quantity. Mm-hmm. Yep, just typical right across the board. So and we assumed and shouldn't have, but. Yeah, uh, I started adding a note on my drawings. That's. Uh, when in doubt, ask, contact our blah, engineering blah, blah, yeah. department for clarification prior to machining. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this note feels really dumb. At the same time, since I've added that, I've gotten about four times more calls. Just to clarify stupid shit. Right. And I'm like, all right, well, it's not a wasted note then. At least these people are looking at it going, oh, I guess maybe there's a thought that like, oh, I don't want to bother them or yeah. something. Oh, yeah. we'll just, it's, this will probably be all right. I don't want to bother them. And uh, my dad estimates for the one company we use and they they came back on the one job and they're like, oh, what, you know, what dimensions should I make the gauge, the mating part for this to? Because it was an abnormal thread that's not even listed in Machinery's handbook. Mm. And so I had to go through and run all the, the math on right. what the thread dimensions were. And then I've got that note on the drawing. And then he, the machinist asked him, what do I make this to? And he goes, note nine. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, note nine. And he goes, when in doubt, ask. <laughs> <laughs> Just figure it out. And he's, I'm like, I got to remove that note if you got me doing hard work. <laughs> now I got to do math for you now because I got a note. I just want to answer a stupid question and be done with it. Yeah, I know. Like, but it's, it's also about if you need to make something different than the way I have it drawn on there, I generally don't care. But from my customer's standpoint, it's way easier to get the deviation on the front end. Sure. I'd rather tell you, yes, it's fine. And then not receive it and go, what the hell is this? Come on, man. I got to do all sorts of work now. Yep. I can put my email with the deviation acceptance down in the receiving packet and then everyone's happy. Sure. And I had another vendor at one point that totally deviated from what we had on the drawing. Like I received it and it's not at all what I asked for. Nice. And I'm like, what did you guys do? And they're like, well... We decided it would be easier to do it this way for when we do the second op. Mm. And I'm like, well, that's funny because <laughs> it ain't going to work for the me. The contract said that you had to have 
prior authorization for any deviations. And you're not getting the second part of this work because you couldn't follow it. And I, we drove, so that company was in Pittsburgh, like right near us. Mm. We drove those parts to Wisconsin to have them done. <laughs> well, but I needed it by someone that was going to follow yeah. the drawings. Right. And I already had to redo them because of the way they were going to do right. it. But it's not up to you, man. You guys are contracted to manufacture it. I rely on you to tell me what you need, and I can respect that. But it, when you do it willy-nilly, it like, kind of drives me crazy. Yeah. Some, I mean, and I even, like, I've, anytime I ask a question of their engineer, I'm just like, I'm, I'm not trying to be a pain in the ass. And he's, he said the same thing. He's like, no, if you need something, I'd rather you ask. So I don't have a problem. I mean, I still, like I said, I still feel like an idiot because I'm just like, you're paying me to make these parts and... I mean, it's not necessarily his fault that the print is shit, but, you know. Other people just don't know, though. Sure. It, the funny thing, though, sometimes you get those and you ask them and they're like, I don't know, actually. <laughs> I don't know why that's not. Uh, we had okay. one. Well, we can't move forward till you get me an answer, all right? <laughs> we had one that it was... Either either way, however it was, it was drawn as a countersink, but called out as a counterbore. But it had the countersink angle. So I looked at it and I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so I called the engineer and they're like, oh, what's well, a countersink? Our computer put it in wrong. I said, oh, oh okay. Your, your computer called it out as a counterbore. <laughs> Okay, I've never run CAD before yeah, in my definitely, life, right? So you didn't click the wrong you, icon? Yeah, and you didn't type in like percent percent B or whatever <laughs> the, the shortcut is? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. Whatever you say. Yep. Yeah, I'll just, I'll go with that. That's why some, sometimes the napkin sketches are a thousand times better. Like, here's what I want. Can you yeah. make this? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> when I had, I had one the other day where I had done a drawing and I asked for a certain material on it. I think I asked for uh, A36 or 1018, and for whatever reason, they wanted to make it out of 1020. Mm. So, something that I don't know if they had it available or yeah. what. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But they wanted it in like a written deviation, and I'm like, if I can allow it this time... It's the same. Yeah, it's going to be Why don't I just update the print right. and I'll have my admin people change the PO to say, make it to Rev B mm -hmm. now. But like, if it's okay this time, why do we want deviations in play at all? Sure. You don't want deviations. I don't want deviations. Yeah, it's just another pain in the ass thing that you have to worry about down the line. And in most cases, I have to disclose deviations to my customer. But... If it doesn't deviate from what they know the part as, no it's harm, not no a deviation. Yeah. We're allowed to make the... It's our drawing. Mm -hmm. We're allowed to make it however we want. Right. So, I guess that's a little bit of a gray area, but, like, not really. What's your... What does your top-level print say? Right. But usually my prints are, like... 836, 1018, 1020, 1026. Yeah, whatever is normal. Equivalent. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, is this close enough? Yep. 
But you, the or equivalent is still with like, with approval. Sure. Yeah, because I mean we've done we've done stuff where we get it and the prints from Germany or Italy or something, and that system is totally different over first there. first angle projection that too yeah but you get like <laughs> material uh 42 crmo4 and it's like what the fuck is that and you look up the equivalent it's just 4140 okay Can, is this this is what you want right. yep it does the does the uh sae4140 work for you though yeah so or yeah. like do i need it certified to your crmo yeah, to, right whatever. to these specs like, because I've seen that with especially Taiwan stuff where mm. it's like, that's their spec. This is our spec. And they overlap about 90%, but like you get material that's outside of it. Sure. Does it matter? Depends on the application. Yeah. I mean, the, the best one is when you like ask the customer and, well, I don't know. Okay. The, you're getting 4140 whether you like it or not. Yeah. Well, the I feel like that Taiwan stuff and where it's like that upper 10% is different is almost the tell. I feel like that's intentional. Probably. Like, you know you're getting... If you send that to the lab, you know it's not U.S. material. Right. Just because there's X amount of garbage in it that shouldn't be there, but... It sticks, so oh, we're but gonna we throw cert- it in there. it's certified as U.S. Oh, really? Because mm. <laughs> uh, the lab says, <laughs> but it's DFARS, I promise. DFARS. Yeah, I know. Well, it's it's American equivalent. <laughs> it's military it's, grade it's, aluminum. It's a qualifying country. Yeah. Like, is it though? Because, like, most of your companies aren't, or countries aren't. Yeah, they're just junk. Like, Taiwan, China, India, Mexico. If you're making stuff there, it ain't DFARS. It's close, but not really. Uh, how about bike parts? What about them? Don't know anything about them. You machining bike parts for anyone currently? Or Current, currently, no, ish. Um, metal bar ends are in the pipeline, so he just rattled off about fifteen messages and a napkin sketch or two about what he wants them to look like and perfect and all that. So I'm like, yeah, cool, I could do that. And he's like, oh, and then. Derek's famous for, he sends me this stuff, I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it, and then he fucking, he'll like, he'll post something like, oh, you know, I'll have the prototypes, like, in a couple months, and I'm like, dude, you can't fucking do that, he's yeah. like, no, I just, I just need something to look at, I'm like, okay, cool, but like, don't, you can't just like, I was like, you don't understand where the fuck we're at, but I'll do what I can. Yeah, I know, and it's tough, because it's like, it's a passion project for you. Oh yeah, and you're like, I'm gonna make this happen. Yeah, but it, like it's yeah, it's it's a little rough, but but I mean, even even when I was running his sprockets, like my boss, because it was done through the shop, obviously. Instead, because it, if it was just through me, I'm an idiot. So I'd just be like, oh, I don't know, just like ten bucks each. I don't fucking care. 
But yeah, yeah, it's just cool to be doing it, man. I love yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So like, but like, I wanted to do them either way. But um, so we put them through the shop, and I threw them on the CNC because I made a couple of my own before, and I made you know a couple demos for him. So I'm like, I know how long it's gonna take, and I could do X amount of them at a time. So that's it. Ended up being like a 45 minute unattended runtime. So I was like, okay, CNC's open. I'm just going to do that. And my boss said something about, you know, we have other jobs or whatever rather than your... How the fuck did he put it? I don't remember. It was something rather than like, you know, the stuff that you just want to run. And I just looked at him and I'm like, dude, I don't have to touch that thing for 45 minutes and it's making money right now. For the shop. It's a... It's I'm a like, shop job. If yeah, you're not I said, happy with the quote on it. Yeah, this yeah. this isn't like a. It's not just like I'm doing this be, on my on the side because the machine's open. I'm like, this is a shop job and it's running and I'm not anywhere near it. I'm on the other side of the shop doing other shit. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, okay. Like he just didn't realize, but it was just one of those things where like, this is your job and you want to run it, so of course you're gonna run it. Well, yeah, but at the same time, I'm not a moron. Like, yeah. I understand that there's other shit to do, but yeah, so that was a fun one too, other than the red anodized, but it seems like most people were kind of stoked on that. They were, and no, still no one can give me an answer on why it did it, on why it was chipping like that. And I asked like three or four people on Instagram that do anodizing. I'm like, why would this do this? And they all just kind of said, I don't know. I got like, I got answers of well red anodize adheres different than black but okay but i don't like like nobody knows why nobody could say and the black was perfect it was crisp there was nothing wrong with it but like the red ones i did too and i i looked and i'm like fuck i hope these all all aren't like that so i messaged Derek and i'm like what do you want to do he's like well run two more and see you know see what they look like they look the same. Then we put them on hold. He put them up, and everybody's like, yeah, looks cool. I like it. Well, fuck it. We'll run them all then. Yeah. But, yeah, nobody's been able to answer why the red ones chipped and the black ones didn't. It's weird. And the only thing that I could think of is the place that we sent them to, I think they did the black ones in-house and the red ones they sent out or vice versa. So, so they might not have been cleaned and prepped Yeah, the there same. may have been something something funny with how they did them. But, I mean, as long as everybody's psyched on them, that's, that's all that matters. And it doesn't feel like anyone that's buying their stuff is doing it because they want necessarily perfect stuff they're just stoked on the brand doing stuff right now and as long as it's like something cool and something like it looks good and and everything everybody's happy and like every time i see a like every time i see him share a picture of somebody with one on their bike i'm just like i'm so glad that it fits because i was so paranoid that the chain like the the teeth pattern was that little bit off that it'd be fucked up even though I was like, I had a, a length of chain that I'd wrap around every other one or every couple yeah. just to make sure that nothing was, nothing was funny, but it's still, still a little. Yeah, paranoid. but it's it's still that uh, that curve for the tooth is weird. Oh yeah, and that that like 
like the relief and everything to go into it. I'm just like, I just, I was just so happy that they actually fit. Yeah, that they looked awesome. I I liked the chipped anodized. So did I. I thought it looked cool. The uh, problem is you probably can't replicate it. I pro I'd probably do the same thing again, and they'd fucking engrave fine. Mm-hmm. Because that would just be the luck of it. I know someone would want one, and you're like, oh, "Come on, man." Yeah, like why? Why won't it do it again? Um. Yeah, because I know you've done stems and stuff in the past too. Yeah, just for myself, they're just like the problem. They're expensive, right? To run like like the, completely uneconomical. I mean, the only reason they are is because of the the old CNC that we have. Like, I it's and it's funny too because I saw I think S and M had a Factory Friday where they show how they make their stems, and I'm like, they do it just as stupid as I do. Not necessarily stupid, it's just that's the machine they have. There's like six setups and all this other shit. That's the the biggest problem. And then you have the other end of it of profile where they just hang on the ass end, do 90% of it in 10, 15 minutes. So, I mean, that's the only reason that I kind of would shy away from them or just straight out say no. I mean, there's a couple times where I did say no just because it was so, you know, so labor intensive. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you were going to make production quantities of that, you'd want to invest in extrusion dies for the body. Right. So you get to extrude the, kind of... the outer profile with the, the inch and an eighth hole mm-hmm. with the slot. Right. So it's and just... if you extrude that whole thing, then all you got to do is come in and clean that hole up, tap the sides and tap your mounting holes and put your like handlebar yeah, bars and in. you're done. And and facing however you need to face right. it. And then extrude the caps so that all you got to do is clean the mounting profile and put your holes in. And you're in. done, yeah. I've like brainstormed whether it would be easier to like do it out of a block on the side, so- you know, just do the side and then clean up the back or there's just no there's just no easy way to do it, you know, in the, like a regular three axis machine. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately that's just why I'm limited to. And then the program size is another thing, but yeah, I feel like they're just completely on un, uneconomical. Yeah. I mean, they, they are, it, like I said, it just depends on what machine you have. And I mean, even the ones that I've done for myself, like they're, they're super blocky. There's nothing real fancy about them mm-hmm. so it's just you know i can't i'm just limited to to what i have so that's just that's just what it ends up looking like uh the nowhere ones came out pretty awesome whoever's doing those i don't remember who's doing them but i saw i saw who was doing them but yeah they're they're really nice i yeah i really like the way that comes out and looks and it's intricate and and it's different you know, much like everything else nowhere does. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else have you been... Like, bar ends, sprockets, not stems. What else is there to do? Have you done pedal bodies? Yeah, I've done... I did a set of pedals. They're another labor-intensive thing. I did two pair, actually. 
one I had is when we first got the water jet, I had the guy water jet the profile and then I just kind of went in and cleaned it up. And then these other ones, the ones that I'm running now, I machined completely. And like I said, that's, you know, six ops that you hope that the bearing or sleeve holes line up <laughs> and nothing binds up or anything. Yeah. But they just, yeah, they're, they're way too intensive. I did get an RFQ from one of my friends that um, does a lot of like design work that he wanted, that the guy wanted mountain bike pedals made that were just like 100% impossible to machine. I guess he found some some guy with a five axis that wanted like a thousand dollars to do them, and I'm just like, yeah, because they're the design is. I mean, they were fuck ugly to begin with, but I'm just like, yeah, it's pretty much impossible without you know an extrusion or something. Mm-hmm. It's 3D metal printing, or that. Yeah, you could do that too. But why? At at some point, you're going for an aesthetic that like people may not care for. And all you're doing is adding cost. Sure. And I don't know. You said your buddy's an engineer. Mm. But, like, some people ask for that stuff, and they don't even understand that. Well, why can't you just put that hole on the side? And you're like, because now I have to rotate the part and put it in the vise again. Right, and then I have to pick that it up again. That hole on that side is going to cost you 70 extra dollars. Right. Like, yeah, do you really need it? Yeah, I don't I think that that's a big part of like the the issue where like everybody is busy because you get a lot of people now that just don't know what it takes to make anything and it's just oh, well, well I need I need this next week. Fucking good for you. Mm-hmm. So does 15 other customers and they've been waiting for their parts for 5 weeks already. So like it's not just this easy throw it in the machine and it just spits it out the back end. Yeah. Like everybody wishes it was. I wish I could do that. Well, I, you got to find a special shop if you're talking about spitting out the back end. Sure. Too. I mean, if you're trying to run production quantities, like you're probably not set up for production quantities. No. With auto bar feeders, auto reloaders. Oh, yeah. It's conveyor discharge of sure. parts. Yeah, we're nowhere near that. I wish we were. Maybe one day we will be. I mean, I don't feel like most shops that you deal with on a regular basis are set up that run like Mm -hmm. that. If you want to run like that, you're running another shift. You're not running lights out. Right. If you could run lights out, I mean, that'd be awesome. But we couldn't do it when I was working at that other company with our sheet metal stuff. Mm -hmm. They had like a... 10 skid tower for all their sheets mm-hmm. and they could have like 30 sheets per per skid and all 10 towers and it could auto change and everything the equipment wasn't good enough to run that way right as soon as you get a sheet out of position or something didn't strike the way it thought it's fucked yeah you, like you you set up to run overnight and you get four sheets in and it's locked <laughs> and you're like awesome right cool that's like that's one thing where I, like I don't know if I'd be able to run lights out, because like even if I had a newer machine that could do it, like I'd I'd just be glued to my phone, watching it, making sure that it's not shit in the bed in the middle of a run or, or yeah. I I just I'd never sleep, because I'd just be so paranoid that it's gonna 
you know, two parts in, a tool's going to break, and then, well, oh, yeah, now you there just, it goes. <laughs> you just butchered it with a chopped end mill. <laughs> right. Uh, when, how many, uh, how frequently do you then have to change your tooling, too? Sure. Like, unless you're running top-tier expensive Kenna metal or whatever. Right, or you have, you know, tooling. overly redundant tooling. You know, like, you see some of the stuff, like, Titans of CNC are using... And it's like, man, one, they're roasting their equipment just to see what it can do. Just for fun, yeah. But you look at their cutters, and there's like 50 inserts on one cutter. Well, no wonder they can hog through that piece of material in one pass. Right. It's because it's not one pass. It's 50 passes. Right. At $20 an insert, so (laughs) you got, you know, what, 10 grand blasting through something? But then... You're not talking about the same wear patterns that sure. you'd see running one part. Right. And, uh, you know, I wore that insert. Well, that one cutter has 50 times the life now because it's got 50 inserts yeah. instead of one. And now you can do that lights out type sure. stuff. But, like, that stuff's it's not cheap. No. <laughs> No, I think one. I think like those end mills that he uses, they're they're like a hundred dollars or one hundred twenty five dollars each. It's like it's yeah. not not cheap. Yeah, <laughs> plus all the inserts you got to sure. put on them. Right. <laughs> yeah, those those things are. I don't even want to know how much those fucking things cost. But they're pretty, they're pretty cool to watch. Every oh, once ab- in a yeah, while, absolutely. So. <laughs> when he's driving something that's the size of your hand through a vice, it's like, ha this is awesome. Yeah, it is. You just <laughs> whatever. <laughs> You're like, I'd, I'd love to do that once. Oh, so would I. Just bury a cut or something. I mean, I've done it by accident, but. <laughs> just full depth and the part comes out okay. And you're yep. like, ugh. Yeah, our spindle gets over like 50% and, I'm, and I kind of start to cringe just, just because it's so old. I'm just like, yeah, I'm not. And then this, you got hit, you got Titan that's running like 125 spindle loaded. He's just laughing at it. Okay. On a brand new machine, too. Yeah. Brand new. You're like, I'm going to wreck this thing. (laughs) I'm going to wreck this thing day one. Okay. (laughs) Eh, whatever. If if you can. Yeah. I'd I'd love to tour his shop just to see if, like, there's the studio shop and then the actual shop where he, like, makes real parts. Or if he just kind of says, all right, I'm going to destroy that machine today. I'm going to destroy that machine today. I'd love to just see that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It might also, like, if you found out that there's, like, this whole studio shop, you might be like, mm. Yeah, the blooms off the rose kind of thing. Okay. okay. Cool. It would still be, yeah, it would still be cool, though. Uh, I've been really enjoying listening to the Practical Machinist stuff on YouTube. Oh, I, I always fucking listen to that I guy. feel like... Uh, Man, his name is gonna slip my mind right Ian. now. Ian, he uh, he he does a pretty good job of like scouring the forums for interesting. I don't know how and... I look on those things and I'm like, it's it's a typical forum, but it's just older guys that are just most of them are fucking old, miserable, and grumpy. Mm-hmm. So it's just like so like somebody will ask a question and it seems like half the time that I click on them, it's like broken English, and then you'll get two responses that are legitimate and then 10 behind it or something totally stupid. Like, oh, did you try running the cutter in reverse? 
<laughs> like it's just all dumb shit like that. It's like, yeah. oh, all right, typical forum. Okay, this is <laughs> I'm done here. The one of the most recent ones he he had was about renting the shop out. Yeah, I I don't to, I don't even I, they know. called him an inventor, but then they like kind of backpedaled on calling the guy that or something. Yeah, like I don't like, even know. I don't know how anyone would get to that point where they're like that because that's just ballsy. Like, oh, I'm going to rent. Can I rent your shop for three months? What? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, at at true cost, sure. maybe. But yeah, there's going to be ground rules. Right. This is what, you know, my shop makes in three months. This is what it's going to cost you. Uh, but what's the opportunity cost? Because you, now you got to have work lined up for sure. the back end of that, too. Right. So it's kind of like you got to charge 30% over what you'd normally make sure. in that period of time. But I actually commented on that one. I don't normally comment on their stuff because it's not my space. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, ooh, this is a good scenario, though. It's skate park. Waivers don't hold up. Sure. So, like, when you're talking about the insurance side of having these people on your floor, I can sign my right to sue away. I can't sign my insurance company's right to sue away. Right. And I have an agreement with my insurance company that if I get hurt, they're going to pay my bills. But, like, the counter of that is they if someone else somewhere. is liable, they're going to go after sure. them. And, you know, you, you get hurt on the floor. Oh, I, you know, I cut myself and had to go get stitches. I can say I did that at home. Which is exactly how we handle it at the skate park. Of course. Uh, where did you fall and break your leg? In the road in front of my house. <laughs> right. And how did you do that? Riding my bike in, in the road house. in front of my house. <laughs> like, so it wasn't anywhere else. No, it was in the road in front of my house. Yep. But when you get hauled off the scene in an ambulance. Sure. Then they know. Then they know. <laughs> or you were out of town. Well, it wasn't in front of your house. Where did it happen? So... That gets sketchy, and I'm like, plus, even people with, like, oh, yeah, no, I'll never sue. It's not up to them. Right. So I have I have a comment on there about that. Like, just keep that in mind, too. Yeah. It's all, like, the little things that you don't, and, don't initially think of. Well, and how do you know that? We only know that because of skate parks. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah, if somebody didn't know, it's like, oh, okay, sure. Oh, yeah, I'll just have them sign a waiver, and it's like waivers don't hold up no. in court. It's a deterrent at best. Sure. It makes you acknowledge that there's risk. Right. So I thought, like, they, they did a good job of saying, uh, you know, maybe you come up with a middle ground where, at this time, we'll shut all the machines down, and then you can come on the floor. Right. Yeah, like after hours or something like that. Yeah, we're still going to bill you time. Sure. But, but yeah, you're not on the floor when things are running. Right. So, that's interesting. Um, they did some other ones about like when the shop is beyond capacity and when the shop is dead that were pretty interesting. Yeah, he's he's got a really good like take on it, and like a lot of because t- like I'll talk to him on Instagram every once in a while, and I'm like, dude, I'd love to send my boss half of these videos, but he just gets so mad because most of them are 
Like anything negative that he says in it is exactly what my boss does. And I'm just, I'm like, I, I want to send it to him, but I can't because I don't want that fucking argument. <laughs> yeah. But it must, that must just be like, we're both millennials. So we both have that same, like a similar line of thinking. Yeah, I feel like it's always a very level-headed base approach. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, none of it's inherently bad. None of it's inherently good, but, like, just watch out. Sure. The the red flags while quoting one had me dying. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. I mean, like, that big one that we just, that we just did is, like, like, he said when the guy initially contacted me, he's like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll send you over a couple... You know, we'll send you over some drawings. All right. First email was 30. And I was like, oh, well, one of our other customers does this. I'm like, this won't be too bad. And then there was another email with 30. And another one, I'm like... So I called him. I'm like, you realize you sent me 90 fucking parts to quote? Yeah, is that okay? I guess it is. <laughs> right. But, but is it... If I... I need to know this on the front end. If I get this one, do I get them all, or am I quoting these as individual bots? Sure. Right. Because that drastically changes oh, your price. It changes the way you have to reach out and get quotes on the material. Sure. Because if you send out a quote for a material and you've got 50 bars of this and 20 bars of that right. and this, all this stuff on one quote, you're getting nice pricing. Sure. And then, but you if get... you send that back out for just two bars of this, yeah, you're you're losing all your quantity break. Yeah, now your price goes up 25, 30% just there. And they're like, well, what happened? Yep. I can't accept your order. This was, this was an all or nothing package. Yeah. I mean, luckily, it was all or nothing. So, well, no, and no complaints. I, you know, again, really. back to like when I'm doing stuff, I try to be pretty upfront on that. Like, yeah, this I, is a package. Sure. I intend to order these together. Because this part interfaces with this part. Right. And you don't want to, from two different you're, places, you're going to ask worry me about for the mating part anyway. I might right. as well have you make them both. Sure. So, like, easy enough. But, yeah. Uh, crazy. Yeah, we have another one, another larger job on the back end of this one from one of our other customers. And they're like, they said, oh, yeah, you've made this stuff before. You know, here's the parts list, blah, blah, blah. And I guess my boss went back and he, you know, looked up the old pricing just to make sure we're not way under or way over from the last time we quoted it. And we turned it in. They came back months later and said, okay, now it's a go. But we're going to have to change some parts. So some stuff is going to be the same. Some stuff's going to be different. Some stuff we only want you to make one of to make sure it works, then make the other ones, da, 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 da. So they sent us all the revised prints and I start looking at them like, these are totally different than half of this stuff. Like I've never even seen any of this stuff. <laughs> no, no, no I, look, I printed them all out. I mean, here, go, you're more than welcome to look back through all of them and compare them. And then he starts getting bent out of shape. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, hey. That's... And then the one part we is the one that's got the most pieces, like the most similar pieces to it. We did them before, had cutters and vice jaws and everything made for them. No idea where they're at. And 
even the cutters, they changed it. So all of the angles are different and mm. yeah. So we had to get cutters ground and everything. And, and then like the old program, the guy that used to run the CNC, like there's, he'll have like tooling notes and it's like tool 17 was my quarter inch end mill that I hand ground a radius on. And I'm like, okay, well that's still in your box and you haven't worked here in six years. So I get that one too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that. We had uh, an interesting one with an ang- It was a custom cutter that they had ground uh, to do a 23 and a half degree per side angle on a groove. And it's the way the groove is measured is at the peak way, opening mm-hmm. to the OD of the groove and then the width of the groove. So you're already like, how the heck do I actually measure? Right. I'll get there. <laughs> um, and then a depth. So they had, you know, the cutter ground exact, ran it around, everything's good. They ran a couple parts, they got it sharpened. No, it's totally And in, instead of short, you know, shortening and then regrinding everything, they just sharpened it and made it narrower mm. and didn't shorten it. <laughs> so it doesn't hit the same. Right. So they, they ran it again this time and we came up shy on the OD and shy on the width. And then that 23 and a half degree, even on the CNC, it was not cutting. It was just pushing and deflecting. Right. So it would change the angle by a degree, degree and a mm. half, but not actually open the the groove, which right. was, it was crazy. Yeah, it, was just, it was kind of just beating it yeah. and not even cutting. So the relief wasn't ground good on the cutter, but I'm like, all right, you guys got to stop pushing on this so hard because at this point you're taking half thou steps and we're changing the degree. Mm-hmm. The angle, and we're not actually cutting. How much tool pressure is on that end mill? I, like you're gonna break that end mill, sure. and it's gonna go flying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They'll figure it out. And it, it didn't end up doing it. They they like manually recut some reliefs on it and mm-hmm. tried to get it. And we ran pass after pass after pass after pass to get it to open up. To where it needed to be Properly, and it was yeah. only about three thou shy right. but it i mean you you moved the the head over four or five thousandths right and it's not cutting and shit. it's not moving <laughs> and you're like all right now we know how much tool how much tool pressure is in a five thousandths deflection right. on an, a one inch shank <laughs> like that thing's scary sure Um, anyway, the way you inspect it is with a CMM. Mm-hmm. You measure the cone, you measure the face, and then you create the intersection curve. Mm-hmm. And then measure what the intersection arc is. And then you do that on the interface. And then you create an equation within the CMM program to subtract the two and divide by two. Jesus Christ. And I'm like, do we really need to do it that way? <laughs> or could we cut a gauge 
that's the OD of the ring with a little relief on it. So even right. if the corner's sharp, you're always yeah, you're good. Still doing it right. If it drops in, you're, you're good. good. And then you make just on the other side of it, mm-hmm. make the no go where it should never drop in. Right. We're good. And then you make just a single profile gauge that's the width, and then use your angle finder. Right. Can we get away with doing it that way? I think we could. Probably. Is the CMM easier? Because I can. it's one of the arm ones. I can set it up just right next boop. to the machine. Yeah. You run your pass. I check it mm-hmm. and decide if it's good or not or right. if you need to run another pass. And that's how we've been doing it. But, oh. like, my CMM blew up. That's fun. I was using it, measuring apart. And it popped, and smoke came out of both ends of the USB cable <laughs> on the computer and the arm itself. <laughs> and I know the motherboard's fried. Yeah. But, like, we all know how electricity works. And if there was, <laughs> if there was too much input on this end of the cable, there's definitely too there much was also too end. much input on the other end of the cable. So I don't know what happened, but it's toasted. So you remember those resources that were allocated and then the order was pulled? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. We should be buying a new arm. I don't know. <laughs> the The worst part about that is that for the last like, six years, well, we've owned it for seven, so probably five years, every year it comes up for calibration. Should we calibrate this? No, we should sell it. We don't use it enough. We right. should sell it while it's worth something. This year, I've used it more than we've used it in the last six years. <laughs> and I have a bunch of jobs I need it for. Of because course. we have it, so it's like, so well, now, I can, desi- now you're using well, I can yeah. design things that need that right. intricate. And we've been getting into more and more fixturing mm-hmm. and brackets. And okay, fine. I can design the whole thing and measure sure. it all together and tell you if it's in line. But yeah, no, I don't have no, one. You can't. And it's it's expensive. But we'll see if I end up getting a new one of those. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely been blessed with where I work where every probably ninety percent of what we do is like plus or minus ten. So if it's I mean really it, it go it comes in and goes out so fast that it's not even like there's there is no inspection mm-hmm. you just my okay the bearing goes here mic it is it good yep all right out the door it's not even like there's no hold on we have to inspect it or put it on the cmm or and yeah the the guys from key it's like they'll come in and just try their damnedest to sell you thirty thousand dollars they are and it's very like, pushy oh absolutely and it's like guys and like my my boss, for whatever reason, is like he will entertain it, and he thinks that a CMM will do, I think, more than it will, or like he thinks it'll like it'll kind of program like a cam track or something for you. And I'm like, you realize I still have to put in every single one of those points, connect them with a spline or like all these radiuses and just say, okay, that's my profile now. Like, no, it doesn't. And it doesn't do that. Like, right. Like, you know, my boss is always like, well, 
why are you the only one that can use that thing? And it's like, look, there's inspection is a giant 3D puzzle. Mm-hmm. And you need to have spatial aptitude to know that if you're holding a part in your hand, to know how it's going to look on the other side and how it rotates and like how to visualize the right. part, you need to understand how you can fixture it. And I think you can teach people some of that. But if someone can't look at a drawing and know how the three views fold into an isometric, I can only teach that so much before sure. sometimes they're just not, not if they're they just don't not have special aptitude. Right. And that's okay. Unless you're an inspector. Sure. So I think that someone can do that part. The thing that I don't think they'll be able to do is come in cold to a part on the floor that doesn't have a program. Yeah, just do it, be and, able to do it. And know hand. enough to set it up and label all the faces on a drawing that is going to go with the program. Mm-hmm. But it's not just what the dimension is. You need to label top face, top flange, raised face, mm-hmm. top flange, lowered face. Flange OD, like all the features you're going to measure and identify over there need to be identified on the drawing. Right. That's also going to help you code it. <laughs> then you have to be willing to write all the comments to the operator. Measure this face and that face. Then you have to reposition your uh, origin and reset all of your coordinate system. And it's like, if you don't know how to do that, and then starting to get into, like I was talking about that, uh, the groove width where you got to take the two features mm-hmm. and, and yeah, set the math problem that out. Yeah. It's not that simple. There's a whole other feature <laughs> where you have to, you have to set up the variables to do that. And then you have to create a generic feature that actually Is pulls the, that the variable yeah, information. So that then you can extract a dimension off the feature. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, if you don't know how to do this, I can't teach you that. Right. And, and I can't take my field tech and expect him to be a computer programmer. If he is, then awesome. But it's, it's got to be the right person. I can't take someone and just train them how to sure. do this. Yeah, I mean, being a machinist is the same way. It's, you can't. The easiest way if, like the easiest thing to, to know, the easiest way to know if somebody's actually cut out to be a machinist is why they're doing it. I wanted to make bike parts. My boss wanted to make bullets. Like if there, if it's one of those things where, oh, I just want to try to be a machinist. You, you might as well no, just not even bother. No, you don't. Cause, cause like it takes at least three years to be able to okay here's the print materials over there don't bother me okay i could do like it's at least three years and that three years is usually what you spend in votech being taught that so like it so mm-hmm. like we'll get kid we'll get i mean we've had kids from the votech school before that just they don't work out because you know you talk to them the most recent kid we have I guess his dad wanted him to be 
be a machinist in the Navy or something. So that's what he was trying to do. But the kid loved diesel mechanics, th- taking shit up, engines and shit apart. You know, we could say to him, take that roller apart and clean it and put it back together. And he wouldn't bother you for fucking anything. But he wouldn't like give up on being a machinist. And we're like, he said something to me the one day about, do you think I'm going to make it? And I said, if you have to ask me that, no. And he got mad. And then he had a, he had trouble where he was breaking inserts or he was having trouble cutting something. And I'm like, you have to be smarter than the part you're working on. And he said, well, what are you calling me stupid? And I said, no, but yes, I guess. <laughs> like I'm not meaning no, to discourage no, you, you aren't, but you aren't stupid, but you're making stupid avoidable mistakes. Right. You're, you're just trying the same shit over and over and it's just not working. So you have to figure out why it's not working or ask somebody why it's not working. Like, don't just keep plowing the fucking tool into the part. <laughs> if you're blowing it to pieces, like it's, it's uh, something, you got yeah. something wrong there, but yeah, he just, it was just like one of those things where he, he didn't want to do it himself or he, he didn't really like it. So it was just like, you're, you could try, you could, Stay here as long as you want, but you're going to have that ceiling. And, you know, like it or not, that's just the ceiling you're going to be at as far as this trade goes. Mm-hmm. Now, go to fucking Caterpillar or something. You'd fucking be a whiz there. But it's not, you know, it's just not worth wasting your time trying to do this. Yep. Well, and you might end up over a Caterpillar and learn the machinist side better. Sure. As like an adjacent to where like, well, right. in, in your repair job, you had to use the mill a bunch of times. And now by accident, you know how to set the mill up and sure. run it like perfect. Sure. Or, you know, you're, it's, you know, you wanted, you know, you're working a Caterpillar and it's like, oh, well I'm making Caterpillar parts. So now I'm enjoying it instead of just, I'm making all these random parts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm an idiot because I enjoy making all the random parts and just happen to get to make bike parts every once in a while. So like, it's just, but you know, it's, it's always still there of like, that's what I want to do. So even when the metal thing came up with the sprockets, it was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to tell this guy. No. Like, even if it ended up being, we had to quote a hundred dollars each for the sprocket, like I'm still going to quote it. So even yeah. whether, even if he says, well, that's a lot to bite off, but go for it. It's still like, I still at least had the opportunity to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Uh, the other the other thing, like you're saying it, it takes three years, but you get people that do it for 10. And still and suck. <laughs> they, they're not actually a machinist. They're an operator. Oh, yeah, there's they're lots an operator. That are, sure. Yeah, there's, and, there's a lot of button pushers out there. And that isn't even their fault half the time. No. It's that they started a company that needs CNC operators. Mm-hmm. They somehow get like a title change along the line or they just call themselves CNC machinists. Right. And, you know, they've worked there for 10 years and they're like, why am I paid so little? I've been running this machine. I know how this machine runs. I know everything about this machine. Right. And it's like, well, you do, but you don't. You've you know how to compensate your offsets and compensate your tooling. But even that, a lot of the time at those shops, you've got a setup guy that comes around. He's he squares your vice. Sure. 
He sets the part up. He runs the first piece, adjusts all the compensations, runs the second piece, and when everything checks out good... program protect on and walks away. Exactly. <laughs> and now you really do just have a button pusher. Sure. And it's unfortunate because a lot of those guys did go into that trade wanting to know. Sure. And wanting to learn and wanting to be able to do it. But that's what they're relegated to. And then they either lose that job or they try to get a job somewhere else and they think they can do it. And they're like, they've never ran a machine. Yeah, they're humbled really they, quick. Uh, my, one of my favorite little stories is from my, my one machine shop I do a lot of work with who was trying to hire a guy. He's like, you know, he had so many years of experience that I just kind of let him be. We, he's like, we had our suspicions. Yeah, yeah, let him dangle. But, you know, I said, I need you to run this part. This part looked doable. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 that's fine. All right, well, Vice is over there. Square it up. Like, you know, get it set up, and I'll show you how to set the part up. He's like, an hour. And he goes out and checks on him. And it's still not <laughs> square. And he's like... What are you doing? <laughs> oh, you know, trying to get this, but every time I tighten it down, it moves. He's squaring it up without, you know, tightening it. Mm. <laughs> it's like, man, I'm not a machinist. I've never squared a vice, but I know that you got to lock one you end. You just got to snug it. Yeah. You got to lock one end, and then you got to snug the other side, and you bring it in with a, a mallet. Yep. Or a piece of lead or something. Just slowly bring it in indicate it in and then lock the last side yeah yeah we have a guy that works for us now and he's we do have him bounce around he's mainly the welder but like he'll run parts like he's running stuff for this one job the big job now and he complains every now and then of like i've been here 12 years or 13 years or whatever it is and i only make this much money and it's bullshit because that guy over there, he makes more than me and he's only been here two years and he calls off all the time. Well, it's like, name me a tool that you've bought in the 13 years you've been here. Zero. Hasn't bought a single fucking tool. Any tape measure that he has is the old one of mine that is worn out like the first two feet because that's half the time I'll use it for. Mm -hmm. But I'm just like, oh, I'll buy another one. I give him that one. I give him that one. I give him that one. Like, he's never bought a tool. And anything that we've done so far on this job, like, have to walk him through the setup. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, you could make the argument of, yes, he doesn't do it every day. But at the same time, you just have to remember. Let me guess, we haven't been recording 90% of this. No, we've been recording. Oh. <laughs> I'm just checking the battery side. So. So it's not dead? No, we got, we're good. We're good. Yeah, but it's like, there's, it's the same thing. It's the operator, but he just, and like, and my, anytime he says that, I say something to my boss and it's just, he says to me, he's like, well, you have to explain it to him like in a nice way, but it's like, how do you really explain to a guy in a, in a nice way? Like you're, you're at that, you're at your pay ceiling, bud. Like you're not going to make any more. Cause you're here, like just step up a little more and you'll yeah. get a little more. Right. Do you, okay. You are maxed out where you're at. Like you give me a hundred percent at what you do and you make what you make. Right. 
you give me 110% of what you do, and you're probably still only going to make 105% of what you're making. Sure. Like, but if you can take on more responsibility right. and learn something else, and now we can really talk. But right. If you don't have to bug me every time for a print because you either can't see it or, you know, it's back to like you said, we're flipping a drawing and seeing what, what it's going to look like. Like I'll make... I'll make larger prints for the weldments and stuff. I'll do three or four for one weldment. He looks at the first one. That's it. There's, there's no other view other than that one. And like he'll say, you know, where does this go? Or and I'll just flip the page. Oh, well, that's where it goes. I didn't look at that. Why the fuck did I print? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And like, so that's kind of similar to, I have a, a test that I give any like potential hires for engineering support. Mm. I call it a test. It's not really a test, but kind of. But it's, it is. It's not testing what it looks like it's testing. Right. So I always preface it with, you have resources at your fingertips. If it is never worth spending a day and a half struggling when you can find the answer out somewhere. In a minute, yeah. So, said so you have me right next to you. I will be here the whole time. If you have a question, Please let, let me, me know. know. You have Google. You have anything else at your disposal. You have ex coworkers, whatever. Just remember that you have these resources because it's not about knowing the information it's about knowing where to find the answers right and being willing to ask when you don't know something so then the very first question is which of these shows third angle projection and it's just your classic third first angle stupid projection little, yeah stupid little print. third angle projection and neither and anyone that guesses at that because they don't know Immediately. I literally just told you you have Google at your fingertips <laughs> 30 seconds ago. If you don't know what that means, type it in Google. And, and you know what's going to pop up? The very first thing, that symbol. And there's your answer. Right. So there's that. Then there's some other, you know, fancy, intricate stuff. There's a proofread this technical paragraph section, which has, is full of grammar and spelling errors. Mm -hmm. But the math is done wrong. There's a unit conversion not done correctly. And most people get the grammar stuff or most of it. Right. Nobody checks the math. Well, I mean, that's proofreading. You're taught that in... In English, literature, but, whatever you want but to call it. But it's not but, technical right, proofreading. Right. And, and my point is always, you know, it's good that you caught this stuff. But it but, doesn't mean shit. But if the technical content is incorrect, it doesn't matter if you typed it perfectly. Right. On the flip side, if the technical content is correct... And you misspell every other word. At least you got your point across. Right. You look like a doofus, but at least your math is right. Right, right. You're not an idiot. So that's like one of them. And then the, the last question is the one that really sets people apart. Do you want to go back through this and 
learn what you did wrong. <laughs> no. Nope. Really? Because that's that's whether I figure out if you know this or not. Or you even want to learn. Yeah, do you want to review it with me? No, I'm good. If you made it through this test and you said no, you've already decided this job's not for you. Right. And that's okay. Sure. That I'm not going to spend my time on it right. either. Yeah, why waste Thank any you. more time? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, most of the people put yes on that. And then you can explain it and t- explain, well, you know, I you didn't have to guess. I told you you had Google. Right. I'm right next to you. You could have just said, I don't know. Can you explain third and first angle projection to me? And I would have done it. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it could be one of those things, too, where, like, even though you're telling them, you know, you can look this shit up, it's like they don't want to do it because if they do it, it's like, oh, well, well, even though it's okay, they're still not going to get the job because they have to look it up. It's a, it's a weird... I, I yeah, guess I could see it I that always way. balance it that yeah. way, but that's why I do try to preface it with like the, I'm not testing whether you know everything. Sure. I'm testing whether you're going to waste our time. Like right. we make our money on efficiency. We don't make our money just logging hours, just right. to log hours. And the point of that, and the reason I even made this test is we were interviewing a bunch of people that had come off contract work. Well, they do make their money logging hours. Right. And only doing that. Right. If you get that job done, you're done. Sure. So, like, it's a whole mindset. And I've said multiple times, I don't want to hire someone that came off contract work. Uh, they've never experienced efficiency. Yeah, it's just, oh, well, we have this long to do it? Okay. I worked contract work at one point. It's the only time I've ever been told work slower. <laughs> and and I was pulled aside for that conversation because I did an entire thing in like no time. Yeah. And my boss said, I need you to go back and I need you to do it the way we told you to. Because if we turn this in, there's no more work here. Like this job is going to pay everyone here for the next three months. And if we do it in a week, then it's done. And we, there's no work. I'm like, okay. I understand. But, like, couldn't we quote the job for less and get more work? No. No. That would make too That's, much sense. It, well, it's not really the way. There's only so much of that, right. you know? But... Like, they needed exploded views, and they were sent the inventor file of the assembly. And instead of exploding the inventor file in sections, right, and exporting that as a you know black and white regular isometric, we were doing it in AutoCAD Lite and redrawing all the parts individually and then importing them in and creating assemblies in AutoCAD Lite. That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> but and, then, and then, to add to it, we weren't really supposed to communicate with each other. So mm-hmm. I would be working on a batch of parts and you would be working on a batch of parts. And unfortunately, no one knew what the assembly was that they were going into. <laughs> 
So we'd be 90 degrees off from one, from each other on the final <laughs> orientations, and then we'd have to redraw them. Oh, amazing. <laughs> God. It kind of. <laughs> it's really comical to think back on. Oh, sure. Like, but, but so but, frustrating to know that they had the inventor model. Right. And I mean, it's shit like that where you kind of... It's one of those things where, like, no, I'm not shit like that. I'm not surprised that the world is where it's at. But at the same time, it's like, how did we get there? You you know, it's the customer knows that they have the inventor (laughs) file because they sent them the inventor file. The customer knows how How long that should take to export those. And I guarantee you, the customer knows that those weren't an inventor. They're gonna look at those and go. Did they redraw this whole thing? Yeah, that's that's very easy to to tell. <laughs> I don't know. I, like, I have fond memories of that because of how dumb it is. But man, that was really dumb. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we've all had those, I guess. Plus, just doing. All right, let's be realistic. Doing holes in isometric view. In AutoCAD Light, so there is no 3D aspect. So I know. That's what actually we, that's drawing what isometric. Use, yeah. You have to tip yeah, it's the terrible. ellipse to an angle so that it looks right. Like, yeah, it's and then offset it into the, like, what are you doing? Yep. Horrible. Which I tried to, there was a couple of things where I tried to draw an isometric, and I'm like, just to kind of get it across to the customer a little better. And I was like, this is taking me three times as long as it took me to just draw like the f- three, four views in mm-hmm. in AutoCAD in light. I'm just like, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? Right. You could just do it in Inventor yeah. or do it in Cam Yeah, for all it's worth to go, look, this is what it looks yep. like. Yeah. Now I do it in Fusion and it's, it's fantastic. This makes life easier. But then you send, you know, you send the the little fusion link to a customer like what am i supposed to do with this i'm like fucking click it maybe and it tells you what to do but that's what happens when your customers uh, are all older and aren't quite sure <laughs> on computers i got an i got an awesome one the other day from a customer that needs a fabrication done of a whole piping assembly and they're like, well, that's all, that's the drawing. That's what we have. And, you know, my guys are used to, like, an actual contractor mm-hmm. that has to have fully approved plans. Right. And, you know, you're working with some of these DOE contractors, and they really do have the cut list of all the pipes and mm-hmm. every item and all the mitered lengths and just every detail of the right. design. And this is, I would call it a glorified napkin sketch. (laughs) They did it in AutoCAD. Mm -hmm. But it's like half-assed. Well, but they don't know what they need. And then they send the AutoCAD file to me. And I'm like, well, we don't have AutoCAD for one. So I can either import it into SolidWorks or I can import it into eDrawings. E-drawings, at least I can, like, measure everything. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know how it's scaled. It says it's scaled. 
So I start measuring stuff, and yeah, okay, this dimension does measure out mm. to that. And then I start finding stuff that in the That's same view, <laughs> this one's right, and this one's an overridden value off by over a foot. <laughs> so now I'm like, okay, we can't rely on any of this. And it's, a, it's the same pipe off the same face in two different views with different values for that height. I'm like, so this is manually overridden for sure, but which one's right? Right. Did they override it because real quick they knew that they needed it higher now? Right. And didn't think to go over here and Instead do it? Instead of just scooping it up a little didn't bit. didn't want to offset everything and move it? I'm like, so I, we can't rely on this. Like, it's going to require a system lockdown. <laughs> and then... Well, how, you know, how many pieces and how much pipe do I need? And like, I mean, I can go through and measure your total lengths of pipe on here, but it's not right. Cause I don't know if these numbers are um, right. Yeah. And I'll scale it and I'll tell you what the total lengths are. And maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. Just uh, like add 20% to whatever length I give you. And that's how much you're going to buy. Mm-hmm. So that they did that, and then there's a count of welds that have to be done. And our weld guy came in at 100, and I'm like, I think it's low, man. I think it's real low. Start, you know, I'm zooming way in. Cause right. He's only got the PDF because mm. no one else has e-drawings or anything. And I'm like, this whole assembly of one-inch pipe, they don't even have in the cut list. So now I'm looking at all these junctions and they're all calling for socket weld flanges. Mm. So you basically just double the quantity of welds. Sure. So now I got to weld this flange on so that you can weld the, <laughs> the, other the, piece to it. The, the valve to it. Yeah. And then on the other side of the valve, you have another socket weld flange, which, like just stacks. And then I'm pushing, we need to do drawings for all this work regardless like there's two different stages of engineering in this job we may or may not have to do the high level engineering which is actually figuring out every single thing to it the cut list right and all that stuff but there's low level engineering which is okay well they gave us all the dimensions and the parts how do we want to break this down to what we're going to make Okay, we cut the pipe to this length and we weld prep the ends and that's that's our weld prep. Mm -hmm. Drawing for that. Uh, any sub-assemblies we want to do before we want to do all these in the shop so that we can take it out in the field and slap this thing on, together right. where all you're doing is cutting a pipe to length and weld prepping the end. Mm -hmm. So all that stuff, I'm like, we have to do that anyway. You don't charge the customer for that as additional time. You wrap that into your quote. Right. But if they need us to design this thing for them, we do have to charge for that time as additional. Sure. That's, that one got totally crazy. <laughs> My weld count was 160. The weld guys was 100. And actual was like 240. And then I got accused... <laughs> Well, I got accused of, well, are you just counting them in every view? Mm. And I'm like, yep, I am an engineer, man. 
I know how to look at a drawing and go, ah, that joint That's is this joint. <laughs> Don't count that one. He's like, oh, I just had to, I, you know, I had to ask. I'm like, I have the file. I can zoom way in on it and see what they're putting these different socket weld flanges in and everything. But again, it's only as good as the 2D drawing I have. Sure. I mean, if I had a 3D model and I could pan around it, I could really it's show okay, you. Okay, yeah. But I don't know. Work with what you got. I don't know if it's any good anyway. <laughs> Is that even what they want? They didn't spec any valves. They just said two-inch socket weld ball valve. Okay. That's what you get. Does uh, flow, dimen- flow direction matter? Does pressure rating matter? Is it extreme temperature? Mm-hmm. Do you want soft-seated or metal-seated? Like, there's a whole, whole bunch of stuff that goes with that. What's your actuation type? Do you want the valve levers right there? Is there an orientation that's critical? Mm-hmm. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out later. What what sensitivity do you need on your gauges? Do you yeah. want water filled or air filled? <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> well, water doesn't have the shock factor if you have high pressure differentials quickly. Do you need digital gauging? <laughs> just a gauge. Just need just need to know what's in it. Okay, so now you're going to have a guy run out there constantly? Probably. Well, and then, I mean, we had totally different. We had another one where the customer wanted continuous sensing of a, a level of fluid. And that was, so they wanted it like they needed 60 readings per second and the the alarms to go off at this range and it's like a very large range mm-hmm. i'm like well if your range is that high do you, one do you need that you, sensitivity yeah, you really need it like would 10 readings a second be sufficient because we're talking about a big difference right in, in the technology even oh you know 60s you know pretty much what we really need we really want that and it's like, okay. And what are you doing right now? Well, three times a day, someone walks out and puts a stick in there, and then we measure how wet the stick is. I fucking love it. <laughs> I fucking love it. I'm like, so you don't really need like all this electrical pulse level sensor or you any of this. Legit, stuff. just need something that'll shoot you where it's at three times. You a just day. need something a little bit better than what you have, and like. At that point, a reading every five minutes would be sufficient. Right. I mean, more data is not necessarily good data. No. You're just now you're just storing excess data and there's a cost to that. And then you're just gonna like you're eventually gonna get to the point where you're just micromanaging it down to you know, your tolerance levels just getting smaller and smaller and smaller because now you can see how far you know how far your gap actually is and it's like if you don't need it then why do it i mean if you wanted to set up a temporary setup just to monitor it and see what actually happens mm-hmm. i understand that sure. 
but as the full long-term solution, you've, you've created a resolution that is so fine that it's not even in the scope of what you've been doing. Yeah. If that has worked for you for 20 years. Then just go I, with the dumb, like the dumb, the <laughs> dumbest possible thing. That's just a step up from a person with a dipstick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Literally a dipstick. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we see that all the time too, because one of our customers is a brewery, and they they have a crew of engine quote unquote engineers in there that they'll get new machinery in. The company that built the machine will come and install it, get it everything running, test run it, the whole nine yards. Okay, here you go, you're good. The minute they're out the door, they're already bastardizing the thing because, well, this isn't going to work the way we want it, and that's not going to work, and this has to go here, and it's not going to work there. And it's like, why don't you just tell the guys that designed the machine while they're still in your facility, like, hey, can you move this here? Can we do – but they just start hacking it up, like, day one, Mm -hmm. and then they wonder why things don't work down the line. Yeah. But what do I know? We we had, when I worked at this other place, they were buying Brock crimping dies and machines. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a a eight RAM system or something. Mm -hmm. We were doing it with six. Mm. And, or the other way around. Yeah. And somehow one of our maintenance guys figured out a way. To run this to do a hex crimp with even pressure and everything and get consistent results mm. after they had told him it wasn't possible. Well, then he's just doing and it. Then, doing it and the then doing it. they wanted to come back in and see how he did it. And he's like, <laughs> no, no. Why? I'm not giving you that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> not a chance. Uh, I got to. An interesting thing I'm going to send you before we're we're done here. That's uh. Do you know what polygon turning is? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know it's conventional cutting on a CNC. That makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of climb cutting though, it's, so it's yeah. conventional cut with with an offset weird third tool. That's some that you time everything. Yeah. Just right. And All right fucking sorcery. so you know what it is i found a video on youtube of a guy that converted one to run on a manual lathe <laughs> i mean i guess you could so he's got another gear like a sub shaft running off the main drive all the way over to the other side of the machine and then a pulley drive system up to a car CV joint that then has the polygon turning tool on it. So So he can control the speed ratio by adjusting his timing belt over here. Some people have too much time on their hands. (laughs) In theory, you should be able to start and stop the spindle and recut because it's Mm -hmm. all timed out on the same system. to To the same output. So he had... He's got it on a CV joint, so now he can index it at an angle, and he's cutting chamfers on the hex. Oh my God. 
And I'm like, this thing is amazing. <laughs> like, you're a genius. Evil genius. It is not in English. Of course not. But it's not. subtitled, so you can read it. <laughs> of course not. That shit's never in, <laughs> no. in English. No, because it's some crazy guy over in his garage that just figured this yeah, out. Yeah, just has nothing else better to do. <laughs> it's awesome. So I was already stoked on it, and then there's the one part where he like needs a, a mounting block for it, and then he's outside and he casts his own out of aluminum. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I love this video so much. Oh, my God. If I remember to, I'll include the link in the <laughs> podcast, but it's going to be the only just, link. And everybody else will be like, what the fuck are these two idiots even into? I mean, if they we barely yeah. even talked about BMX. I was, I was just so going to say it's in here still. In case anyone ever, you know, is man enough to listen to this, whatever, however long it is. Uh, I mean, you listened to the one I did with Matt Smith a little while ago, just mm-hmm. talking about other, like, BMX adjacent yeah. stuff. And I feel like it's the more interesting at this point. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, everybody knows what BMX is. And really, like, I don't know, is there really all that much to talk about? No. Yeah. There, but there is adjacent to it. Yeah. I mean... At this point, bike parts. I feel like that's a valuable discussion in and of itself Mm -hmm. for a lot of people because people don't understand what goes into it. No. I mean, let's talk real quick about if I call you up and I ask you to make me four pegs and I need them heat treated in black oxide. (laughs) I've got. $180 $180 a peg minimum in material and setup cost. Just I've yeah, got a $125 lot charge minimum on the heat tree mm-hmm. and at least $100 on a black oxide. And there might be a third party in there for sandblast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's about right. And it's like, okay, that all divides by four other than the $180 a piece. So yeah, you're about... Like, $250 a peg. <laughs> right. And then you're like, okay, so now if I order 100 we haven't exceeded the lot charges. Right. We're By weight, we're still, the heat treat's still 125 and the black oxide's still 100 Sure. Roughly. But we're dividing that by 100 now, and your parts cost and material cost went down to, right now, everything's about, Last time I got them quoted, I think they were eighteen a piece. Yeah, that's not that's not bad, but that's retail. It's, right, right. It's I, unless I can sell them at thirty. Right, I I can't do that because that doesn't allow me to give any away and host jams sure. and stuff. And I mean that's, you know, that's just from a from a usual machine shop. You know, if you get somebody like me, if I had the like a CNC lathe and everything, it's one of those things where, you know, I, whether it was my shop or not, I mean, I would probably do it on the side anyway. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't my shop, if it was my shop, I'd cut you a break just because it is a passion project. And it's like, yeah, I can, you know, I can obviously do these for X amount, but Mm -hmm. you know, I, I do ride and it's just, it's just one of them things where I would cut you a break on it. And and see, I do typically get a break cut on it, yeah. Because 
the shop that does it for me is the shop I send the most work to. Sure. So it's kind of a, uh, you know, you, you guys take care of me pretty good. I, I can take right. care of you on this and, you know, I'll do it at cost. And if you're not busy on the time, I'll stack the 4140 right. on the next batch that I need to order for something else. Yeah. Like, can you sneak this in kind of thing or yeah, it's just. Well, not even just sneak it in. It's just that I'm then I'm getting a, an actual like discount on right. the volume of material. Right. Yeah, the first time around, and then next time you, they already have it. Yeah. So, like, that's typically worked, but like, my cost used to be nine dollars and eighty one cents per peg finished with heat treat and everything yeah, on no, it. It's, it's, and now it's like it crept up and crept up and crept up, and that. At thirteen dollars a piece, I was still selling them at twenty. Mm-hmm. But what am I selling them to the shops for? Right, fifteen. Sure. And then they're making a larger profit dollar-wise than I am, which is typically fair because I should be selling higher volume than they sure. are. But that's not how like the super small business is yeah that, that's not how smaller companies work it's you know like even the like the metal sprocket deal i don't remember how much they were like how much we sold them to him for but like he didn't i know for like he i know what we sold them for and he didn't make that much per sprocket no like he even when i turned in the price to him he was just like man that's kind of steep and i'm like well yeah it's you know would I be able to do them faster on a faster machine? Sure, but you know the material was double because we went with seventy seventy five instead of sixty sixty one. So, mm-hmm. you know, right there is whatever the material is, you're double the cost. Yeah, and I kind of tried to talk him out of it too, but he's just like, I want them to last. Okay, say no yeah. more. I'm fine with that. It doesn't matter to me. Right. Well, and I guess that's kind of the the point, right? You're going to pay for a premium, pay a premium dollar for a special run of something. It might as well be good. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Why make a, a special run of a piece of shit? <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't, hey, you want that material? This is what it's going to cost. And like I said before, if, if he would have said that's too much, okay, that no yeah. problem. So, so it's tougher in BMX. But from a, a business standpoint, I say this a lot to my boss, but I don't believe in apologizing for pricing. No, I don't either. We charge what we're worth. Sure. Take it or leave it. And I can justify my pricing. Right. If you really want to come down and know, I can show you our cost. I'd rather not tell you what profit margin we're running on because it's just going to nickel and dime me. Right. But, but if you really want to know, here's the price breakdown. Yeah. And I mean, you know, me saying take it or leave it, I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just, you know, like yeah. you said, this is what it's going to cost us to make them. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people, it's they look at it that way and it's like, oh, well, you're, you know, I could buy a stem for 60 bucks and you're charging me 50. Right. Well, go, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. That, that's fine. But this... This is what it's costing me to make. You're you're not ruining my day by not buying my product. Sure, Sure. you and that's that's one thing. Whether it's you know whether it's 
the shop or whether it was the skate park or the cafe, like her and I, we don't need every customer. Yeah. And no one needs every customer. And I'm not sorry. Right. Look, the material costs this much. We have this much time into it. I 30% of the jobs I quote you, I have to quote seven times before I get the order. Right. And no matter what, there's always like, whether you get the job or not, there's always time that you lose. Mm -hmm. Whether it's like you said, quoting the job seven times, like you're not, you may or may not be, but chances are you're not rolling, requoting that in to every requote because sometimes, but most of the time the quote has to go down Yeah, to get the job. So you're, eating it and eating it and eating it and well, it's like it's, it's for us it's not usually requote because of cost right it's requote because the quote's only good for 30 days mm-hmm. but the project they know it's going to take them 90 days to, to get, get approval, approval right or six months to get the approval and they just need to know like whenever it's going to happen they need to know the current price Ballpark, so they right. just hey just re-up that quote mm-hmm. make sure i need a current version so Sometimes I won't even go back to my vendors though. It's like, Hey, look, you just quoted this last month. If I keep asking you to quote this, you're going to get annoyed. Sure. And frankly, I need you working on the other stuff that I have you working on. Right. And I want to be a good customer that you want to do work for. So it's like, every time a customer calls up and says, Hey, you know, can you requote this for me? It's like, add 3% to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. just make life easier. <laughs> and I mean, my boss will do the same thing. He'll go back and he'll look at stuff from a couple of years ago. And I'm like, why are you even... Like, if it's a year ago, okay, to just say, all right, well, we made this, you know, the material go up or did you take longer, shorter, whatever. But like, if it's years ago and you're digging through stuff to try to find... Just requote it. Just requote like, it. Like, dude, don't even, don't even bother. Or if you do find it, just look at it. Like, oh, well, this was five years ago. Okay, add 5% per year and call it even. Add 10% on, per year. On the whatever. labor. Yeah. On the material. Act right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, material is a different story. But yeah, just, hey, if double the material, tack on whatever for labor. Don't, you know, don't make more work for yourself than you really need. If we got it once before, we're probably going to get it again and just be done with it. Mm-hmm. If we didn't get it the last time, then are we going to get it this time? Is it worth even bo- is it worth even putting the effort into it? Yeah. But it, like you know, I might ask the vendor every third time I have to requote it. Right. Hey, yeah, what requote a- this. And then we start to get, you know, we went up, we went up, we went down a little bit. And then they're like, "Okay, so we're following the market trends right. now." And then I go up, I go up, we come down a little bit. Sometimes we come down even more than we ever were. Yeah. But at least at least we've got real values and I haven't annoyed the crap out of my vendors. Sure. Uh, yeah, I feel like lot charges was a big thing for people though. That I don't think a lot of people understand lot. Charge. No, they, they don't. They and don't I mean, understand setup. Yeah. It's, it's tough to even explain that to anybody. Cause even after you do it, Oh really? Like they, they act like they get it, but they don't. Cause it, cause not many people deal in lot charges. You know, you, you go to the grocery store, you don't, you don't get, if you buy, if you buy $10, whether you get one banana or 25, right. It's still, 
<laughs> per pound. So it does, so does, you know, do you get a price break if you buy 50 pounds at the grocery store as opposed to 10? No, they're fuck you. You're still going to, you're just buying us out of fucking bananas. Like they yeah. don't, they don't, it doesn't equate to them where if, you know, if you would go to the grocery store, Hey, if you buy one banana, it's a dollar a pound. If you buy 10 bananas, it's 75 cents a pound. It's like, Oh, maybe does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of. Oh, now they get it. You, so it's, you're just trying they, to they sort do of see that, but it's never advertised that way. It's always like buy two, get one half off. Right. Or like, there's some complex like per ounce math yeah, done on the, out, the yeah. ticket and you got to look at all the b- variants and figure out which one has the best cost per ounce. Right. Or it's, or like, you know, you go to the store and you buy, buy as many boxes of cereal as you want. And then when you get to the register, we're going to charge you a hundred dollars. So whether you buy one box of cereal or a hundred dollars, hundred boxes of cereal, it's going to be a hundred dollars. Right, but, but what are people going to do? But if they're going to fucking buy a hundred boxes because oh, it works out to a dollar a box instead of a hundred dollars per box. Right, but if That's you get if you get one hundred one, now you're at now you're paying one hundred one dollars. Like once you hit your lot right. charge, yeah, you're now you're going over. Yeah, but it's it's hard to to like get that across to people, and especially you know like you said, most of the time you're doing small batch, you're not doing large batch. Especially in USA BMX stuff. Like, yeah, it's like a large batch is 50 because yeah, like even pegs, pegs are tough because how often do you go through them and it's a niche product, right? But like I looked at grips at one point and it was like, you got to pay I forget what the ridiculous dollar amount it's probably for like mold 10 was. Grand, yeah, like ten grand up front. Not over in Taiwan. It was way less. It was yeah. like twelve hundred dollars or mm-hmm. something. But yeah, ten grand if you want wanted like ODI, From ODI or yeah. And I think it was a minimum of a thousand on the first run. And I'm like a thousand pairs. Yeah. And I'm like. All right, so I'm pretty confident I can move like 50 pairs, <laughs> but I don't know what the heck I'm doing with 950 yeah. other pairs of the grips. fuck am I gonna do it? I'll never sell them in my life. And unless they're an exact ripoff of long necks, there's no point. Right. I'm like, oh, we could have another. Uh, what was the FBM one that was terrible? The double fister grip. Yeah. <laughs> You could have another horrible grip that you can't get, you can't give away. Yeah. I mean, that that's, but then you take, then you look at mountain bikes and like the cost of everything is doubled, tripled, quadrupled. And those fucking yo-yos will buy anything that they, they, they just buy it. They love it. It's like, okay, a fucking stem is $200 and then you can't keep them on the shelves. And it's like, what, what? And they got my dumbass and your dumbass. We're fucking around with BMX parts for a bunch of broke idiots that fucking that would rather live in a fucking uh, in their car. I'll I'll still say <laughs> on pegs like it's the only part you're putting on your bike to intentionally destroy, smash, and destroy, and people are putting plastic on there. Yep. Yeah. Actually, so. I was just at Ray's 
And I only saw one set of plastic bags the whole day. That's because all the old school dudes go to raise. That's how, the, when we I, were there, I a thought that weeks was ago, really interesting, though. When we were there a couple of weeks ago, there was a bunch of sh- of street dogs in the back, in the the kink room yeah. back there. They all had plastic pegs, but yeah. See, that's where I hung out a bunch, and it was like all metal pegs. Huh. And I'm like, interesting. I wonder if it was a fluke or if the trend is reversing. I'd I'd hope so. Plastic pegs make me feel uncomfortable. I just don't like the way they feel. Yeah, I don't like the way they. Sound. I I do need a pair. <laughs> Or a set, because, like, a lot of places are becoming plastic pet yeah, only. Right. But I hate to perpetuate that also. But I wouldn't mind having them. If, if for that, and even, um, like, Kaczynski was running, I think, two of each at one point. Mm-hmm. So he had, like, his primary side was steel. The other side was plastic. Right. Then... If you were at a certain spot and you needed it differently, you just turn the front wheel around and switch your backpacks. Ah. So you kind of had everything on you all the time instead of doing a full swap. Kaczynski's smarter than everybody. Makes sense. But then, and then you see like, uh, I think it's Ryan Howard, um, has like all different lengths of pegs and all different types and sizes and like well maybe i need a you know 3.75 inch plastic and a five inch long metal on the front for this 60 40 thing that i'm gonna do that this doesn't slide but that does that's just too much it's grind science yeah i guess so i don't know much about that (laughs) I had a, I've had the same pair of pegs that I made on my bike for like fucking 10 years, if not longer. Yeah, I've, I change mine every time I build a new bike, but like, don't need to. <laughs> I don't need to. Just do it on principle. But if I change them and can hook up a kid that can't afford pegs right. with a set of good pegs, then cool. So, again, like facilitating doing cool things right um i've been talking about one product for a long time that i really want to make is the pegless peg just a washer just a washer that's fucking awesome but a good hardened (laughs) Mm -hmm. washer that doesn't suck into your dropout and then just not work because you get cheap washers so just like a quarter-inch 4140 washer. Yeah. <laughs> I, not even three-sixteenths. <laughs> just something thicker than a shitty washer. Right. I like it. I, I think it, like, it would be funny in a bag, like packaged <laughs> as a peg. Pegless the pegless peg. peg. But it's seriously, like, I know a bunch of pegless dudes that really actually want it. Mm-hmm. So I finally went out to a washer place and tried to get it quoted. Mm-hmm. Submitted the request online, like, here's the OD I want, here's the ID mm-hmm. I want, here's the thickness I want, here's the tolerances. Picked the material on their drop-down list. 
4140 heat treated. Mm. Submitted the quote and get the the quote back in like a half hour in the email. Find it, see the attached quote. I'm like, cool. And I open the quote, no quote. We don't stamp 4140. Mm. It's on your drop down list. Mm. Also, don't do it also, anymore. can you like, maybe you should have said in there, or 4130. Because now I got to come back to you and ask, can you do it out of 4130? Right. Yeah, what can you offer equivalent? Right. Like most places would make a suggestion like that. So I'm already like checked out on that place. My my feeling on how it needs to be done is not even stamped because I don't want all the waste. Mm-hmm. I want to just buy the bar stock, plunge drill, and then part them off. Three or four inches in, part it off, plunge drill, part it off, and just go that way. Like a water jet them too. And then you could. And then I'll have a quart for you by the end of the week. All right. <laughs> and then if you if you kept plunging and parting it off though, at some point you just change the drill to the smaller drill or mm-hmm. the larger drill. And now you've got your three eighths and your fourteen mil. Right. All right, well you're gonna make me do a drawing for it then. No, just tell me OD, IOD. I'm not that stupid. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> I, realistically, I could just send you the the peg file because <laughs> I just want the, I just the want the back of it. <laughs> cut the tube off. And yeah. Figure it out. So, that's that's where it's at though. It's like they shouldn't be that expensive. No, I remember we got we got a specific and washer. We, I think with from that, a company that was all stamped like that. And I think we had to order like a thousand of them. We still have like three or four boxes because it, it was, it was a washer that we used as a spacer, but it had to be like a specific mm-hmm. make up a specific spacing and all this other shit. So we had, yeah. to, we, like I said, we had to order like a thousand of them. Yeah. And I feel like if you do that, You should be able to do it out of pre-hard because it's just a washer. Yeah, there's nothing. The to the it. difference of the twenty-five to thirty RC versus the thirty to thirty-four. Yeah, it's really nothing. You're gonna get softer towards the middle, but it's still not like grade five washer. Right. That's just gonna Soft. taco on you. Or I guess half of what people are have are all aluminum at this point. Oh, yeah, why did the, that suck into the dropout an her, eighth her. of an inch? Gee, I wonder. Because you're <laughs> tightening the living piss out of it. <laughs> Maybe. So, yeah, we'll, we'll do something with that. I can't... I hate to throw prices on it, but I, I hate to think that they're going to be... To get 50 of each size, so 100 total. Mm. Five bucks a piece, roughly. The material's expensive, but... You're only using, you're using three sixteenths of an inch, and then your parting tool between parts. So you're using probably five sixteenths right. per part. But if all you got to do is plunge, and then part, 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 plunge, right, 
Yeah, you might come much. in okay. Where's McMaster? Just for shits and giggles. <laughs> oh, look at that. 4140 alloy. I fucking use it a lot. <laughs> Um, the the funny thing is we probably are paying McMaster prices because <laughs> on everything well no but I'm thinking even at a hundred washers at five sixteenths of an inch we only need six inches oh no 60 60 I'm just thinking water jetting it but I mean yeah let's see where I could Come up with thirty something. inches, thirty-one and a quarter inches. Yeah, so that's only three plus feet. plus whatever you need to hold. Right. Yeah, so three. So feet you buy a three-foot bar and we'll yeah. run a hundred right. off. If only I had a CNC lathe. Maybe one. Yeah, day. so you could walk away from it. Oh, absolutely. I will one day if I have anything to do about it. One day. Yeah, I. I gotta actually get that quoted that way because you plunge that drill and you, if you can yeah, part that's twenty, nothing. you're only doing six drill plunges. Yeah, on, you could probably get on the at least, ten mil. Yeah, you, you can, can probably like, go four to five inches yeah. each. The the fourteen, you can go even further. I think it's three ninety three. Is uh ten mil? Ten, yeah. With ten mil with clearance and then five ninety five maybe for uh, for well, fourteen clearance. Five fifty is fourteen, so you could just yeah. go nine sixteenths and be yeah. done with it. I think that's all I forget what maybe it's five sixty five I've got on the print. Probably. I know it's pretty tight. G seven tolerance. I don't know, plus or minus, <laughs> plus or minus three, man. Close <laughs> enough. Just uh, try to keep it simple. Easy peasy. But I've got an early morning. Yeah, you and me both. I always have an early morning. I got to be at the, well, theoretically, we could address the situation quick. <laughs> theoretically, I have to be at the airport probably by 4.30. When does your flight leave? 6.30. You could be there at like... 5. 5.30. Easy. Because we, we flew the one time out of Avoca. I think the flight was... I think it left at like 6.30 or 7. And we didn't get to the airport until like half hour before our flight. Because it's, li- it's literally TSA line, the two terminals, or the two gates. There might be four. And that's it. That's funny. It's a little baby airport. Now, when we flew back in, we were... It's for the better. There were a couple dudes in front of us. They were, I don't know, they worked in some warehouse or something. And when we flew in, like when we landed, all they were doing was talking shit on the airport. Like, Jesus Christ, the place we're going to work is bigger than this. And I said, hey, still fucking got you where you needed to go. And it's for the better. Like, yeah, it feels stupid and small, but like, you landed, you picked up your bag, and you turned around, and you got your rental car. Right. Yeah, you don't have to go halfway across the fucking city, city-sized city airport 
to fucking get to your rental car, and then you have to go from the rental car desk, take another bus down to the fucking garage, and then find it. I think it was Casper, Wyoming. Their airport that we flew out oh of. Oh, my God. I can only... It, I, it probably, I'm pretty sure... It's probably half the size of this one. I'm pretty sure we got there, and there was just no security. I just don't care. No, it was like security was closed oh. until like, nice. uh, unless there's a flight that's about to board, mm. they didn't even open security because like, why bother? That's probably how this one is up here. <laughs> and that, that was so funny coming from like Pittsburgh where they've got primary security and secondary security yeah. where if it's busy enough, you can go across the road and through the catwalk and then into <laughs> alternate security which funnels you into the same spot for terminals but just you, a longer walk but you can get through faster if you're willing to go to alternate mm-hmm. if they're open interesting but anyway the the scenario is that my flight got canceled out of Syracuse today and I'm supposed to be in Illinois tomorrow so, on my drive to the airport, I got the text that said, your flight is canceled. <laughs> Fuck you. So it's going to snow. I called my boss. I'm like, hey, I just got the text that this is canceled. So, I'm going to make some calls to United and see what I can do. Like, where, what are the options? What is it looking like? And, you know, what's the forecast on this are they going to be canceling more they're not going to tell me that but of course not but for sure that one and then all the others um so i'm like all right let's see what we can do and then she's like well do you want me to call them and thinking oh that'd be kind of nice but like why don't you call the customer and i'll deal with the united because it's going to be easier for them to deal with me about my right. flight than somebody else. So she talked to the customer, made sure it's fine to like show up around noon tomorrow. If you're lucky. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> uh, in theory, I should be landing out there about 10, 15. Which isn't terrible. No. But... But it's not going to happen. Probably not. I'll I'll be very shocked with the storm that they have forecasted and everything. I saw it's either going to be kind of shitty or it's just not going to happen. You know, like the one last weekend where everyone was worried. Because we went out to the Mm -hmm. Woodward Open Session and everybody's worried because everybody's telling me to drive safe, drive safe. I'm like, I'm fucking fine. All it did was rain the whole way out. Yeah. And it wasn't even bad. Like, I... We wrapped our seats in our grips. Not a fucking... There really wasn't even a drop of rain on our bikes. I'm like, oh, well, this is good. I mean, it's... See, it might. It's supposed to start snowing by midnight. And it'll be below freezing by 4 a.m., which means there's going to be that nasty base. Yeah, you're... You'll and be, then you'll it's going to freeze... Don't get your hopes up. We'll we'll put it that way. Um, but the funny part is, like, 
I ended up booking down here because it's two hours, two and a half hours south of Syracuse. Mm-hmm. It's like the best shot of getting out I've got. Yeah. As opposed to Binghamton, Elmira, or Ithaca. But I don't see it happening. No, probably not. But I think we're. If I could have got another hour south below 80. Yeah, because it's. Free and clear. Yeah, it's, re- it's only hitting up this way. So me. Uh, we would have had to get to Philly, though. At really. the same time, I get picked on. Because they're like, how come you don't like to fly places? You always want to drive. Because I could be there. Yeah, you're you're in charge of whether you get there or not. It's <laughs> right. not an airline and saying, "No, we're not going to fly." I get to make the decision raining. if the road is too sketchy, and then I can pull over and stop. Right. Go, hey, it's not worth it. I'll finish this trip in the morning. <laughs> but no, not not like this. That nope. doesn't happen like this. Now it's someone else decided it's not safe for one reason or another. And uh, I don't know. That's why I drive. <laughs> But I was also looking at it. If I had flown out of Binghamton, they won't, it was like twelve hours mm-hmm. with layovers. Oh yeah, because and a thirteen-hour drive. Yeah, I'm like I'll just rent a, kind of rent a car and drive. Right. But because I got to rent a car anyway over there, mm-hmm. so like it almost just saves them sixteen hundred dollars right. or whatever. But if I don't fly, let me don't mark that up. <laughs> Um, but what's the like personal strain usually, you know, that 12 hours in the plane, I don't have to be dead focused on, right. On yeah, driving can, you and can zone out. You don't have to worry about anybody, anybody running you off the road or and any I, of that other I horseshit. drive a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I went to Swamp Fest this year and... I found out Thursday afternoon that I wasn't closing on my house on Friday. Fun. And then I was like, what the heck am I doing this weekend? <laughs> Going to Swamp Fest. I guess I'll go to Swamp Fest. <laughs> so I thought about it for about 10 minutes. And I'm like, stop thinking about it. Just go. There's zero possibility that this starts to make any logistical sense. <laughs> so if you're trying to reason out going, just stop. Just get in the car and go. So, started driving, caught a hotel, set up late checkout, worked the whole morning, <laughs> Friday, worked you know most of the afternoon, and then hit the road, drove late, got there, hung out for Swamp Fest, drove Sunday morning to Kona, rode Kona till 2 p.m., and then drove straight home. You're a fucking psycho. It's back for Monday morning work. <laughs> you can't go do fun things if you can't be there Monday. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I call you a psycho, and then a friend and I drove to California and back in, like, I think it was five days. Yeah, I think it was five days. We drove straight to Oklahoma City. And slept. Then from Oklahoma City to Kingman, Arizona. Then we were in Los Angeles for two days. 
And then I think we slept in Reno, Nevada. Then from Reno, I think we just hoofed it right home. Or did we stay in Iowa? I think we stayed in Iowa. Yeah, I I was planning on stopping and doing the same thing I did <laughs> on the way down, like work Monday, right. late checkout, drive home that night. But I was just wired, like fun weekend, yeah. good time. I'm like... All right, well, I'll just go. You till, might as well just keep going till you're tired. Go till I'm tired. And then you hit that point where it's like, eh, I'm passing Baltimore. It's only another five hours. I can do it. Well, I always figure, like, I'm up till two pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. So till two o'clock is normal. Yeah, you're just good. Three to five is always the hardest <laughs> window to stay awake driving because it's past your normal bedtime. There's nobody on the road. There's no one on the road, and it's dark. Yep. Once 5 o'clock starts to show up, 5, 5.30, the sun you start to, to get up. the sunrise, yeah. and then you're just, like, energized again because right. you got daylight, and you, your brain is tricked into being awake. Being awake. <laughs> but that 3 to 5 window is tough. And I wasn't even tired for that. I was just wired. <laughs> like, Why? But anyway, save me the hotel cost, I guess. Yeah. But then, so that was two weeks ago. Then last week we closed on the house. No, that was... I can't even keep time straight. I think it was two weeks ago now. Yes. Yeah, Swamp Fest was two. Yeah, so I had a weekend at home. (laughs) Yeah, because we went to a birthday party. All right, yes. Uh, Closed on the house. Then this last weekend, I was planning on going to Ray's. So I was planning on drive out Friday, Saturday Ray's, Sunday Wedgwood, drive home and get home late. And got out like halfway there before I found out for sure that I was going. Coming here, yeah. Or because I had Illinois. I had a, an appointment ha- like out in Elmira, so I was mm-hmm. already on the way right. with a person going. If I didn't have anyone with me, I would have just driven. Yeah, like I'm already halfway there. I'll just right. buy a couple pairs yeah, of clothes and, and like, yeah. figure it out. You know, if I got to buy new work boots and mm-hmm. hard hat, actually they were in the car. They're always <laughs> in my car, so I would have been like golden, other than some clothes, right? Even that, like, buy underwear and socks and just re-wear the pants. Yeah, that's all you need. (laughs) So, anyway, had to come back home because I didn't have all my paperwork and everything I needed work-wise. And to take him back. So I didn't end up riding Sunday. We just drove back most of Saturday night and finished it Sunday morning. (sighs) Long one. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. Probably not. <laughs> and then I'll have two wasted days. It is what it is, I suppose. I know. I I kind of look forward to it in the told you so. Oh, told yeah. Told you we should have drove. See, I should have. I could have driven and been there. And the... 
they take this, the other stance of you should have flown out earlier. Well, sure. Because, yeah, nobody's ever wrong. Nobody made the wrong decision. <laughs> no, I got a full day's work in before I <laughs> left, though. I travel after hours. Why do I do that? I don't know. I'm stupid. Because <laughs> I do the same Because I'm too busy. Yeah. I don't, I don't have the day to give up. Right. I'm there. I understand. Plus the, the trip. If I hadn't been away all weekend, I would have just gotten all my stuff prepped and been ready and worked through the weekend instead. <laughs> oh, well. I got this, then I've got a trip to Pottstown next week. <laughs> then at some point I need to make a trip to Washington State. Yeah. And I might have a Florida trip. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be crazy. Where else do I have to go? I feel like there's something I'm missing. Probably. It's, it's crazy right now. I'd rather just be busy in one spot. See, again, traveling is like probably not too bad. I kind of like it. I just feel like we've created a disillusion about how often travel is in this role. Because uh, initially, and I would agree with when I started, it was less than 10%. Mm-hmm. And substantially less. Like, maybe once a quarter you'd be gone for a week. Now. It's like every other week. I would say that it was potentially upwards of a quarter. Like, 25% of mm-hmm. the time. Before I moved back to New York. <laughs> and now add up to a week a month that I need to be back at the main office, mm-hmm. too. So it's 50% of the time. Right. 50% is a lot of travel, especially when you start throwing in quick ones. Right. But I also think I define travel differently than a lot of people. Travel to me is if I'm not sleeping in my bed. If I have to take a three-hour drive, do a job for two hours, and I drive home that night and sleep in my bed, that's not travel. No. Now, if you're sleeping somewhere else, that's legitimately traveling. But but I think a lot of people that would take a role think of, like, I'm going to work. I go to the office, mm-hmm. and that is my job. And if you deviate from that, even, hey, I need you to go, like, 45 minutes. Right. And pick up some parts and come back. That's a, that's travel that's to tra- them. Yeah, that's traveling for some people. And I don't live that way. But well, I think... It's BMX. It it is BMX because there's a lot of a lot of people that I mean, especially in this area where they're just so miserable and it's like this area sucks. There's there's nothing to do. There's well, fucking like got that across town. Oh, like, I'm not driving 20 minutes like, across oh, oh, town. Either that or like okay, where like did you ever go on vacation? Oh yeah, we went to New Jersey. New Jersey's not fucking vacation. Basically, anything like anything under six hours <laughs> is not. Like, I don't even consider that traveling anymore because you can do it and then you can go and come back in a day. I mean, we just, we did the wheel mill. We went out, came back in mm-hmm. a day. It's not bad. It's, it's nothing. But like, if you did that to raise, you're a fucking lunatic. 
because that place absolutely murders you for whatever reason. <laughs> the first time. Yeah. First few times. Yeah. So that was that was a funny thing this weekend with I took young Sam and he's never been there before. Mm-hmm. And I used to live in Pittsburgh. Yeah. It was only two, two hours. hours for me. So it, I can go out there and I can have like a fun session. Right. And yeah, I mean, you're tired, but it's not like your arms falling off tired yeah. and your legs don't work anymore tired. And I could just tell he was arms falling off, legs yeah, don't like work two anymore hours. tired. And you're like, <laughs> I sucker. Yeah, that, that place, man. It It's so cool. And then like you get there and there's always that like one line that you're trying to figure out and it takes you for fucking ever and you still never figure it out. You just kill yourself doing it. It's usually logs. Yeah, that yeah, that's that shit always just I don't know. And I feel like it's a little bit of a bad attitude, but also it's true. I can go ride a bowl or a skate park anywhere. I can't ride intricate log logs. balance yeah. setups <laughs> right everywhere. Anywhere, yeah. So like that's where I generally spend my right. time. Cuz like box jumps okay, whatever. I can go anywhere and ride box mm-hmm. jumps. Uh, I can ride a spine or a bowl in most places. Yeah, where the fuck can you ride a teeter-totter or a fucking elevator? Unless you're building it at home. Yeah. Nowhere. So, yeah, that's that's <laughs> what I tend to ride when I go there. So, I don't know. That's That's the thing. But that does wear you out. And then some. And then you're... Everybody always gets... Uh, it hyper wears your arms out because it's not smooth. Yeah, because like, you're, you're constantly bouncing. And then you get, you, know, you get people where it's like they get brave and try the fucking cross-country loop and they fucking die Like when you get to the picnic table at the top. That's usually my tap-out point. I'm like, ah, oh, I need a fucking break. That's why there's a picnic table there. Exactly. Perfect spot. Time to stop. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. I'll let you go, though, because it's late. You got to get up and get to work. I got to... Get up I'm, and get, a, get up to a canceled flight. I'm usually up too late, so this is, like... Yeah, this is nothing. Staring at this time, I'm like, <laughs> it's going to be tough to even go to bed. As you can tell, I'm still like... Yeah. I'm yeah. wired. I'm good. Yeah, I know how that goes. Yeah, this is, like, two hours past my normal bedtime. <laughs> It's fair. If I'm not on the couch asleep already. There's a couch right here if you need to crash. Yeah. <laughs> Even though, you know, you should have just did that instead of getting a hotel, but it's, it's not like you're paying for it. <laughs> I'm not paying for it. Fuck it. It's being billed to the customer. They told Mickey and she's like, well, why didn't he just ask to stay at our house? I'm like, I don't know. Cause it's I said, because his work is paying for it. So (laughs) what's the difference? Well, yes. Also, just like I hadn't even talked to you at that moment. Right. And I mean, it's like that's a BMX thing, too, where like there's there's definitely people that like have zero problem either asking to stay ahead of time or just like showing up, be like, yo, I need a place to crash. And then there's the other half of it that's like, I don't want to stay at somebody's house. 
I, I'm usually more the host than the the guest. Yeah, so am I. I I'll, but, I'll offer to anybody, but it's like, I don't want to intrude on somebody's it's house. Not, it's not as much that for me, because I know, one, you know the people, mm-hmm. right? Like, I know people that aren't going to care. Yeah. And I know the people that are going to be like, Oh man, like uh, you know, I don't know, and like, all right, well, it's fine. I'm not yeah, even gonna just, ask. Just you. say no, no big deal. Like, but I have so many different allergies and like <laughs> dogs and cats, yeah. and it's like, it's just easier if I plan not to. Right. So sometimes it works out that I can catch someone's spot, but it's like, uh, yeah, you just expect not to. I just plan not to. Plus, I travel so much for work that even on a trip for pleasure, I can usually just get a free room. Right. Some different rewards accounts and mm-hmm. stuff. So. And either way, like Motel 6 is like fucking 60 bucks a night. <laughs> so it's, I, I usually stay at something nicer. Yeah. It benefits, like one, with the rewards points and stuff, I can usually cash them in. Mm-hmm. Two, you'll save, I mean, you'll spend it on the hotel, but the difference between like a $98 a night red roof or a $108 a night Hampton Inn is that you have a real breakfast in the morning. Right. Then you keep your reward, like rewards programs and everything going. And like I had my hotel in the other city in, in the... I think it's Clinton, Iowa, where I'm going to be staying. Mm-hmm. That was booked with a no refunds. But they changed it for me because I have history staying there. Right. So it's like there's different benefits to it if you can live with it. But yeah. if I was if I was trying to travel on the cheap, yeah, like <laughs> Motel 6, uh, Econo Lodge. Yeah, the dirtiest places you could possibly sleep. I always get a pretty decent vibe out of Red Roof, but they're the more expensive motel. Not the one in Wilkes-Barre. Don't ever stay at that one. I mean, if you're a, into drugs, a lot of them got drugs, redone, yeah. so they're nicer. Yeah. But like the last one I stayed at, the room was really nice, but the door was broken and didn't lock. Nice. And I'm like, hmm, <laughs> that's sketch. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. I I will say, if we're talking travel tips, though, always book direct. Don't book through Expedia or anything. Oh, like they're that. always fucking terrible. If it sucks when you got to change it, but the thing of it or is, like the we, flights is the best example of it. If you book through Expedia, like I wouldn't have been able to deal with United today. Right. I would have had to deal with Expedia, who would have to deal with right. United. And, and then, then there's this you and back and forth yeah. nightmare of no resolution. As opposed to, I've got my rewards account with United. Right. I don't fly with them a lot, but I have an account. I have history. And they go, oh, yes, that's wonderful. Yes, we can make that change for you. No problem. And even so, like, it's you. It's not, It's not. oh, I'm blah, blah, blah from Expedia calling for... On Andrew, behalf blah, blah, of. Right. Blah, 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 blah. 
But I mean, we've, and her and I have booked stuff before too, where it's direct and it's just been a shit show. Like we stayed at a, um, a hotel in New York not too long ago. And like, we went to check in and it was like a 15 minute process. And she's like, I already booked the room. What is, what's the, here's the confirmation. Here's the receipt. Here's the credit card. Here's everything. And it's just, it was just a fucking nightmare. But then she worked at Home Depot for a little while and they have like a, um, a perks at work thing. Anytime we booked a fucking rental car through there, it was a fucking nightmare. And it was, I don't know if it was because of that or I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but like we'd go there and, oh, your car's not ready or we don't have one that size. So we'll have to give you a, it's like, just why is it so difficult? Yeah. I've I've got like, trying to think with airlines. I think I have the Southwest app in an account. Mm -hmm. I have Delta, United and American Airlines. I think those are the ones I have accounts with so far. (laughs) But only ones you need. I, I JetBlue's all right, but they're yeah. expensive. Yeah. Um, but I'll go on Expedia and look at the flights mm-hmm. and see what they are, and what the ones fits best and right. price, and then I'll go to the actual app and get that flight. Yeah, direct, yeah. It it's usually the same price. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's more expensive on there. Like Expedia's cheaper. Yeah. Because they're buying in bulk or something. Right. But so what the the headache that I'm gonna oh save. yeah is, is it is worth the extra couple bucks, <laughs> and then hotels same thing like if you go somewhere and it's overbooked and you booked with them directly as opposed to Expedia, way easier to deal with. Oh sure. Um, the only thing I like to book through Expedia and I don't even really like to is rental cars, but it's free cancellation. Right. Yeah, because they don't give a shit. You cancel it, okay. Then they have to deal with it. Well, and like that's what I needed to change mine today. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it's free cancellation. Just cancel the reservation and make another one. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. If that's what's easier. <laughs> Whatever works. If yeah. that's actually easier, right. then sure, I'll do it that way. Sure. And you know what? That's probably, if I called and said I needed it changed, that's what they were going to do on the back end anyway. Right. They were going to cancel it and book a new one. Yep. And I guess the only risk with that is that your rate could change. But but what's it, it going to change by? A dollar yeah, a day? a couple bucks. That they'll hit you in some other fee anyway? Yeah. <laughs> so, rental cars are ridiculous now. They are. Like, they they, they doubled. Yeah, they I know. Because it used to be insane. like $40 a day. Yeah. And now that's like now 90 like, to 100. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Like, I wanted to get a... Like a SUV, midsize SUV. No. <laughs> uh, not for $120 a day? Nope. I'll take my full-size Camry Yeah. for 89 Yeah. But even at that, you're like 90 versus 120 that I'm not paying for. <laughs> right. Yeah, really. <laughs> for the extra. You have a Ferrari I could rent for, for a little while? I don't even care about that. It's, it's like... What's like the the comfort level of driving right. something bigger is just there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it was like ten bucks different, but that is substantially different. Yeah, thirty percent increase. Right. Yeah, it's not like you're. Oh, for five bucks more, you could get the bigger car. But 
That's I, yeah, half the time you get much. there anyway, and they're like, "Oh, do you, you know we're we're kind of low on that. those? Yeah. Do you want something else? Can you take one of these?" Right. I'm like, "Yeah, hey, I'll take that." Yeah, sure. I do generally like if I need a rental car, I like to book it through Enterprise though. Their direct app, mm-hmm. not Expedia. Even though they're more expensive, but I can get an Enterprise car anywhere. I right. can't get an Avis or a budget anywhere. Yeah, they're just certain Just, places. like, at the airport. Mm-hmm. But, like, for work, if I was going to make this drive, I wasn't going to do it on my car. Right. I was going to rent a car. Sure. Or if I'm taking a trip to the wheel mill with, like, five people, I'm going to rent a van. Mm-hmm. And we'll just spread that cost out. Right. But I don't need to put a 1,000 miles round trip on my car. And if I hit a deer or something happens on the right. road, I'm out now my out vehicle. Your, yeah, you're out your car. Forget that. That's ridiculous. So I like to book through them because I can get them anywhere. Right. But then you go to the airport and like half the time they don't have one there. I don't even know if they offer rentals here, to be honest with you. <laughs> I have they, no idea. they might not. Because it is that small of an airport. There's probably something nearby, like a shuttle ride away. Or, I know there or is, they have a very limited, maybe like dollar rental and yeah, thirsty or something. There like is that. an enterprise in Wilkes-Barre. Maybe they just roll with the we'll pick you up thing. Maybe. I don't know. I do not know. I live here. I don't rent a car here. Fuck do I know? That's fair. <laughs> I've only rented a car where I live a couple of times. But trips for work. Yeah. That's the, my coworkers like, who rents a car without flying somewhere? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Yeah, what are you going to do? Take your fucking car and wear and tear that you're not going to get paid for? Right. If if we're billing for this job. <laughs> yeah, why would I take my own fucking car? <laughs> Yeah, you charge them for a rental and you mark it the fuck up. 15% admin yeah, fee exactly. just for processing it. Right. Right. Buy everything. Get the hotel, get the rental car, and fly. Yep. Do it all. If you don't fly, you do miss out on a good 15%. Yeah. <laughs> business. Business is weird. Yep. Speaking of business, though, one last thing just for the, the listeners. And I need to do better on this, too. <laughs> Stop using your credit card everywhere. <laughs> because everywhere you buy anything, they're taking like 3%. Mm-hmm. So you go spend 100 bucks at your local business. They only get 97 That money turns back into the economy. And then they take like another 3-ish dollars. Now there's only 93 in the economy. 94 and then that just continues until there's nothing. They've taken every bit of that money, and your community is just bleeding money because everybody is buying on credit cards. Mm-hmm. So, food for thought is all. <laughs> no credit card. I mean, if you can avoid it anyway, it's for the better. Yeah. I'm not good at that. No, neither are I, we. I pay mine off, but like. You're always only, like, 
one unfortunate scenario away from not paying it off. Mm -hmm. And now it's 20% interest not paid off because of unfortunate scenario. And I mean, the other thing to consider that 3% that they're taking is artificially inflating all of our cost of goods by 3%. Sure. Because everyone has to anticipate credit card use. Right. So they tack it on. Yeah. You put it on the front end and then make extra if it's cash. Only certain places do the the fee for paying with a card. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that's because it's questionably legal. Probably. Because I think that's what happened with gas for a little Mm -hmm. while is you weren't allowed to charge more for using a credit card, but you were allowed to charge a discount for using cash or offer a discount for using cash. Yeah, something like that. And you're like, okay, you're just playing with the verbiage. Right. What's the difference? Okay, I'm allowed to offer a discount, so I'll just mark it up 3% and then And get the same amount anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, whatever you say. So, anyway... Any parting shots? Any BMX things? Mm, I don't think so. I think we touched on the few BMX things and complained about work. Because <laughs> we both do that too much, apparently. I don't feel like it's complaining about work. No. I feel like we gave some cool insight. That's how I'm going to pitch it anyway. That sounds about right. Um, Insider info. There's some guess. like stories about work, but... We definitely weren't doing the, oh, I can't believe these guys. Yeah. We laughed about some things, that's for sure. You know, let people know that stupid-ass prices are not 100% unnecessary. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they are and they aren't. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, they're never going to go back to the way they were. No, no. It's, I mean, it's. There's never been a time where it's where shit got expensive and then went back down to where it was. It's just oh well, this is the new normal. Well, that's that's what it costs now. Well, and then, but I mean, really, it you know, like we said before, if if a if an off the shelf production frame is too expensive for you, then just. Get a custom frame. And if you want a certain frame, I'm sure if you said to whoever you're getting the custom from, hey, I can want you, one of these. I want one. I want a frame with these specs. Like, they're not going to say no. It's just a custom frame that you're getting fucking cheaper. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. You're just getting it a little cheaper. <clears throat> Pretty much. Uh, you reminded me of something, and then it totally slipped my mind already. <laughs> Must not have been important. Yeah, something like that. Uh, All right, well, I think that's good. I keep checking. I'm waiting on... The cancellation notice? That. (laughs) I don't think I'll get that till 4 o'clock or so. Yeah, you'll probably get it about a half hour before your flight's supposed to take off. Probably when I'm supposed to be getting there. Yep. Sounds about right. Uh... No, I am waiting on a TSA pre-check, mm. which would be really sweet if that came in in the morning. 
but like I don't I keep checking my phone because I was checking it a lot throughout the day Mm -hmm. and now it's like the phone habit thing yeah like they're not sending it at 11 o'clock at night dude you never know they're not (laughs) maybe like between 8 and (laughs) 5 TSA is closed right now well it's because it relies on like background check Mm -hmm. and stuff so as soon as that all comes back but I've got like multiple background checks running in tandem on me (laughs) So they need to do one to badge me at this plant, too. Mm. And I'm probably like, oh, how's, did you watch my ankle video? <laughs> <laughs> Are you listening to all my podcast episodes before we go? Probably. Uh, I know they were calling all the people that I had on there, and then they're asking all my references for more references. Which I guess is kind of cool. It I doubt they'll call the like extended references. Yeah, just. But it's more of a like, do you actually know this person? Yeah, or is he just some random name that, you know, you may know from somewhere? Yeah. Like, how long have you known him, and can you actually give other references that would know him? But I thought it was funny because like. All mine are from different area codes and all sorts of different <laughs> stuff. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, and let's be realistic. In BMX, how hard is it for me to, like, I tried to not even pull BMX people. Yeah, because I, I honestly wouldn't. There's, like, maybe three people that I ride with consistently that I would trust to be like, yeah, he's he's okay. Right, but it's not only... Like my, whether they're going to say something nice, it's what's their record. Right. <laughs> that too. <laughs> right, like, that narrows it down to two. Yeah. You're <laughs> like, okay. So they're going to look up to see if this person is credible and who I associate <laughs> myself with. Probably not cool for well, certain people. But when I found out that they were asking for additional references, I'm like, hey, Make sure that you know who you're <laughs> yeah. recommending now. Don't, like, wing this and give someone with a felony. Yeah, right. Oh, oops. Yeah, I didn't think about it. My bad. That they don't, you know, they've got a DUI from, like, six years ago or something. Like, come on, man. That's only, like, four people in BMX. What are you talking about? Yeah. We're, we're a bunch of upstanding citizens. Yeah, definitely not deviants. No, never. Definitely can comment on each other's upstanding behavior. <laughs> no, definitely never jumped on any ledges at a federal building or nope. anything. Or urinated in public or, you know, anywhere else we're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. No, never. Never once. Trespassing? Never heard of it. Trey who? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So that's that. I think we are at three hours and 24 minutes. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Perfect. Should give somebody a set of pegs if they sit through the whole fucking thing. Uh, all right, what do we do? Somebody can have... Or you could probably fucking edit 90% of the bullshit out. 
<laughs> Somebody can have a joyous listen if they made it this far, and yes, that's they it. they can. And I feel sorry for you. Um, you know, follow people and stuff. Later. All right, so what went down? <laughs> what from what they know, other than what you alluded to at the just a second ago uh, at the well, beginning, um, we were talking about you were gonna you were looking at buying the shop you were at, mm-hmm. and we and we talked about um, I haven't listened to this, so I'm not even sure. At this I don't point. even fucking remember. But what we were we talking said. about the Practical Machinist podcast and how you like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just, I don't know, like, we kept going down that road of me buying the place and what it would take, what I would do, how we would handle the transition, and it came to, you know, us having a conversation with his accountant and Mickey, my other half, was involved too, and it was like, well, you know, this is how it's going to be, and do you have any questions, do you have any questions, and from the time when we initially started talking about it till that day, which was probably, I don't know, a year and a half, two years, the dollar amount changed or at least how, how it would be structured. And Mm. that was kind of a red flag. And then when we asked, you know, well, if we're going to do this, we need to see the books. There was a little, there was actually like a lot of hesitation and not that I think that they were cooking the books, but more or less that it's, you know, we're going to start kind of putting two to two, two and two together. And the business really isn't worth as much as he was asking. So, you know, the more that her and I talked about it, it was like, it's not, you know, even though it's a, it's on paper, a good opportunity for an, a current employee, longtime employee to buy where they work. It wasn't a good opportunity because I was doing most of the work. I was handling a lot of the customers doing the drawings, you know, ordering the material and everything, and then making parts on top of that. So it would basically go, you know, I, I was more or less buying myself and you know, the couple other guys that we had there. So it wasn't so much that I was buying a fully running business, but a basically a business I was already running, which Mm -hmm. You know, the transition probably would have been okay because I was already doing everything, but it just wouldn't have, I don't know, we just kind of felt it wouldn't have been in the best interest. And then that on top of, you know, the deal changing, it was like, well, yeah, let's just not do this. Yep. Well, and you had said that you were listening to the the Practical Machinist podcast and they had just put out an episode about um about buying the shop you work at yeah yes the term that they used was um are you buying a business or are you buying your own job right and that kind of that i guess didn't really help directly in in the decision but it was one of those things where like yeah that's exactly what's happening here and then it was so you know i just told them, you know, I just told them, no, I said, I'm, you know, I'm not like, it just said, it's, it's a good opportunity, but it's just not the opportunity for me. And then we talked about me getting paid more because of all I was doing. And he, okay, I'll think about it. 
or I have to think about it, something along those lines. And two weeks went by and nothing changed in the paycheck. I didn't push it, which I probably could have, but I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to push it. And if that's how you feel, I'm going to put feelers out there just to see what, what I should be making. Mm -hmm. And the place that I ended up taking a job from, they offered, they had me come in for one interview and my asking price, which what they had listed was, they had a pretty sizable range listed. So I shot high. Hey, this is, you know, mm -hmm. would you give me this? And it was, well, for just being a machinist, it's a little high, but would you consider this other position and come back and re-interview? So, yeah. And then the day after that, they gave me the, they accepted accepted my offer, you know, submitted it officially. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, do I take this or do I stick it out? And I, it was over the, I think it was over the 4th of July weekend. So I kind of thought about it. And when we went back after the 4th, I said, Hey, here's, here's the deal. I'm out. So you're on your own. <laughs> It's a, it's an interesting position to be in. I've been there where you start putting feelers out there and you're like, oh, this got real fast. It And it did. It was because it was, I mean, I had two interviews at the one place and one at another. And when I walked through, when they did the shop walkthrough at the, my current job, it was like, we have, well, yeah, we have two five axis mills and we have all these mills and we have lathes. And I'm like, this place is kind of what I want or what I would do to the shop if I would have bought it. So right then and there was like a big, it was one of those things where I could see myself working here and it, that just kind of came up real quick. Then the other place was more, it was more high production screw machine type stuff. And it was also I three times farther away. It was like 45 minutes to an hour. And I'm like, that's kind of pushing it, even though it would have been four tens as opposed to, you know, whatever. Four tens is nice when you actually get the fifth day off. Right. And they, they said it was four tens, but they usually work half a day Friday. Yeah. So yeah, that's like, yeah, yeah it's like, eh. and then at the same time, all their screw machines and stuff ran oil. And I'm like, I don't really want to be fucking with oil all day long and then have it, you know, mm -hmm. come home and, it, and pants are stained and whatnot. And then, yeah, this other place asked me back the next day after I came, uh, or after I did the interview at the other place and they basically offered me a machinist slash manager position to kind of justify the higher pay. And I was just like, yeah, I could, I, I guess they kind of, I don't know if they thought I was lying on my resume or just wanted to kind of confirm it. But everything I had on there, they're like, you know, are you comfortable doing this? Are you, com are you comfortable dealing with customers and, and drawing parts if you have to? I'm like, yeah, it, it's on the paper. It's mm -hmm. right there. You don't have to, you know, I'm not lying. I mean, I'm sure there's people that do it. We have a, oh, yeah. there's a running joke in the shop that the next place any of us apply to, we're just going to lie our asses off and see if we could get, you know, $150,000, $200,000 salary. But, but yeah, and then they... You know, they did the offer and sweet took it. Yeah, it's funny, though, 
it, it was definitely funny when it came down to like, I think I was ready to, to edit this too. I think, cause I know I had just done Johnny's. I think that's what you told me too. You were like, I was just going to edit this, but <laughs> yeah, well details. And then, you know, it takes, we're not that far away, but <laughs> my goodness with, I had just closed on the house then if it was March 14th or 13th or whatever. We may or may not have talked about it. I don't remember. We, I think we talked about closing on it, mm-hmm. but there was, there's been no discussion or podcast <laughs> since about all the nightmare stuff. Well, that's called buying a house. It is. And it never goes away. It never gets better. Nope. It doesn't. I mean, you know, you're sitting in mine and it's like our kitchen's, I don't know, 80% finished and everything so yeah (laughs) it'll get there yeah eventually i don't really have a studio right now which is kind of annoying i've got like i have a room that's my office temporarily and some grand plans for like a new real studio Mm -hmm. office room but it's not it's not in the near future because i'm gonna have to have some money yeah and you know have usual your uh, normal living space is taken care of first. Yeah. No, it's definitely interesting that you uh, took the different role. It working out good? It. I mean, it's different to an extent. I mean, it sort of is the same things that I've been doing. Yeah. And I think a lot of... I don't know if they kind of realized, like, how... I guess ambitious would be the word, but, like, I... I'm not afraid to say, hey, I know you've been doing this for a while, but it's kind of a dumb way to do it. I mean, we're when we were eating dinner, I was telling you about the one. And it's, there's, oh, well, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh-huh. I, I like to think so. And even my first, I don't know, week or two that I was there, we were looking for some kind of goofy plastic material. And I said to the one guy, I'm like, did you try, did you try this place? And he's like, I've never even heard of them. I said, well, they, they have they usually have like weird plastic. Mm-hmm. I said, hit them up. And then the next day he's like, yeah, I called them. They had exactly what I needed. I'm like, yeah. Okay, cool. So I don't know if they just didn't necessarily expect that or like that I would have to have like a settling in period, but it was just jump right to it. And even my second day, they brought me these parts that were hard chromed, but they didn't turn them undersized far enough to accommodate it. So I had, I don't know, a dozen pieces to grind the hard, grind some hard chrome off. And the guy that's my supervisor is like, don't do that. Cause they're going to expect you to do shit like that more. I'm like, I, and that doesn't bother me, but I guess some people is like, no, I'm just, this is what I do. Don't give me anything else. But I just can't do that. I saw a sign about a month ago at one of the plants I was at that I just really liked what it said was if you don't have time to do it right, when are you going to have time to do it over? Mm-hmm. It's a good way to look at it. And I, I'm like, I really like that sign. Yeah, like, that's a good way to look at it. I I probably need to print it off and make my own because <laughs> it's a good one to have around the it office. It is, or for whatever. sure. But that, that's kind of where I feel about that too. Or... I think I might have told you the the last time, so this might be in the same podcast twice. Eh. The the one episode or the one guy I used to work with would you'd go down and ask him to make you something in the tool room, and he'd be like, oh gosh, that's 
that is going to take forever. Yep, we have a guy and, like that now. And like, <laughs> he'd complain for like 15 minutes about it and be like, are you going to do it? Or like what? And he'd just hand it to you and be like, <laughs> it's done. I, I'm like, I like that. You know, like yeah. if you're going to complain, at least work while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, we have... And I don't mind if you complain if you work on yeah, it. Like, yeah, or just as, as long as you get it done, it's it's no big deal. <laughs> but, but, like, was it really that hard you did it in 15 minutes? Yeah. yeah. It was just the just the fact that he probably doesn't have much to do and you gave him something to do because that's how I've been the last, like, week. <laughs> Which is probably the biggest, like... It's probably the biggest culture shift as far as, you know, from job A to B is that... I get when I got hired, I was told you could work. We're buried. You could work as much overtime as you want. Okay, no problem. First couple of weeks, I just did straight forty, and you know, didn't have a problem with that. And then it was, you know, we did have the work to at least. Okay, I could work nine hours a day, and then mm-hmm. I could do tens and whatever. But the last, I don't know, three weeks, we've had practically nothing to do in the machine shop. And at first it really bothered me because I just can't sit still. And now I have stuff to do and I'm just, and anytime anybody brings me anything, I'm like, I really don't want to do it. I'm just, I'm kind of happy sitting here and fucking off and making it look like I'm doing something. But now you're giving me something to do and I don't want to. (laughs) It's a, it's definitely a weird feeling from going from, you know, everything's a hurry up and we're, you know, I'm working 60 hours a week just to get caught up and I'm nowhere near caught up. And now it's, we're just, we have nothing. Yeah. That'll, that always ebbs and flows. So like, I'm sure you're just like right on the cusp of probably the new year. People aren't issuing POs Mm -hmm. until 2024. Oh, there's, there's plenty that's, that's coming down our way. I know there's one, well, there's one job that we're starting on Monday. There's, um, I know there's another one that's supposed to be coming down the pipe. And then there's a giant quote that I've been working on that has, uh, 200 different parts that are all like 40, 50, 60 quantity. And I'm just kind of, like, I'm worried that if we get all of it, which I don't know if we will, but it's like, we're really going to bury the shop mm-hmm. and, and I, I talked to our site manager and he's just like, ah, don't worry about it. Okay. I'm just throwing that out there that it's a concern, but I guess we'll see what happens. Well, it's a legitimate concern though, because you've got other customers that sure. rely on you too. And if you take a bunch of good historical customers and then like bog your shop way down for one guy. Right. You don't want to lose all your other good customers. Sure. Or just even upset them. Because sometimes they have a couple different shops that they bounce work Mm -hmm. in and out of. Other times, like, you're their people. Right. And you don't really want them to have the opportunity to talk to other people. Sure. And, I mean, this, this place is much, much different where, I mean, we have, like, the service, the service division, I guess, if you want to call it, which is kind of just me and one other guy that get like the lower quantity breakdown type stuff. And then we kind of design uh, 
we're a robotic or we're an automated systems integrator. So any kind of like conveyor with a robot or some kind of shit like that, like we'll design it from scratch mm-hmm. and then everything comes down from the engineers. It comes to us and we make whatever we have to, and then they assemble it usually in house to make sure all the bugs are out of it. And then they take it and install it on site. So it's kind of, they're kind of like internal. It's kind of like we're, they're an internal customer, but not really, but it's, so it's a little different, but it, so, I mean, a lot of our customers are larger name customers, but you know, it's an assembly that we're building, not really something that's already installed that we're making parts for, or like we're an OEM manufacturer or something, but it's, uh, so you're, you're not generally getting like someone else's crappy drawing to work off right. of either, like right. a machine shop. Normally shop, does, shop. yeah. Somebody brings in a fucking, something they scribbled on a, on a napkin. It's like, here's what I need. Oh, God. And I don't fucking miss that at all. Do you guys sharpen lawnmower blades? And you're like, can you get out of here, please? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, honestly, if I was just in the shop, I wouldn't deal with a single customer. But I just happen to be brought on as service and support, so I'm dealing with customers. But so far, we've, I mean, even the ones that I haven't necessarily dealt with directly, but we do deal with, they all seem like nobody's screaming and hollering or like, you know, they don't come in and like you roll your eyes and and everything like that. So So they're all... You don't have that a shop that's cultivated a false sense of urgency and that's their culture now. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know take take breaks and lunch and everything and it's it's very very laid back. That's good. Mine is chaos all the time. <laughs> well, see that's like not that I have any reason to want to smoke, but like people that smoke, <laughs> you have, understand it? <laughs> well. It forces them to take their break. Oh, I, yeah, I got you. And like, it's easy to just not take breaks, mm-hmm. and it's easy when you're in the office environment to just not take breaks. Because sure. what do I really need a break for? You're sitting there at a computer all the time. Yeah, it's because you need to get up and walk away <laughs> from that computer. Right. That's why you need a break. My goodness. Yeah, my first week they were very adamant that. I took breaks and, and now it's just, now I'm doing the same thing to them. If I see one of them working close to nine o'clock or two o'clock, yo, come on, break time. See, that's super good. Like, it feels like it's annoying in a way, but it's good. Yeah. Cause then you hold yourselves accountable for like taking the second to walk away. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, every once in a while you'll get into something where it's, you know, you kind of want to get it figured out, even though it's, you know, whatever. It's close to break time, lunch time. But, but a lot of time it's just like, come on, let, let's go. You're just working too hard. <laughs> yeah. I like when, I like the other side of that too, is you're like within 10 or 15 minutes of break time, you're like, I'm not starting that. It's break oh, dude, time in 10 minutes. I, today actually, it was. So it's like a 25 minute break. I so. think it was like, I don't know, it was probably 2.30 and I'm done at 3.30 and I I sat, sat at my desk and I'm like I'm not starting anything it's too close to the end of the day 
So I just went in and my supervisor and I were talking for like an hour over one of the positions that I'm semi being forced into. But there's, I mean, I guess that just comes with when you give a shit about your job. To, oh, here, you could do this guy's job too. Oh, you want to do this guy's job? He's retiring. Take it. No, I don't uh, fucking want it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, sure, I guess also. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, it's, it's not anything that I haven't done before. It, the only difference is we use, um, job boss as our ERP. Mm-hmm. So, and we had nothing down the other place. So I just have to learn that. But it's other than that, it's nothing, nothing really that I haven't done before. I've heard good things about job boss. Ours, as far as being like a simple enough one. Yeah, ours is a little clunky, but I could like I can feel like once I get I know what all the buttons do, it'll be it'll be fit pretty easy. Yeah. You know, especially when I have a guy that's uh twice my age that's teaching it to me. So it's like so I look at how slow he's doing it, I'm like, I can blow your doors off, but okay. I'll just Yeah, yeah. I'll just watch you uh yep. struggle watch you for a figure minute. it out. Yeah. Um, we were looking at SAP earlier this mm-hmm. year and last year, and that is like the, it's just so overkill mm-hmm. in some capacities. It's like very large companies are using yeah. it, but we have our products and like everything we rep, we rep companies, we distribute for mm-hmm. other companies. We have our own custom manufactured parts. And then we do large assemblies, like the that bench I was showing mm-hmm. you. I mean, that's thousands of parts in that. Sure. And they have me doing it on a spreadsheet. And then we have to make multiple. So then I got to multiply everything mm-hmm. out through the spreadsheet and change each line because, well, we buy that in a bag of 50 and there's like this many. How many bags do I need to buy? Right. And what's that cost trickle down through everything? So I'm like, this is, this is crazy mm-hmm. to be doing it this way. And they're like, yeah, but we're not really like busy enough to integrate something like that right now. And I I'm mean, like, it's the perfect time to do it. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, that is, you're like crazy because it's not a chicken or an egg scenario. It right. just feels like one. Just like hiring somebody right before you get busy. You're like, oh, we really need to hire someone, but I want to wait till we get to work. Why? So you don't have time to write a good job description. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to put the posting out. You don't have time to read resumes. You don't have time to interview right. them. But the time they quit their job and sign on with you and start and then you train them, the job's freaking done. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now you're, <laughs> you're back to square one having them push a broom. <laughs> so why? Like, it's not a chicken or an egg. It just feels like it. Mm-hmm. Not to say you can hire like 10 people. Sure. But if, you know, you see that this is coming or could potentially be coming down the line, grab a guy or a girl. Yeah. We're going to be politically correct or a whatever they identify as. With with the ERP thing, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, we're we're a little slow this year. I'm like, yeah, I know. Mm Mm-hmm. And all we do is custom stuff, which means we've got some time to learn it. But you don't have to worry about putting everything we've ever done in here. We'll put it in as it comes. Sure. So we can set it up and do it the right way slowly. Right. 
And even if you have like, but we need all the service entity side is where like right. job boss would be fine if we were just doing products mm-hmm. and assemblies, but it has no functionality for field service work. Right. Yeah. Even ours is like, I don't know how we charge it exactly, but it's just, I mean, we just kind of throw a job number on it and everybody's supposed to clock into each step of whatever's on the traveler mm-hmm. and I think I'm the only idiot that does, and I've even stopped doing it. I'm just eh, zero. <laughs> that's what I'm. That's the step I'm clocking under, and nobody's yelled at me yet. So, but yeah, it's and then it. I don't know. I know there's some stuff where like I've after we print the packing slip, I've been told to deliver it and still clock in on that job. But once you do it, you can't clock in on it anymore because it's technically complete. Mm-hmm. Even though oh, charge delivery to that. I'm like I can't <laughs> so, yeah so, you, you already closed it yeah yeah the yeah, job's technically closed so but it's yeah. yeah yeah so it's just i mean it's i don't think it's a bad like it's not a bad system it's just and you yeah. you it may be integrated slightly clunky too like i'm sure it is yeah because even the our scheduling is done by one of our inspectors and he takes all of the jobs and puts them on a spreadsheet and then prints that spreadsheet out and they talk about it in the morning meeting. Why aren't you doing it in Job Boss? I don't... He must Where, not have access to it. Or or are all the work centers not properly defined? Because you should have the scheduling by work center right out of Job Boss. We do. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just... Yeah. So that, and I told him, because I said I'm supposed to get access to it. So when I do, you know, and figure it out, we're, we're going to fuck around with this. And so you don't have to do this bullshit. Because at the same time, it's also, I mean, he's doing the inspecting and we have four different buildings that he's got to go to mm-hmm. and inspect different stuff. So it's like, if he's inspecting up in building four, he can't be putting in the new travelers that are, Stacked six inches high on his desk. How are they doing their inspection plans? Just out of curiosity. I don't know. I just put it in that room. I have no idea. Because <laughs> we just... So, for years I've seen this add-in for SolidWorks that I'm like, who's using that? That thing is so stupid. Mm-hmm. And then, like, last year we were talking about, like, how much easier could we make inspection plans Mm -hmm. because right now someone's sitting there manually typing it in or manually handwriting each one out and then photocopying it like seven times and i'm like yeah yeah we're we're handwriting a lot of stuff and we were getting into more and more complex parts so Mm -hmm. instead of being like seven dimensions it's like yeah the sheets a mile long yeah and i'm like well there's this add-in to solidworks that i've never paid attention to called solidworks inspection Mm -hmm. let me get some more info on that you load the add-in in SolidWorks, and you just click each dimension, and it auto-populates it into the template that you created huh. and pulls all the tolerances in. And then you just so, assign what type of tool. And if you had, like, a higher-end caliper that has mm-hmm. the, the communication port... Yeah, you could just plug it right in. It would... Yeah, it would just integrate and fill in in the spreadsheet hmm. when it's... Because it exports it to an Excel. But... Like, you can use it as the add-in, or it has a standalone right. option, so that you can 
you can then lasso dimensions on a PDF, mm-hmm. and it'll interpret like, oh, this is a bila- bilateral dimension, and it's this plus this minus nothing, hmm. and it'll put it all together in there. So interesting. It's pretty neat, and it it saves a ton of time. Yeah, yeah, because I know it may be a problem, but I know all of our engineers use SolidWorks. And the inspector, the inspector and I use Inventor, or I use either Inventor or Fusion, because mm-hmm. I just told, I told them outright, I'm like, just give me this. I don't want to learn anything new. Not that, you know, if you want me to, I will, but I'll just be better and faster in this. Okay. So, I the, the two that I use. But I know he said he has Inventor, but I, Inventor may have that option too. I'll just have to poke around uh, well, and see it, either way you can use that functionality yeah. in the pdf so right it's just like so much better hmm i'll just throw that one out there so i think we paid i think it's like 900 dollars for an annual subscription mm-hmm. yeah that's nothing and you can get it for like a three month mm-hmm. if you wanted to which is what we did first because i'm like yeah i don't know if i want this the the main version or the pro version, mm-hmm. but the, uh, there's no reason for me to get the pro version right now. So, main version it is. Yeah. But yeah, I, it's like annually I just buy that when I need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I know most of the. Um, well, I know they use digital calipers and stuff in inspection, but a lot of it's just either just you know regular mechanical mics and stuff, but. And the other yeah, thing it's not a bad idea to is, throw that out there. Are they documenting their inspections all the time or are they just doing it and it's good or whatever? It's 50-50. Yeah. So depending on what it is, because we do a lot of stuff for military that has to be documented and, you know, I's and T's dots and, dotted and crossed. Um, and then we do, we also do a lot for the company that makes Gore-Tex. So all of that stuff is documented and everything too. But then like a lot of the service parts or like the, the quote unquote internal stuff that's, I mean, it's inspected, but you know, you look at it yeah. it's like, oh, this clearance hole is technically out of tolerance because it's plus or minus 10. And, oh, I grabbed the wrong drill. That's just a clearance hole. So it's, you know, it's, it's stuff like that, that, that'll get sent through. But most of the time they're just. I mean, they are doing the inspection to sign off on the traveler, mm-hmm. but other than that, it's not, it's fairly informal. Yeah. Which is fine. When yeah. That makes sense. We do a lot of fit check mm-hmm. where it's like, well, we don't really have a thread gauge, but we'll just put a screw or a bolt in it. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I can, I can agree to that for the most part. Mm-hmm. But when you start fit checking machined part to machined part, I'm like, you gotta at least inspect one of them. Some, yeah, something's gotta be. You gotta know that or, one of them, yeah, was right, so that down the road, if something fails, mm-hmm. like, what if you had that part undersized and you made the mating part undersized just to fit it? Yep. And then five years down the road, someone calls up and like, hey, you know, I'm looking for this part, and you go. Okay, and you make it to the drawing perfect, and now it doesn't work? Yep. As opposed to going back and looking at the procurement and go, oh, this was made wrong, yes. so we need to make this right. undersize again. 
which we've had to do, mm-hmm. but how do you know? Yeah. There was parts that I did uh, that there were they were threaded on each end, and for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's because of how the machine was set up, because nothing's really taken care of, like worth of anything. And like the first thread, the thread gauge wouldn't, it'd be tight, but it would, it would go, but it'd be tight. And then once it got past the first thread, it flew right on no problem. So I don't know what the deal with it was. And it was every single piece. And even though I, you know, I'd try dialing it in and it just, it wouldn't go. So I did the same thing with a nut, check the nut, nut flew on no problem. All right. Our inspector gets it and he's going over them and he's saying the thread gauge won't go, but I said, get a nut. Will that go? Well, yeah. And I said, okay. So I went out and just drilled and tapped a piece and said, here, will it go in there? Yeah, they go in there fine. That's what we're doing with the other parts. So that's going to fit. The gauge is fine, but it's fitting with the mating part. So, or, a, you know, a theoretical mm-hmm. mating part. But, you know. Yeah. And, and we do that a lot mm-hmm. because we do a lot of one-off stuff. And it's like, I'm not buying a... Not buying a six lead gauge, <laughs> yeah, or finding six, one six let lead left handed gauge yeah. for one, for one part. part that you'll probably never see again. And we just had one that was a six lead like that. And the shop's like, Do you have a mating part for me? I'm like, yeah, I do, but you're gonna have to wait like 12 weeks to get it. <laughs> and he's like, Well, I'll rough it up to the point. That yeah. I need to thread it, but you're not getting your part till I have the mating mm-hmm. one. Fair. Yep. Deal. I'd rather you just make it right the first time. And when you start getting into those multi-lead call-outs, too, mm-hmm. was it spec'd right? Right. Or did they write it one way and mean something else? Because I've seen it both mm-hmm. ways. So, like, I'd prefer that anyway, because I want to make sure... That you're doing exactly, right. yeah, exactly what is made and yeah. it's called out, hopefully. So that one worked out good. Mm-hmm. It's like an inch and a quarter diameter, six lead thread through a half inch piece of bronze. And I'm like, so what's there? Oh, uh, it's only got like an eighth of a turn yeah. per <laughs> lead. It's like bordering on being a spline at some point. Yeah, for yeah, for the most part. But, oh well, but, what do yeah, we know? It works. <laughs> as long well, as it works. So that, the one that comes on the assembly, so it's like a part we buy that mm-hmm. has a nut on it already. But they make it out of nylatron. Like that, you know, that weird yeah. nylon-ish plastic. Mm-hmm. And... It's ultra fine pitch. It's like an 18 pitch, but then it's six lead. So it's technically what, a three? Yeah. Yeah. It makes my head hurt. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But yeah, it's very like weird. But that's why when you see even the call out, you're Mm -hmm. like, is it 18 or is it three? Right. I'm not sure. Yeah, we have one in the shop now that it's, we're basically reverse engineering a paint sprayer, mm-hmm. and there's a 
the only thing we, I mean, we don't really know how it works, but it doesn't really matter. But I guess there, there's a piece on the inside that's pretty much the same way. It's like half inch long, nine sixteenths diameter, but it's, it's like a four pitch or yeah, four start pitched screw. We have no idea. We're just, I just got it. They just kind of told me to draw what it was. All right, I'll just figure it out from here. But it, if I think if you put the pitch gauge on it, it's like a, it's like an eight or a twelve. But it's the same thing. It's maybe three quarters of the way around per screw. So yeah, it is dude, I don't know. We're just gonna make it what it is and not really worried about it. Yeah. So that that plastic when it cuts through though, like it's used for valve position indication. Mm-hmm. So it's like if it's over here, the valve is shut. If it's over here, right. the valve is open. But being that fine, like anytime a little piece of dirt or something gets in there, there goes the thread. It just cut recuts the thread yeah. and strips through. <laughs> and they're like, "Well, no, that's better because if it jammed, then you wouldn't be able to open or shut the valve." And it's like, "No, it's bad because now that's your indicator." The guy that's been trained to do this until this indicator sits over here is going to go throw a cheater bar on there and blow the valve apart. Mm-hmm. Because he thinks the valve's not shut. No, nobody will ever use a cheater bar. No, never. No one, that no never, one ever does that. I totally made that up. Yeah. What's a cheater bar? I like when you will go to plants and they'll have like a broken spoke out of a hand wheel on their valve. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know what happened. And they're like, this this system's not working correctly. And I'm like, uh-huh. I wonder why. Yep. And like, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, what's this six-foot pipe over here? Oh, that? That's when we can't get it closed. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, you know it's designed to work under normal human loads, right? <laughs> and if if every time you've ever operated it, it was easy, and now it's really hard that, like, maybe something's wrong with it? Nah. Nah. Don't throw that on? <laughs> nope. Can't, can't use logic. Uh, we had a, when I worked at this different company, they had a, a customer, it was the Navy, but one particular place, we need you to rework and, you know, redesign your indicator plates to say shut instead of closed. Okay. Why? They mean the same thing. We had an incident where, uh, I've, what, whatever, you know, someone was unable to shut the valve because there is no shut position, sir. Don't mind me, I'm just having an aneurysm. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And it's like, on one hand, was the person just being a douche? He probably got in trouble for doing something not exactly to the book. Right, yeah. So right before like, that. Okay, whatever you say. Yeah. Oh, and we're like, no, we're absolutely not changing it. If you needed to be, say something different, you can go take a Dremel tool and grind it off yourself and etch it in. Or put a piece of fucking tape over it. Yeah. <laughs> We're not reworking those parts because your people aren't smart enough to shut a valve. Jesus. 
<sighs> yep. I'm going to take a while to recover from that one. I like that one, though. Like, it says open and it says closed on it, I think. Okay, well, let's let's infer. <laughs> there's shut and there's open. Shut and not shut. And then you're told to shut and there's open and a different option. <laughs> it's probably the other option. Oh, man. But, you know, it's... I guarantee it was someone, and not that they were too stupid. It's someone no, that yeah, just, just got being in a smart trouble ass, sure. for something else. And then, you know, on the back end of that, someone had to take his being a smart ass. And literally. now they have to call us. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you get a good laugh. Out oh, of it. all right. I got a good one for you. So we're, we're in the middle of planning right now for a trade show coming up in mm-hmm. January. We have a new, uh, person that is asking if we can set up and weld live in our booth at the trade show. I mean, you can, but you're not going to see shit. No, you can't. <laughs> sure you can. They're you're not going to allow it. Like, and he, they really, like, now he really wants us to ask the trade show coordinator if we can have a live welding demonstration in our booth. I'd ask just for fun. I I told uh, my salesperson that's supposed to ask. I'm like, if I were you, I would call the person first and be like, I am being told to ask you a really stupid question. And I just want you to know that it's not me. (laughs) So I know it's stupid. Yeah. So please answer accordingly. But I'm going to email you this question. <laughs> yeah, preface it so you don't look like a total moron. I'm like, because you're the one that's going to look stupid now having to ask this. And she's like, I know. <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah, we just, we had one and I, I was, I was telling you at dinner, we made this robot for Chewy that picks up the 50 pound bags of dog food. And we have one installed... We took one and installed it in Ohio and one in, in Phoenix is going in the beginning of the year. The whole premise, for whatever reason, was to get the one in Dayton installed and to the point where it looks like it's running because we didn't have all the bugs worked out of it. We have the Phoenix one installed, hooked up, semi-running in our shop. And with the idea was we'd get that one figured out take it to Phoenix and install it and then go back to Dayton and get that one up and running. Well, come to find out the only reason that one was in Dayton was for a dog and pony show for their shareholders to just kind of walk past it, stare at it with the lights on. And I don't, I don't know if the robot arm was doing anything or if it was just kind of sitting there just with power to it, but they just kind of walked past it, looked at it. Oh, okay. And kept right on going down the aisle. So, you know, we spent, they spend how many millions of dollars just to make a shareholder, oh, look, this is what we're doing now. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. They don't, they just don't give a shit. And, <laughs> hey, it uh, doesn't matter to us. My coworker's father started a company like that. 
That's awesome. He, <laughs> he bought, he, like, he was bidding this huge electronics project and, like, had no, no work history, no, nothing. Hey. Yeah, I mean, went went and bought a bunch of scrap parts from, like wherever, and just hired a couple people for the day. Come in, sit at a table, with all this stuff, and look like you're working. Like, you know, okay. some soldering irons, yeah. a whole bunch of electronic pieces, <laughs> and a couple people doing stuff there one day, and he won a whole bunch of work. That's amazing. <laughs> like a multi-million dollar company at one point. That's awesome. Kind of, and you're like, man, some of these people, though, like, if you can't smell that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, I don't know. Leaving the, the one customer that that followed me to the new place that I'm doing the quote for, they're, in order for them to kind of sign off on giving us the PO, they have to tour the shop. And when they toured down the other place, like, we... My boss made us take a day and just clean up, you know, straighten up. Maybe. And I'm like, they're not going to care if there's, you know, one of the tables has a bunch of blown out parts on it because that's just the catch all table. Like, they're not going to care. But we cleaned it up anyway. And their justification was, you know, we, it's not that we, you know, don't trust you, but we just, it's the corporate thing. We just want to make sure that you're not some, you know, you're not a guy in his garage with a bridge port and a, you know, a bench top lathe that's quoting, you know, hundred or $200,000 worth of work. It's like, oh, well now, you know, how are you going to get all this done? Well, I'll figure it out. I could do it on this. They just kind of want to make sure. Yeah. But it, it's just funny that there's some places that have to do that. And then like you said, you have a guy that just bullshits his way into the contract. They're like, okay, here you go. Right. No. Oh, they definitely have employees. Like, yeah. Uh, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Not even really employees. Yep. But I mean, really, our shop is like that too, because we we get plenty of walkthroughs from our CEO, and he just kind of walk. And I've heard what he says. He just kind of walks through. Oh yeah, we have milling machines and this, that, and the other, and just uh, just kind of just to see what's there. And even the the uh, younger guys that'll bring that'll bring people through, they. I mean, they just don't know what we do. And it's like, uh, we have, yeah, these machines. And it's like, if you don't know, just, you can ask somebody. Like, we're not going to say no. Like, yeah. Hey, what's the, hey, can you take this guy well, through the machine but, shop? But also, are you not practicing that and rehearsing well, that, it? Yeah, like, that too. Like, you, you know, know what you're going to say. Or at least I mean, have some kind like, of Like, what's knowledge. your elevator pitch? Right, yeah. You know, like, if someone asks you, what do you do? Mm-hmm. How do you answer it? Yeah. I work for an automated systems integrator. It's that simple. I mean, now it's I, that simple. I used to make a joke that if you couldn't answer that question in one sentence, it's probably illegal. Yeah. I mean, what? No. We, there, there's some funny stuff going but, on right now in the shop. But. <laughs> but, like, the company that I work for has so many different aspects of mm -hmm. what they do that... I almost need to know what you do before I can answer that question. Right, yeah. How can I explain it based on what you know? Well, it, not only what you know, but also 
like what it actually applies to you because at on some level I may either be able a supplier to you mm-hmm. or a customer from you but I just like I need to know what you do right. so that I can explain what I do cuz we do uh industrial valve maintenance and repair services we sell the repair tools we do the valve actuation systems. We do custom engineered solutions. We do, uh, we have a specialty welding department. We have a valve testing group. We make the valve testing equipment. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know, what's you, what do you do first? Yeah. Yeah, we do valve stuff and I can elaborate well, when I know what you do. Well, my, uh, the sales manager, coworker, she used, was like, Everything valve related. That's what we do. Yeah. Everything valve related, or all things valve related. But our CEO's like, I don't like it. I don't like the way it sounds. That's because it's too quick and concise. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's because you know, like he bought the company off of his parents, mm-hmm. who started it. So if he talks about it, well, my parents started it with this, and there's like a story there, right? Yeah, there's an attachment where your one of your employees but, is just. But if we yeah. have to lead with the well, it was started by Mister So and So, and in 1985 when he left this company and he had all his connections, mm-hmm. it's just like no one freaking cares. Yeah, they just you know, oh, what do you do for work? This is what I do. They don't. Yeah, we we do this. We also like I've been getting more into trying to hit the smaller local companies. Mm-hmm. I like the supplemental engineering work that's not really engineering work. Right. Companies that are too busy to do their own 3D models. Mm-hmm. Oh, these customers keep sending drawings and don't have 3D models. I, I can do that for you and you can bill them. Put it right on your quote. If you don't supply 3D models, you're being charged. You for will it. be charged for 3D models. Mm-hmm. And then I can do those. Or. You need help on how to set up or fix your inspection. I can help you with that. Yeah. You need a fixture tool designed. Okay. Like, simple things like that. I don't even call it engineering service. Mm-hmm. I call it manufacturing support service. Right. Because half the time you go to a shop and they're like, nah, we, we don't need any engineering. It's like, but you do need support, don't mm-hmm. you? For something, anything. And it's, you can't go to an engineering firm and get that stuff. They they don't want to work on that stuff. No. It's piddly. Yep. They, and and uh, even so, they want to do it from scratch because nine times out of ten, you're not going to find an engineer that has any sort of manufacturing background other than, oh, well, I'll just make this assembly on my computer and then I send it off. Because even most, I mean, most of our engineers at least have some sort of, like, manufacturing ability. But a couple of them just zero. Like the one, every single angle, angle iron print that he gives us, dimensioned from the leg, not from the corner. I'm like, dude. And I've told him three or four times. You know that's not square, right? Yeah, I've told him three or four times. I'm like, you do know that just because you say three by three angle, it's not three by three. So you have to give me the dimension from the wall, not from the the leg of it. Like it doesn't 
Because if you give me a quarter inch from the leg and the material's, you know, 50 thou under, guess what? Now it doesn't pass inspection. So, and even, and when I do something like that, I just do the math and take it from the backside. And I tell our inspectors, I'm like, listen, it's called out from here, but I'm not an idiot. So I took it from the right side Mm -hmm. and that's what number you're going to get. Oh, okay. No problem. So as long as, you know, as long as somebody down the line knows that, but you know, I mean, I told the engineer, I don't know how many times they just keep getting them the same way. Okay. Fair enough. My dad used to do that and he, he would always tell me different stories of this one engineer that he worked for. He was their tool and die maker. And the guy would always have overlapping tolerances. And he's like, you got to fix your prints. You can't make it like this or it's not going to work. It'll work. Just make it. And he would intentionally make it not work. Mm -hmm. Over and over and over. And the guy freaking hated him. So, fast forward a handful of years and I'm working at a, a different place. And I've got this drafter that I work with. And over time he we're talking and something else and he's like well I used to work at at this place and I'm like oh my dad used to work there and he's like yeah I know who your dad is (laughs) he's like I got in trouble all the time from the engineer that I worked for for tolerances (laughs) that he forced me to do this way He's like, I knew they were wrong, but he kept forcing me to do them that way. And then I'd get yelled at when the parts came in bad. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, but your tolerance is in fit. Yeah. They were wrong. And my dad also used to, at a different spot, he had an engineer that would always come by and take stuff off of his tool bench. Like, just, you know, play, fiddle with it, play with it, talk to him while he's trying to work, and then walk away with it. So he got, I don't remember what it was, but he was heating it up just under red hot. Perfect. And he'd keep it, you know, pop the torch again and get it just under red hot and just wait for the guy to come by. (laughs) And he grabbed it the one day and totally burned his hand. And he's like, you didn't tell me it was hot. And he's like, I didn't tell you to touch it. You're like, man, you're a jerk, but I like it. I mean, that's funny, though, too, because we were having the conversation on break the other day of, like, how kids now or even just, you know, like, younger workers in their 20s, like, they don't have, they don't have coworkers or supervisors, bosses that are like that anymore, where everybody's kind of... They've really backed off like how like the passive aggressive torment that you can mm-hmm. get from a coworker or whatever. And you know, you I mean, how many kids have worked for in construction for a year or two where like if you cut a board a sixteenth off and you give it to the guy that's on the roof, he spears it down at you because you're a more what are you a moron? You can't even cut a goddamn board. Like you don't they don't have that anymore mm-hmm. or just you know like machinists that are just totally brutal that are old and cantankerous. I, the one guy I work with told me that they would, the new guys that they would hire, they would, or like the younger kids, they'd tell them, go get the electric knurling file. 
and all and it it was a semi-legitimate thing it was just a file that had an electrical cord taped around it so like you think about it it's like if some kid plugged that <laughs> plugged this fucking thing in he's he's fucking going through the roof because he's getting fucking yeah. 120 volts right to his fucking hand it's like oh go go catch me a bucket of sparks <laughs> like there's none of that anymore yeah I mean, we still kind of do it because... The, the aluminum magnet's a good yeah, one. Yeah, the aluminum magnet's a good one. Um, I'm trying to think what some of the other ones are. There used to be... Well, there still is a print that floats around every now and then of where it's, like, drawn isometric, but some of the line, Like, the lines aren't drawn right, but if, if you look at it past this point, it's a legitimate part. If you look at it past this point, it's legit, but if you... Yeah, Look you at, tie that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the like three posts. Yeah, you're. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. You're like, what the mm-hmm. fuck? It it makes sense, but it doesn't. Um, but the one kid that's on, well, he's not not really a kid. He's probably mid early twenties, but he's on a billboard for the one tech school. And I'm driving to work the one morning, and I looked, and I'm like, ha, no shit, and it didn't occur to me. I'm like, oh, I got to do something with this. So the next morning, when I was driving to work. I saw it come up, but it was for it was a different person. So I pulled over on the side of the road and sat there. It was one of the electronic billboards that change all the time. And I sat there with my phone on the side of the road at like 5 o'clock in the morning just waiting for this fucking picture to come up. And it came up. I took a picture, brought it to work, cropped out the, um, cropped out the college logo, put our company logo on it. And printed like a dozen of them. And we hung them up all over in the shop. One of them was taped inside his toolbox. And he comes in the next, that day. And there's three or four of us in the office. And he just looks at all of us. And he goes, where the fuck did the picture come from? <laughs> and we're like, what are you talking? Just all played dumb. We're like, what are you talking about? The fucking picture with with me on it. And we're just like, and the one guy says, well, you're on the billboard. You should know. <laughs> He's like, I don't know shit. I don't know. Just getting all bent out of shape about it. And as soon as the door closed, we're all just sitting there fucking laughing. That's hilarious. Then there was another... Well, and this this one was this week. I was running the the one CNC lathe. And when I started there in July, never ran a lathe. I ran a lathe maybe twice. And that was one of the... the, Kind of one of the the selling points. Like, you know, I want to learn this and I want to learn this machine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I've been putzing around on them and I was setting up the one to run and the other lathe guy comes over and he says, are you going to like to the one of the other guys on second has a shop of his own? And he says, are you going to his house at night and like taking classes or something that I don't know about? And I'm like, why? What do you mean? He's like, well, you don't really know what you're doing. And then like, he didn't mean it like a dick, but he's like, you really don't know what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. So I went into my office, pulled up some fucking random diploma, plopped his company logo on it and just made it all this bullshit. And I said, listen, as a matter of fact, I am taking night classes and here's my fucking diploma. So then that got passed around the shop and we have tuition reimbursement. So I went up to the, to the office and I asked our secretary, hey, could I turn this in for tuition? And she just looked at it quick. She's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you have any, you know, your receipts or anything? I'm like, Melissa, look at it. And then she looks, she looks more at it and looks at me. She's like, 
you're fucking bad down there. Yeah, I just like to entertain myself. But it's, it's, yeah, just little shit like that that you got to do to have fun. But yeah, there's no... I mean, no one's really that brutal on anybody anymore. No, no. No, not like the old days. No, no, because... The, just a blue collar torment is. <laughs> when I worked at uh, the hardware company, we used to have to send stuff out to to just get modified a mm-hmm. lot because the one that we would buy was pretty simple in stock, and then you'd send a whole bunch out to get modified mm-hmm. into larger holes or add holes right. or something else. And we'd send some stuff out, and the one machine shop would sometimes forget to work like an entire box of parts. Mm-hmm. He, the purchasing guy'd call up and be like, "Hey, you got a box of holes down there?" <laughs> and he'd be like, "Ah, oh, I forgot to do the whole box, didn't I? I'll come get them." But I like that question. You got a box of holes? Yeah, that's that's a good one. Anyway, we've been going for like an hour, and I don't remember exactly how long the last podcast was. Well, Probably a lot three. Longer. Yeah, it was. It's so when we three. tack this one on the end, <laughs> it's going to be a pretty long guy. That's okay. If anyone listens, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> some people are like, oh, it's too long. I don't want to listen. It's like it pauses and holds the spot you're mm-hmm. in. So I don't know. what. What's it matter if it's two or three sections at an hour apiece or yeah, one long or one? Or just one long one. Whatever. So it is what it is. But yeah. yeah, life changed and for the better for the most part. So just so happened that, you know, you drug your feet <laughs> on the other part of the episode and well, didn't drag your feet. You just, life is busy. Eh, we'll call it dragging yeah. feet. All right. Fair enough. I suck. <laughs> Here's the challenge <laughs> Am I going to edit this this weekend <laughs> and get it posted? Who knows? Maybe, I don't know, maybe six months down the line. Hey, remember that episode? Today is December 7th. <laughs> Just for posterity's <laughs> sake. So we'll see. We'll see if I can do it or not. Yeah. Maybe. But at least your uh, your batteries are clean. Yeah. And my glasses are. <laughs> your glasses are broken. On my face. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that quick. So I have very flexy glasses that I like to show off, and as soon as we were eating dinner, I'm like, hey, these ones are like rider proof, and went to show how flexy they are and snapped my glasses in half. <laughs> it was awesome. And maybe I'll tape them together before I hit the road. It'd probably be a good idea. Probably. <laughs> They're holding pretty good yeah. for like being be- barely, barely together. attached, yeah. Whatever. As long as you can see. That's the important part. I can see. But yeah. Alright, well, episode 60. Cool. We need to do another one that's like less work related. Actually, hang on. I screenshotted something. When I was trying to figure out when the date was that you (laughs) told me. And I screenshotted uh Something about a Chris Farley lookalike changed your oil in Reno. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, that was uh, that was a good trip. 
Yeah, uh, my friend Dennis and I we were we decided to to drive to California and back, and on the way back we stopped in Reno to get our oil changed, and we're sitting there, we're like, "Holy shit, Chris Farley's changing our fucking oil." <laughs> I mean, that's that's about all that the there is to the story. It's just it was just weird. Yeah, it, well, it looks like there's a whole bunch more to the beginning of that story. That is like a whole series of things and ended with Chris Farley changing your oil, but yeah, details. Yeah. She got got drunk in Hollywood, yelled uh, at in Flagstaff, the whole, yeah, the whole, over yeah, in Wyoming. Yeah, getting yelled at in Flagstaff. Fuck, fuck those people. <laughs> I mean, it was my first time going more or less out of the East Coast. So we're driving through Flagstaff, Arizona, which is, you know, Arizona is like fucking 90% desert. And I see a sign on the road that says, bridge may be icy. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like, somebody put that up as a joke. So we stopped for gas. I happened to ask, you know, is not being an asshole, but I was just like, hey, is that fucking sign legit or what? And I got fucking yelled at by about four or five different rednecks on how we get we get like four foot of snow a year and and we have harsh sledding and all this. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm from fucking Pennsylvania. Like to all of the Southwest is a fucking desert to me. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not cultured, but yeah, I, I'm never going back to Flagstaff. The place sucks. <laughs> Cause I was an asshole. Once. And the bridge might be icy. Yeah. 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 So I'm not, I'm not trying I think it was August, too, so chances are it wasn't going to be icy, no matter oh, how high you are. Well, you know, those guys. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. See, that's like one of those signs you just either take down or put up or, like, have a date range on it so that it just isn't so I odd. mean, or, you know, you just use your common sense. Yeah, and just drive past it and don't fucking question it. <laughs> I don't know. You're right there. You got to ask questions. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, is that because it's a highway and you have to put that at the the lead into bridges for interstate right. rules? Or yeah, I mean, I, is it actually icy? Hey, like I said, my logic was Arizona's a desert. Why would it be icy ever? And then, you know, now she has relatives out in Albuquerque that we were out there in October and it was like, 30 degrees in the morning and 75 in the afternoon. So it's, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> it's real. Yeah, mass temperature swings yeah. and wind and... Mm-hmm. But, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I made an ass of myself in Flagstaff. Whatever. Not the first time, won't be the last. <laughs> then on the same trip, we stopped in Oklahoma City to sleep. And we both had a moment like that because it was fucking pouring like we looked out of the hotel window and the like the parking lot was basically flooded. And we were we had the TV on and it said something about tornado warning or tornado watch. We both kind of looked at each other and we were like, "Yeah, right. There's no fucking tornadoes." And then like as we were both falling asleep, we had the same realization of like, "Oh, we're in fucking Oklahoma, the middle of Oklahoma. Yeah, they get fucking tornadoes." So it was just I don't know, that whole trip was just kind of I mean, not that either of us were ignorant to the rest of the country, but it was like, oh yeah, yeah, just that realization just that it's to real. Being there, though. Yeah, 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 like just legitimate. Yeah, things do that. 
then I lost my mind when we were driving through Wyoming, I think. Yeah, he was asleep in the back, and I was just, just because it's straight and flat. And as soon as you get into Wyoming from, from the west, they start having signs for Cheyenne. So, okay. Cheyenne, fucking 400 miles, 375 miles, 300 miles. And I'm like, all right. You could put a different town on there's the sign. There's literally nothing I mean, there's else. No, yeah, there's nothing else there. But I'm just like, you could put a, something else on the sign. And then when we passed it, I was just very underwhelmed. And I just started by myself just flipping the fuck out. And he, when we pulled over for gas, he's like, I could drive now. I'm like, yeah, all right, fine. And he's just like, what the fuck was your problem? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, you were fucking flipping out. Like I, and I was just like I don't know fucking Cheyenne there was just nothing there. It just you build four hundred miles of that anticipation and then it's like, yeah nothing. I'm like what the fuck? <laughs> so I just got pissed off. I felt similarly when I first flew into Denver for work, mm-hmm. and I'll still just like angrily I'm like, Denver is a lie. <laughs> There's fucking nothing here. There's the Mile High City. Like, everything about it. Every time you see pictures of mm-hmm. it or video, they're showing the mountains and stuff. And you're flying into it, and you're like, are we landing in the wrong spot? We're in the Great Plains. Yes. <laughs> no. No, Denver's not that, in the mountains. It's yeah. in the Great Plains. <laughs> the whole Everything that entire city is based on is a lie. <laughs> like, I hate that place, and I've never <laughs> even spent time there. I'm the same with with Las Vegas because it was like 120 degrees and I think all we did was get gas. And I was just, he has a picture of me just walking out of the convenience store and how miserable I am because it's fucking a million degrees and I I have no interest in going back to Las Vegas ever. We went to Las Vegas for our honeymoon. And neither of us gamble and neither of us really drink. It's a good place to go then. Yeah, it was awesome. (laughs) And even better... The week we were there was Interbike. Oh, and I'm boy. like, I hate to do this to you, <laughs> but I have to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I I ended up going to Interbike for like an entire day yeah. with my friends that were also in town <laughs> for Interbike. <laughs> Sorry, honey. I'm bailing on you for a day. <laughs> Whatever. You're fine. Yeah. But... She's like, you knew. I'm like, well, technically I did, but I forgot. Yeah, it's like, I know it's around this time. (laughs) I didn't really look at it until after we were already going. And I'm like, yes. Oh. (laughs) So that was awesome. And very, um, I don't know, underwhelming experience. Mm -hmm. Like, not surprised that. They don't really do it anymore. Yeah. What What year did you go? One of the last few that they yeah. did it. Yeah, so it's... 26... Hang on, I gotta get this right because I got married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll never live this one down. 2016. Yeah, so like you weren't there in like 2004. Yeah. No, and <laughs> it was... It was just fucking maniacs. It was weird because you're on Instagram and you see like, you know, oh, the volume booth. Right. Like, Everything they have, they didn't have a booth. Mm-hmm. They set it up in their warehouse to look like 
a booth next right. to a booth next to a booth and then show off all their stuff, but they weren't paying the money to go. Yeah, well, that's like FBM the last couple of years. They they were just were in the QBP booth. Mm-hmm. So, or um, like other people carrying a backpack of parts around and just like kind of walking you away from mm-hmm. Interbike to show you their offerings for the year. And then you both walk back to Interbike. Yeah. But like... You know, they weren't paying for a booth mm-hmm. either, and they know that if they got caught doing that, they're getting kicked out. Right. So it's just very weird. Well, bike industry's in a, a weird spot. I can't believe, so, like, you know, with, with people like Gerber doing all the different custom pedals and stuff mm-hmm. on 3D printers, and then newer generations taking over bike shops and whatnot. I can't believe that there's not a shop just doing custom pedal stuff. Yeah. Like, you can buy all the spindles and bearings by the boatload. Sure. And you could definitely just be like, oh, yeah, here, well, here's our shop pedals mm-hmm. that we do. Right. Or, you know, for an upcharge, we can do your own. And different bar and stuff. Like, you could do so much. Sure kind of special yeah, custom, custom stuff custom doodads and whatnot but i don't know i guess just nobody nobody really wants to get into it it is what it is i want to run a bike shop but sure. that's a horrible idea i was gonna say i'd i'd do it if there was money in it <laughs> there's just i feel like part of the challenge is that you're not actually paying for what you value in it mm-hmm. you know like you're buying bike parts and stuff, but that's not the part of the experience that you value. It's like you enjoy the hangout and sure. the, the meetup spot right. and all that. And it's like, man, I wonder if you could operate it more as a club. Right. Five and bucks and just hang out as long as like, you want. Yeah, sure. Well, anyone can come in and buy stuff, mm-hmm. but like if you buy into the club, then you get a discount. You're getting yeah. like, you know, cost plus mm-hmm. a little bit instead of standard shop margin. Right. But you're also helping cover. Yeah, you're still supporting it all consistently. And then you're at the shop all the time. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, it's the meetup spot, all the other stuff that kind of comes with that. And yeah, it's, wouldn't be in, wouldn't be a bad business model to try out. I mean, it's the, it's you like, got to be in a city for that to work. Yeah, absolutely. You can't do it, you know, and, in like you couldn't do it in Wilkes-Barre, you couldn't I do mean, it in, you, in Bingham. Yeah, then. like you. I mean, we used to because that's that's what the bike shop used to be. You know, we'd all. I mean, we still kind of just meet there out of reflex because that's it's just everybody knows where it's at. Mm-hmm. But but I mean, as far as just doing a bike shop by itself, I mean, we had parts and stuff at at the skate park, and when we placed our first order. And I mean, we we were a shadow dealer, so you know how they are with colors and the splash colors and all this shit. And it's like, you know, what do we even order? And it's like, oh, you know, you first you'd figure out what to order, and then it's what colors do we get? It's like, Jesus, you know, all right, you know, my opinion, just get everything in black, but not everybody likes black. You're going to get the, oh, mm-hmm. my entire bike's black, but I want a red stem. It's like, fuck. Like, we have every color but. 
Yeah. So well, it, you and, you buy the black one, and I'll give you the five dollars back yeah. to go get a can of Krylon. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really. Just that's what we should have did. Just buy everything one color and have a bunch of cans. Of have a paint. cool little paint booth. <laughs> it's not a bad idea though. I, again, it's kind of that like the idea of a bike shop right. model though. Like, be a little bit more custom than mm-hmm. a regular just right. buy and resell shop. But, you know, I I think that that mentality comes from just working with Derek so mm-hmm. much on different stuff yeah. too. Because at some point you're like, why do I have to live with stock? Right. I don't have to live with stock. No. Um, we just, well, he did all the work, but I hooked him up with one of my friends that doesn't have thumbs. Okay. So for like when he he was born without them, he's got a whole bunch of like different. His forearms are ultra short, like only a couple inches, mm-hmm. and he's missing like major muscle groups and yeah, no thumbs. Then when he was little, they repositioned his index finger into a makeshift thumb. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he can't hold Nor- handlebars yeah, normally, right? And his wrists are about 90 degrees in mm-hmm. from what, like, yours and mine would be. Right. And he does, like, 100-mile road races and stuff. That's fucking ridiculous. But he's never been able to hold mm-hmm. on. So he's like, yeah, like, it gets kind of sketchy sometimes yeah. when I'm just, like, leaning on sure. it. And I'll, like, I'll hit a bump and I'll lose my, you know, fall yeah, into my armpit yeah, or something. He's like, but I've, I've never had any major crashes, knock on wood. And it's like. Yeah, but you're one away from. But, like, you don't have to live with that. I'm right. like, he could help. He could make you something that works for you. Mm-hmm. Like, make you a different set of handlebars that's more like pans. Right. And then you can be in. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, if you need to let go, you just let go. Yeah, more or less, you know, steering with your elbows kind yeah. of thing. So, you know, he came down, Derek, like, carved the whole thing out of foam to make Mm -hmm. sure it was comfortable for him and the way he wanted it and everything. Then it's, like, pretty adjustable in Mm -hmm. case it wasn't quite right. Right. And then he was, he's like, well, I actually want to just buy a new bike to put this on. He's like, well, if you're buying a new bike, I just need to make everything adjustable so it can be where it needs to be. So he did that, and it came out really awesome. And he's he like loves it. He's like, I never knew what I was missing, but mm-hmm. it like immediately it was comfortable. Yeah, yeah. You're and he's not like struggling and he's like, to, you know, like I he doesn't have the hand strength to pull the brakes mm-hmm. good. So now he's got disc like hydraulic disc on it. Right. And he's like, it doesn't take all that much effort, mm-hmm. and also. Like, just, like, he can just bomb a hill, right. and he's not even scared now, because mm-hmm. he's just in control. Right. He's like, yeah, it's so awesome. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. I'm like, cool. And I'm like, I bet you, you could get on a cross-country mountain bike now, and at least do some, like, little sure. stuff, because you're in it. Like, mm-hmm. you're in the pocket. Right. You don't, you don't have to worry about blowing a hand off mm-hmm. on a little bump. Yeah, you're basically... He's basically clipped in with his arms. Yeah. So he's he wants to try 
throwing that set of bars on a mountain bike and maybe getting like okay. now that he's got it adjusted where mm-hmm. he likes it right get another set made for his mm-hmm. race bike your road bike that's just where it needs to yeah. be yeah so yeah, that that could awesome. be cool good for him but they're they're neat like you know why why live with what what you have mm-hmm. and the the shop he was trying to work with on it they're like, well, you you buy a new bike, and then we'll figure out how to course. how to make it work for you. And it's like, yeah, they just want to sell you a bike, and then like, there's nothing that they're gonna do for you because they don't have the ability. To yeah, do it. yeah. And even even if they find something close or that will work, it's not really gonna work. You know, yeah, it'll, it'll no, work to like, an extent, but like this setup's not gonna work for anyone, sure, except for this guy. R- yeah. Yeah, fully custom built setup. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Anyway, we we just kept talking. So yeah, it I guess I guess we'll just forcefully end it right now. We'll talk about bikes more one of these times, or, or just or not. just bikes or not. <laughs> eh, who cares? Yeah. I I used to think that that's what people wanted was mm-hmm. to just listen to another BMX podcast, but like. I don't know. We all work, you know? Yeah. I'm, I feel like like this is just a repeat of the end of the last episode. Or the last chunk of Pro- episode probably, or whatever. Yeah, probably. Because I'm pretty sure... It's hard for me to remember. Yeah. Because I just haven't paid attention to it. Yeah. I haven't been focused on the <laughs> podcast. I haven't been focused on Grindworks. Yeah. I know we talked about that with, yeah, with, with like the pegs cost stuff, of pegs. Yeah. I've got... A couple people have reached out recently. One wants me to like help them get some different like hardened bolts made. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, well, I need to explore this opportunity too mm-hmm. for myself and see like is there is there anything I can do or when I run out of stock is it dead? Right. So we'll see. Hopefully, I'll hopefully I'll have some progress on twenty twenty four. Yeah. Maybe I can fund Grindworks through my job, because I'm in charge of the products division now. There you go. So and they it, can stock them. Yes, yes. Sneak and it, we'll just, sneak it in there under some. I'll just some sell them part through number. there, yeah. and it's whatever. Yeah. yeah oh, let we them, yeah, let we, them cover. No, the we need like hundreds of these a year. <laughs> <I> don't... <laughs> you realize we have like thousands of these in stock. Yeah, we still need hundreds a year. You're not managing inventory. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. It's already paid for. Shut up. Yeah, whatever. You know, or maybe I'll end up with some some portion of my job where I'm in an office more than I'm in the shop, and I end up with a shop in my backyard, and then I can make them for nothing for you because I'm an idiot like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. You just like doing cool things when it makes sense. Right. Like the metal sprockets, I probably would if. If I would have had a home shop and did them, it'd probably be a fraction of the fucking cost. But that's, I mean, you know. Yeah. Would have been a different situation, too, but. Well, so I just reached out to the dude. Uh, did you talk to Tim Hankins about doing mm-hmm. some stuff at yep. all at any point? Yeah. Yeah, he he offered the stems to me first, and I told him with, you know, with the machine that I had, it would, I wouldn't be able to make them for any cost where he could like legitimately sell them for or at least you know be able to sell them where somebody would buy them 
Well, and that's he just posted something about that. Now I want to see what it said. And I I reached out to him cuz I want to do a podcast episode with him. Mhm. He'd probably be a good one. Yeah, well for a couple reasons. So he he posted I have been getting a multitude of questions, even some hate mail regarding the prices of our new line of BMX parts. Figured. Figured I would address it all at once and hopefully help you all to understand where my head is at with mm. this new venture. Also, I'm learning that I picked quite a magical time to start a parts brand. <laughs> <laughs> with yeah, all post-COVID, fucking awful. With all that's going on behind the scenes in the BMX industry right now, I just want you all to know that myself and Capital BMX brand will still be here the next time the industry shits the bed too (laughs) let our beginning be a testament to everything that is to come we are not going anywhere 10 toes down but the the actual post says uh let's see when you make a purchase with our small business you are paying for much more than just our your average bike parts you're paying for our machinist to keep a small local business afloat and ready to produce more radical products like our own. You are paying our local anodized company to keep food on their table. You are paying our rider-owned bike shops all across the nation to be able to profit off of our stuff as well, so that they can keep their lights on and continue doing good things for their local scenes. You are paying for us being able to work towards the goal of offering benefits to our team riders and friends that promote our products. Most importantly, you are paying for the future of our brand. You are supporting us in being able to do it all again next year. Sure, we could sell out our products for the same price we make them for, like everyone else this year seems to be doing. We could break even and call it quits after the first run of parts because the industry is in the gutter, but that wouldn't be beneficial for anyone in our food chain that not only has their own bills to pay, but also wants to see... that this through with us maybe one day things will get better to where we can have these things made for cheaper and only then we will sell those things to the public for cheaper prices too but for right now we're working with what's actually possible creating change instead of waiting for it there's there's a little bit more to that but yeah the, I just, the gist of it's there yeah <clears throat> but like, I feel that. Sure, <laughs> yeah. And I don't even know where his prices are at. Yeah, I don't know either. I think but... they're just a little bit higher than... Yeah, but I mean, it's... But it's it's also, it's probably friends. Oh, really? I well, thought you were going to be able to hook me up for like sure, this much. Sure, that, that's always how it is. But I mean, like, he, he hit it on the head where, I mean, it's, you know, it's all at least local, you know, locally made to him and it's... You know, you're not, I mean, sure, could he probably find some, you know, conglomerate manufacturer in China that it's like, oh, here's what I want made. And they'll, you know, make him a run of thousands of them for 15 bucks a pop shipped. And it's like, all right, yeah, then he can sell them for a, a you know, if, closer if to market thousands price. of them. Yeah, if you want thousands of them. I think he, because he... I think he wanted when him and I were talking. I think he wanted fifty of them. Yeah, twenty five. It was. Sounds like it a was a really amount. low quantity, and it's like I think that's a lot of people miss that too. Where you know, you're the lower the quantity, the higher the price is going to be because now, you know, you're if you're taking 
like say each one runs for an hour just to make life easier. You know, now that, and you want to do 10 of them. Run time, that's 10 hours. But now you have programming time and setup time. So if each of those are an hour, that's two. Now you're amortizing that over the 10. Now, if you do 20, now you're amortizing that over 20. 100 and like the, you know, the cost per piece mm -hmm. is going to stay the same as far as runtime, but your material cost is going to go down. Your and all shipping your for the material, right? That's going to lower the cost sure, of the material. Sure, and then you're, you know, you're dragging that, you're dragging your setup costs across a bigger get a bigger quantity. So that's going to get low. So your price overall is just going to be lower. Well, and anodize and stuff up to I don't know what the weight is at a lot of places, but it's usually pretty substantial mm -hmm. that like. Unless you're doing a hundred something pounds of parts, you're paying a minimum on that anodized. Sure. Work. So, like, you might pay 125 bucks to have stuff anodized, and it doesn't matter if it's one, one piece or a hundred, yeah, or a hundred. And after a hundred, then you're paying like the pennies per right square inch or something. Yeah, whatever but, it works out to be. Yeah, there's there's a lot that's like on the back end or not a not even on the back end, but I guess included pricing that like a lot of, a lot of people just don't get. So, I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot to it. And that's, I mean, it's more than just bike parts. It's fucking cars and, well, and anything. I mean, we, t let's talk about that. You got, okay. The material had to get shipped to the shop. Then the shop had to ship it to anodize and then it had to ship back to mm -hmm. the shop and then it ships to you. Yeah. How how much does it cost to send something in UPS? Sure, yeah, thirty or forty. A box of parts, you're looking at thirty or forty bucks, right? One way, and then you add that four times. Yeah. So like, it's getting there, right? It's, it's up there in in cost, and then yeah, it's wild. Yeah, people, I mean, people don't get it until. And, you know, I'll be interested talking to Tim. Did he know? Mm hmm Did he really understand it yeah. before he started getting into it? <laughs> yeah. Because, like he said, you know, come to find out, I picked a magical time to start doing a parts Right, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, I don't think you knew. No. Everything. But how would you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if unless you're in it, or at least, you know, you know you've been like associated with a bike shop for a while, you really don't know. Like, I mean, Kevin and Plains and I will talk all, all the time. It's like, you know, Hey, bike industry looks like it's in the shitter. He's like, yeah, it pretty much is. But I mean, it's, you know, we it's have a race to the bottom though. It They've is. done it to themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's everywhere. I mean, that's, that's why you and I are involved in quoting. It's, you know, you're the, the idea is to be cheaper than the next guy, but not to cut your legs off from under mm -hmm. you. But I mean, we, one of the, one project as, you know, painful as it is for me to admit that I've wanted to do is make a pair of scooter forks. It just looks like a, you know, something just looks like a fun project. And we have the live tooling lathe now at work. So that's what I was going to do this week when we were slow. And then I got, ended up getting busy, but I was looking at, um, at one of the companies that make them hundred bucks for a set of forks from solid aluminum. 
And I was even talking to our other lathe guy. You and I'm can't like, even buy the trunk of material. I said to him, how the fuck are they selling it for... And this anodized. I'm like, how the fuck are they selling it for that? You're looking... I think the piece that, that I would need is 3 inch diameter, 10 inches long. That piece of material is easily 25 bucks. How are you do? How are you doing that? You know, labor, uh, anodize shipping from China. How are you doing all that for seventy five? Not even seventy five, because that's retail. So they're probably they're a hundred retail. It's probably at least sixty dollars dealer, and I don't know. And they got to be forty five wholesale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's probably forty five wholesale. So how are they doing it for like? You know, twenty bucks, and that's landed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it's it's just that math is fucking mind boggling. But I mean, then it, you know, you also look at it too. You know, they're not getting thirty, forty dollars an hour in China either. They're getting thirty, forty dollars a day, and they probably have fucking rows of these machines that are knocking them out. But still, it's it's just ridiculous. And how how do you even compete with that? You know, when you when you get somebody like Tim or or Derek from Metal that say, "Hey, you know, I I want to make X amount of these." Well, okay, but you know, the market price do you, do is you what I'm going to be charging. Right, like the market price is what I'm going to charge you for me to make them each. So just realize you're either not going to make much off of them, or you know, you're going to try to make a lot and people are just going to shit all over you. Because oh well, I could get a fucking this one for forty five bucks instead of this one for seventy five. But the one that's seventy five is also, you know, small business made, small business anodized. You know, they don't they don't look our, at that. Our generation cared about the like made in America thing. Yeah, yeah, we cared the writer owned made in America. But yeah. but we cared because. Not because of the made in America thing. It's because everything else was garbage. Yeah, at the, yeah, at the time everything else was shit. And, and you also had S and M with the with the anti Asian welding ad, which was fantastic. And at this point, a lot of kids that have started riding bikes or scooters or whatever, they've never had a bad bike. Right. Yeah, because you know, and like even their their entry level kink complete. Yeah. Is, is light years <laughs> better than our good bikes were. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you if you go back and look at what an entry-level Hoffman was, like, yeah, you had the Hoffman frame and fork maybe, but, like, you had shitty one-piece cranks, you had a sprocket that was fucking a sheet of notebook paper, on a, and you're bashing the piss out of it every... Every fucking time you do anything, you're beating it back with a rock to straighten it out. Mm -hmm. Single wall rims that would just cave the fuck in. I mean, we didn't, you know, now they have, you know, we, they didn't, they didn't have all the pains. We worked out all the kinks now. I know. Like, no one, these kids have never had a bad bike. So the made in America thing doesn't matter. Even a complete Sunday. It's, it's 80% Odyssey parts. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have that. No. Yeah, you had to get the, the get Condor a, Pro for eight hundred or nine hundred dollars to get three that, piece or cranks. Like a and, Haro Blamo yeah, or something and, they, and it was not good. And even even any of the upgraded parts, they were all like they were all just shitty 
three-piece cranks and unsealed bottom brackets that rattled like a bastard. No one's parents were buying them the Backtrail X3. Everyone got <laughs> right. the X1. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're riding along and your front wheel starts, your front tire starts to skid because guess what? Your hub just locked up because you didn't put enough grease on it. Yeah. Or you tightened it too much. You tightened it too much and didn't put <laughs> yeah. grease on it. Yeah, it was rolling really awesome right before it never rolled again. Yep. Yep. <laughs> like the best it's ever rolled. <laughs> that bike feels so good right now. <laughs> like every... You, the stems were just shitty for whatever reason, so... You know, you try to bunny hop a curb and clip, and your your bars are shifted. They just they they never had that. Even I mean, but even a I mean a scooter. There's, I mean we've had no oh God I, we had some I mean, fucking terrible our, ones at the dome. Our generation but, had the classic razor. Yeah, the, the foldable like the razor. classic foldable razor yep. with the little adjustment screws underneath to keep the front end yep. from wobbling too much, and it would snap. Within right like at the a well, day yeah. of having it. And then the whole thing would be like... Dooker, 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 dooker. <laughs> it was fucking terrible. <laughs> and they were just horrible pieces of crap. And like, you know, even these kids, they've never had a bad no. scooter. No, because, you know, they go to a shop that has scooters and you could get a fairly I mean, decent one right, for maybe, 200 bucks. Yes, they've had a crappy like folding scooter yeah. once. But they... As soon as they started doing stuff with it, they never had a bad scooter. Right. Yeah, I mean, they may be janky here and there, but they're they're still, you know, it's not like scooter, it's not like you get the entry-level scooter where every bearing is unsealed. And like we said, if you tighten it that little bit too much, it just, like, no. Yeah, yeah they don't, they just never had that. And it shows. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Skateboarders have had it good for a while. Yeah, but I I just think But they, your cost of entry is so low it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, and they I don't know. They kinda it seems like they figured it out pretty quick. Well, they police themselves too. Yeah. Like, you can't get away with whack stuff in skateboarding. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, No, don't support that. Yeah. It's lame. Yeah. And it it carries, it tracks and it I mean, you know, when's the when's the last per the last time where it's like, oh, that bike company fucking sucks, and then the next per, next three people you see have that frame fork bar, what it's like, oh, well, I guess they don't fucking care. Yeah. Uh, it, BMX did well. I don't know. I don't pay attention enough to see if they're still around. Uh, whatever that company, Harry Main was supporting that was like all direct to customer sales oh what one was it i know it wasn't hyper right no it's not hyper elite no but i think that's another one of what you're like very similar i don't remember i, I know, know i know what you're talking you know what about I mean. yeah i just can't yeah it's uh but like i feel like we kind of snuffed that out unless it's still around and just no one talks about it oh that could be too I mean, there's there's companies that don't. I don't know. They just kind of they they seem like a hot thing and then just never catch on. But well, it's because they don't have enough money to pay for the advertising. Well, that too. And you know, if you don't want to pay 
pay to play or play the but game the, the way that it's laid I mean, at, out. The, at the same time a lot of them i think the like the newer companies they'll try to they'll try to grab you know the the whatever whatever kid is like the hot the hot new rider that like you know the flavor of the week kind of thing jump on them and then once they kind of fade out it, they don't really it's like they don't keep you know okay this yeah i'll put all their eggs in one basket yeah yeah they put all their eggs in one basket and then totally shit the bed and then instead of trying to do something else they oh well we're just going to keep coming up with a different colorway for this year but they also they set up like the team will be one major person and like a couple of friends Mm -hmm. and you have no sales force yeah, because it's just that, you know, any... And it's like, I think that you miss the the mark, and the entire industry misses the mark on your riders are not just a rider. Like, sure, yes, you're paying them to be good, but they're your sales rep. Right. And you, in a way, you don't need a sales rep in-house if you have a good team of riders that are actually doing their job. Right. Like, I'll give you a territory as a rider... And a small travel budget, but I expect that if you're going up, like, oh, I'm going, you know, an hour away and whatever. All right, I expect you to a post that you're going. B go meet with the local shop. Post that you're going to be at the right. shop. Now you from this company have brought a crew of people to the local shop. Sure. You do the meet up there. You hang out, talk about the products or whatever, and then you go ride. Like the local park with the people or yeah. street for, with the d- local crews for a little while. And you put some clips out and like all in, that was your job. And then you get a cut of the sales. You get your 5% commission mm-hmm. on on all the profit for anything that comes from that shop. Right. After that. Until it's a house account in like two years or whatever mm-hmm. when... If they just continually order and you never have to go there again, right? That's a house account. If you have to keep going back to get them to order, like it never yeah, becomes the, a house account. Or the account. only time they get an order is when you go there. Well, like, do you really need high-end level pros if you have a company that's running itself just because you have good customer service mm-hmm. and you get people hyped? I don't know. I mean, it's worked in every other business right. ever. So, do you really need someone? Yeah, we pay the sales rep to not sell stuff and just be really good at yeah, you just, existing. Yeah, he just, you know, he calls the shop. Oh, hey, man, you know, here's what we got coming out. Yeah, but it's the same as what's still on our floor and not selling. So Right, and these guys showed up last week and brought like 75 kids yeah. into our shop. Like, oh. Well, that's neat. You know what the problem is? Not enough companies give free stickers. That's what the problem is. Stickers aren't free. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Just don't <laughs> put one in with every fucking part. That's why I bought a lot of Snafu stuff when I was younger, because it always came with the sticker. Primo, too. Primo yeah, always Snafu, well, I mean, it, then it got to the point where we just go to the bike shop and steal them out of the pack and put, put whatever back in. Uh, so Primo the... Primo stickers didn't always come with the parts. 
I still have a box in the corner somewhere that's loaded. I have a box. No, I I don't. I gave a ton of them away. I do every once in a while. I I put a ton of them on my desk that I made in Pittsburgh. Like all these classic (laughs) old ones that you'll never get again. Look at the fucking TV. That's that's what you do. You put stickers on the. Well, I know. (laughs) So I put them all on this desktop. And then I polyurethaned over top yeah. of them so they're like permanent mm-hmm. on it. And then I sold the house and moved. Oh. But there are some good classic ones. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll. I remember I was cl- I was cleaning. I think out I stuff. had a coalition one on there. That's a good one. I was cleaning out my mom's house or um, shit that I had there. And I'm just going through it, and I, I think I found like an OG little devil sticker. I'm like, whoa. I don't have no idea what the fuck I did with it. I probably did stick it on something because, you know. Heck yeah. It's, it's an OG, OG little devil sticker regardless. I'm sticking it on something. That's, that's what it deserves is yeah. to be stuck somewhere. Right. Not hidden away in a box. It, yeah, just tucked away. Yeah. I want to... I haven't really set my stuff up in the new house yet while I'm waiting to build my office. Mm-hmm. But I need to set my vinyl cutter back up. And I just got strong-armed into buying a 3D printer <laughs> by myself. It's been in my shopping cart for like a year. Yeah. And I'm like, when, when I get the office set up, when I get the office set up, and then the price went down $160 for Black Friday. And I'm like, now is the time. If I'm going to do it at yeah. some point, I might as well do it now. So I have that now, and I've only printed a couple things. I've got a project I need to print, though. I drew it all up, and now I'm like, this is actually a really good idea, and I should probably sell these. <laughs> there you go. It's a, I'll just blow my idea. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a set of drill jigs. Mm-hmm. So it's little plates. They're three quarters of an inch wide by like four four and a half inches long, something like that. And each size has four holes in it for different, each one is for a different drill bit size. Mm -hmm. So there's like 13 in the set from Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, five sixty-fourths up to a quarter inch, something like that. And from the one end, the hole is a half inch up and then an inch and a half, two and a half, Mm -hmm. three and a half. From the other end, it's an inch up, so one inch, two inch, three inch, okay. four inch. And I need it because I need it to put holes in to mount my cabinet doors right. on my kitchen. But then I did the whole set at different sizes because I'm like, this is actually kind of nice. Mm-hmm. And I just need to rework it to put some grooves in at the quarter inch right. marks so that you can line it off the mm-hmm. thing. But those things are going to be super useful. Yeah. There's oh, little yeah. mini projects like, mm-hmm. oh, I need holes a half inch in on this. Like, all right, line right. it up, drill, dump, drill, dump, drill. Dump. So, you need an Etsy store. <laughs> I don't want to 3D print them all, though. Like, yeah. It's one of those things that yeah, if it's, it's a good enough idea, I just need to get them molded. Right. But, or patent it and sell it. Yeah. Sell the design to a tool maker and let them actually make the money. That's on the it. way to do it. It's like a Craig product. Yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Because even if you have the patent, I mean, it doesn't really mean anything unless you're 
or a patent attorney of yours is actively watching every yeah. single product that comes out. We just went down that road because I tried. We had an opportunity to patent this thing that we've been making, mm-hmm. but you only have a year from the time you release it to the market. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of close on the timeline, but it's a product in the oil and gas industry that they blow valves out constantly mm-hmm. because of the high flow. Right. And it's a bypass loop, mm-hmm. but it's 10,000 PSI. Right. And you're coming in from a seven and a 16th diameter at 10,000 PSI. It's a lot of volume to a two inch bypass. loop. Yeah. And then when they open that valve, as soon as they open it, it's so much volume. Yeah, it just walks it right out. Mm-hmm. So, we came up with these corner choke plugs mm-hmm. that throttle it down through like a narrow, I think it's like three eighths diameter bore first. Mm-hmm. And those plugs can just be taken out of the block and replaced. So they're meant to, they're the, the sacrificial part right. where you don't have to tear the entire stack out. You just mm-hmm. unbolt the flange, pull the plug, put a new one right. in. So you put one top and bottom and this, the customer that's using them has not lost a valve since. Mm-hmm. They used to go through three or four per job. Right. So, like, these... Th- and they've never lost a plug now. Hmm. Even better. I'm like, oh, I made them too good, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, they've never replaced the plugs. Huh. I'm like, well, that's pretty good. And mm-hmm. he's like, you really should think about patenting right. that. So we went down the patent attorney route and got an estimate. They they did the research. You know, we paid them, I think, like 2500 bucks mm-hmm. to do all the research and figure out what, what would our questionable patents be? Right. Like, what are we trying to go against? Then we can come up with a game plan. And then with the timeline, they wanted to charge us double mm-hmm. what the actual normal yeah, patent cost is. Because we needed them to do it in a month. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. But I'm like, we have no sales plan with this. Like, even if we got it, we're going to pay a lot of money just to hold a patent. Which, right. Which, there would be some value in that from from a valve company, valve maintenance company, sure. having a patents under their belt. But it's like, well, we could have just done a design patent instead of the utility patent, too. Mm-hmm. And then it covers just the, like, look of it. Right. And the exact shape, but not the concept. But it still didn't really make a lot of sense. Like, what do you, if you're not going to sell it to anyone. Sure. And who's going to buy it and make it? We only have a couple customers Mm -hmm. in that market space. The valve companies would be the ones that would be the ones most likely to buy that patent. Right. And they're not going to use it. They're going to buy it to not use it because sure. they want to sell valves. Sure, because your your you know fix is going to be say a thousand bucks, and each valve is twenty thousand bucks. So a valve company is going to want to sell that as opposed to oh you know, three two- or four per job. Yeah, that absolutely. Yeah, yeah as yep. opposed to my little choke yep. plug thing. Like, I'm like, we can keep selling it. Without sure having the patent, just like we have been, so 
wasted twenty five hundred bucks on yeah. the assessment, but worth looking into though. But to an extent, I've also gone down the road of any of these custom projects we're doing for other customers. As soon as we quote it, we should just incorporate the patent cost. Because if I'm going to do something funky and custom mm-hmm. for you, and I want to patent it because then I, if I pitch it to you, you can't even take it to someone else and do it now. Right. Because it's patented. Mm-hmm. So that's what I need to start looking at a little more. And it's also not that you can police it, but I was curious, so I had talked to the attorney, like, does it prevent someone from making one for their own personal use? And technically it does. Mm-hmm. It's just whether you catch them or not. Right. But, like, if we made something and then a customer's like, oh, I don't really need to buy another one of those. I'll just make my own. Like, oh, no, no you no. won't, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> so, interesting learning experience there. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. We'll, uh, I think it would be cool to have some just extra money to spend and have a patent just sure. to have it. Yeah, just to say you have something patented. Yeah. Does it matter? I don't know. I should I should do design patent on my next Grindworks product <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> just put patent pending on it. Eh, you have to have it. I know. You have to have the initial filing. Yeah. Which is only th- half the cost. And, and I think it actually protects you more. Because as far it as you, a, it used to, oh, it doesn't anymore. Because I think, I think with like the pivotal seat post, I don't think McNeil had it patented. It was always just patent pending. But I could be wrong. So the thing that used to happen is that the the timeline didn't start mm-hmm. until the actual patent was issued. Right. So people could leave it in limbo for ages. Ah, okay. And now they cut that out. You have to have the formal patent filed within a year of release or it's not patentable okay so you can file patent pending and then wait a year mm-hmm. but it has to be within 12 months right. of when you, it was released to the public so it really just buys you a little bit of time yeah like i don't have a formal final patent design project yet but like as soon as I have the concept, I can file the mm-hmm. the preliminary like sixty percent patent, yeah. and that's where they'll issue patent pending. Yeah, who knows? I don't know if there's anything worth doing. Like, unless you plan on mass marketing something. Yeah, it's it's not. It's I don't think it's worth it. And you know, if you or live unless, by the rules of Shark Tank, yeah. you want to just license the patent anyway. Yeah. Or like if you're, you know, if you're going into a certain space where it's already oversaturated, then, you know, maybe you could throw the patent on there. But other than that, it's, that When you just live in a world of one-off stuff, like we could patent yeah. every single thing we do. Right. But what's the value? Yeah, none. And, and the lawyer was pretty forthcoming with that too. He's like... the. You know, ninety. I think the number was ninety percent of people that get one never make a dime off mm-hmm. of it because they think just because you have the better mousetrap that people will flock to you, right? Like, or the more official mousetrap. But if you don't 
go put the effort in not only do you have to make sure people know you have to also snuff out the other competition that people mm-hmm. are familiar with like yeah you're you're right yeah so they're like we you know we charge the initial evaluation and that's when we like to make sure that you have a plan before we go down the actual route. Right. Like, like it doesn't benefit us. There's no benefit to us to do a patent or not to do a patent. Yep. The, yeah, it doesn't make a difference to them. They're just, hey, you want our service? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, it was good. But, all right, we're at two hours, you know? Of course. So this is like the five-hour podcast. Because, <laughs> well, we also did, we wrapped it up and then just kept going. We've wrapped up like three times. Yeah, it's that's fine. okay. Right. You want to just do more? <laughs> <laughs> well, you have an hour drive. I, I have a. I have an hour drive. I have a, you know, 15-second walk. <laughs> on top of, you know, all the other driving I've done the last few days. Mm-hmm. On top of... I think I'm at 70 hours of work this week, including the driving. Well, at least you're getting paid for the driving. Mm, not Ish. hourly. No. Just salary. So, you know. Yeah, it makes no difference then. It doesn't. But that's why, like, after a long week and then, like, no, I'm going to drive late to- tonight, yesterday, and get to Front Royal because I want to ride that park in the there morning. There huh. you go. Making a point of getting where I want to be, yep. wake up there. Yeah, so you have enough time. And then, screw it. Yeah. And my, I think I'm getting stuck with an extra day on the rental car, because it was supposed to be back at 5. Of course. But I wasn't going to get back till 6, so yeah, I'm like, so, eh, 9 a.m. Yeah, you're already eating it, it. You're eating it. I call them, and they're like, oh, well, we can backdate it in the morning, because... They have it on the wrong credit card, so they have a note in the account to right. change that at drop off. Oh. Like I won't be back till like a little bit after five. And they're like, Well, just come in at nine AM and we'll just backdate the drop off. We'll put a note on the account and I'm like I'll take it. Cool. So that that's what I call, texted you. I'm yeah. like, eh, I'm free now. <laughs> the the pressure is off. All right, well, that's it. I don't think think your shout outs and thank yous at one point were in the other one. I don't know if you have I don't know, finished. maybe. Not really. <laughs> shout out to stuff and things. Yeah, we'll go with that. And cool people and not lame people. Exactly. <laughs>